Hello. Yo, yo, yo. Yo. Oh, three out of five is not bad. Yeah, I so I think it's a good, good percentage. <laughs> Hi. Um, hello, everybody. This is EFAP number... And it's, uh, it's all about whatever the title says, because I don't even know what I would have named it. Um, oh, man. We're here today. If you're listening to this, it means that we were unavailable to do a normal time EFAP. But this would be premiering at the time of a normal time EFAP, so you got that. Um, hi, hi, hi. We, 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 we're just gonna, we're just gonna check out some videos, as is usual. Um, you, you're familiar with all five of the faces you can see right now. So I'm, I've got a different avatar on for one. And, and Meme has not oh. moved on from his, uh, uh, his Doctor Strange one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to get a colored version of, uh, yeah. of, of this one, I'm not gonna lie. Oh, what the hell have you done, cat? No, stop. <laughs> ah. No. Oh, no, advertisement, bar. stop. I don't yeah, want to... Yeah, no. just trot on the space bar and I can't pause it because it's an ad. Ugh. I don't want to watch Llama Drama. <laughs> wow, what? <laughs> Sounds like the best okay. way to spend our time. Um, but yeah, we're, 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 there's a video I've been made aware of and I was like, ooh, it's a video essay. You guys, I don't know if you've ever seen one of them. They're like... Oh really formal sort of digressions into specific topics that overall make a point. And the point of this one is, nah, No Way Home wasn't that great. Now, what's funny okay. about that is I agree. Like, it wasn't that great. It, 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 it was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Pretty yeah. cool. Um, I always feel like, even to a degree, our audience overblow our... um our perspective on this uh this film i get told a lot that we like praise the fuck out of it and i'm like i don't have a five is it yeah it's fine it's fine yeah that's fine um it's fine. Yeah. and so i see this video and i'm told like oh it'll be a good one for refab and i'm just sitting here like i mean to agree with it <laughs> and 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 then i gave it a little little look see and i was like oh <laughs> so you know what a what a way to introduce the idea of seeing this thing, whatever it may be. Um, it's gonna be one of those deals where it's like so much to criticize, but it's gonna be all the wrong things or something. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking oh, forward boy. to it. Oh, here we go. It's gonna be Been great. There before. I'll, um, I'll boot her up, and uh, well, you know, to be honest with you, there's there's nothing else for us to do than jump into this thing. I think, as long as that's okay with Me. everyone else. Does anyone want to establish anything before we 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 go right ahead? Uh, that's what I, I thought. I, I like Ocarina of Time. Aww, cute. That's all I got. I just, just thrown out there. All right. Well, um, I guess I guess I'll just play the video, and perhaps almonds will be activated. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like I said, nah, No Way Home wasn't that great. Have a look, see. All right. Let's that's big of a deal. I like Spider Man. Ah, oh, so loud. Ooh, man. Why? There's a lot of uh, editing choices in this that I am, could be interested Can to see. we skip this one already? I'd hate it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's an intro. But, There's nothing wrong with it. She said she likes Spider-Man. It's from... Yeah, but it sure blew my ears out. Volume well, maybe that's your fault for having down. it on too loud. How about that? Yeah, I can do it lower, but then I can't hear you anymore. <laughs> he but you can use well, the volume slider. Yeah, what do you mean? Use the slider on the video, you fool. 
I already did, but it was already loud when it happened, so now it doesn't count anymore. You're a you're a, <laughs> a foolish fool. That's what I think. We. So I, let's uh, pretend still 2021, because I have some things to say about this movie. Yeah, people really did enjoy this one. And you know what? Nothing feels better than seeing humanity taking a well-deserved break to have fun and unite around enjoyment over the piece of media after the hellhole that we all went through over the past two years. Only if I mm -hmm. could share that excitement too. I really went back mm -hmm. and- mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess so. It kind of sucks when everyone I enjoys guess. a thing and you think it's shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A lot, of people, a lot of people turned on that movie though anyway. After they did. a couple of months. They did indeed. I would have, yeah, I would have gone as far as saying at this point the movie's divisive. Divisive. Divided. I think so. I think so. Um, yeah. Our stance in the quickest way possible is the plot's garbage, the characters are pretty good except Doc Strange. That's it. That's not, that's not what yeah. Mm-hmm. Forth with myself about making this video. I never want to be that party pooper who goes, Oh yeah, that thing you enjoy, by the way? It sucks. Go dunk yourself into the lake or something. But what made me Go make- dunk yourself into the lake? That's the joke, Rags. You'd expect her to say something like kill yourself, but then she says something pretty tame. Go dunk yourself into the lake. <laughs> I just the saw the channel name. <laughs> so I have chosen death. I like it as a meme. <laughs> so I have chosen death. Yeah, I guess it should just be I, right? So I'm I've have... I have chosen oh, death. Oh, that's probably intentional, yeah, okay. I've had yeah. Was that people did not just Uh no I have swings past one billion go one point seven four billion. Okay. Crazy. Just wanted to read it. But also referred to it as some sort of a masterpiece. <laughs> See so no, that was that's that's like some people who make their video essays six minutes after the film comes out, and it's the next masterpiece, amazing, brilliant, incredible thing, and then the next month they forget about it and say it's well, actually wasn't that good. I was gonna say like the once they've had an hour after the six minutes masterpiece hour, they're like it was good, and then a day, and they're like actually why it's terrible. It's like the half life of your positivity <laughs> boom, boom. on the film. It's like I don't know, twenty minutes tops. <laughs> it just a really, really big movie came out. Quick, quick, we gotta push out our video essay. Quick, quick, quick. I don't know, get it you out, know what? Get it out. I, there's a there's a part of me that thinks that it's it is just as simple as um that initial hype kind of just creates this reaction that's super duper positive, and then it is just more of the wait a minute, hmm, just starts to seep in. It just like seems a sugar like crash. Yeah, a little bit. Like you, you see it, and it's really novel and exciting. And then you give it like time, and then it deteriorates. Um, when you know, generally, the sign with a good movie is it's like a wine. You know, it's it ages. It's like mwah, beautiful. It just yeah. starts to you start to appreciate more about it. Yeah, um, I think you're right. The uh, the matter of wanting to be a part of a community that's so happy to see a thing and enjoy a thing that just seeps into how good was the thing. And sometimes it's just absolute shit. I think Endgame's probably going to be the all-time example for that. Definitely. And it's easy to do that, since I feel like the term masterpiece today is being thrown around by people left and right. I don't disagree. No. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. true. I think there's that yeah. polarized Whoa. response. It's either amazing or terrible. Everything, everywhere, all at once might be a masterpiece, though. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> You think when you, you think these camera people who are recording Oprah when she's handing out cars, they're like, "Well, I'm in here too, right?" 
Yeah, you just drop <laughs> the camera and <laughs> jump into the audience like, oh my god, look at me, <laughs> I got a cartoon. <laughs> what if the entire crew, the entire crew got really, really happy? They were like, yeah, I can't believe it, oh my god. And then she didn't plan on getting the like the crew anything. Yeah, there's like a oh, little cue. And so she's that. watching them celebrate and be really happy. And they're just, oh yeah, I can't believe it. Ah. And then she has to tell them, oh, oh, oh. It's, oh, it's like awkward, a classic but, sitcom yeah. where she would just be like, she sees them waiting for and she's like oh yeah that's no there's no. a legal thing where i you know i i can't it, oh it was uh, we both it was like yeah. a package deal and it doesn't it's only as many as was in the audience you know you you get paid for this job that's similar <laughs> you'll be fine <laughs> and your honor today i will oh be going God. against what he looked like that the six flags guy who who's in the bus the old guy uh, i don't Do you know remember six those flags. commercials no I, no i don't think i've seen that, that, that commercial that, ever that, 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 that. maybe it's just it's fine it's mm -hmm. an old american thing, um, I suppose. also what's funny by the way is with her premise we already have done this um mm -hmm. we didn't atmospherically it wasn't that on the stream for no way home but if if you take it literally, like the the film's being considered a bill, uh, a masterpiece, and we are, um, we're, you know, I'm going to go against the grain on that. It's like, oh yeah, we gave it a fight. We said it was literally mid. Mm. Yeah. So I guess we've already been controversial on that one, and we're with her on this. Sweet. Seems like the rest of humanity by saying an enjoyable movie with a few masterful moments is not synonymous with a masterful film. Agreed. Yeah. For, yeah. I even agree with the fact that she's using this film as an example of something that's. Like, it's got a few, I guess you could call them masterful moments. I do think I could appreciate some pieces of it that way. And yeah. unfortunately for me, I will be using No Way Home as a centerpiece for That's this opinion. Fine. Before I begin, yeah. I want to preface this video by saying that my reaction to No Way Home is something that reminds me closely of Endgame because when I saw oh Endgame hmm. in 2019, track, I of actually. course enjoyed the movie, all yeah. the great moments way, in it, right? but at the same time, going out of the film, I felt like it was kind of not so great, especially compared to its predecessor. When everyone True. seemed to think that it was the greatest hmm. movie nice. ever made. That's a and that very brave thing to man. say. Bill, she's... Practically ready for EFAB already. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's enough cool. wobbling though. Yeah, um, I don't know if she's doing that. I know for you copyright just learned how to do the or... wobble, and it's yeah, it's weird. It's on everything. Like, stop well, I don't wobbling. know if it's her preference of style. I, uh, but I find it annoying. Uh, but I, I don't know. There's probably people out there who love it. I guess. Uh... I can feel the annoying. presets that she's using because I use them sometimes for animations. Uh, okay. for the... If you have movies, but uh, I don't use them all the time. Is the mm. thing I, I use them genuinely? For I think she might things. be desperately trying to avoid copyright. When it's funny because I almost want to tell people sometimes, it's like you don't actually need to do this. Like you don't. It's like I'll have a five-second clip. I'll flip it. I'll make it black and white. I'll raise the contrast to ridiculous levels, and then I'll spin it around. It's like you don't have to do all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, making <laughs> sure. All right. Number one on every chart and every list. Even though I agreed that it was a great send-off for Avengers, I did not think that it was I, a great film. Well, you know, yeah. I disagree with that. But it depends I, on what she yeah, would mean by that. Mm. Uh, well, yeah. because we at this point think it doesn't achieve fucking anything well. But at the time, I definitely would have said it was a great ending for Iron Man at the very least. At yeah. the time. But, Period. But yeah. I was also scared that if I shared that opinion, I would probably get stabbed. But the thing about Endgame today... Endgame's pretty <laughs> shat on these days. Uh, now it is, yeah. Yeah, it's... 
You, yeah, I think she's even... Days that you know. most people probably agreed that it was a fun spectacle and I'm just waiting for the time. other shoe to drop. <laughs> That's the thing, it's like um a reality that uh people just calm down, no matter what. And I think if you... Well, there are certain things you can't release hot takes on to this day, but a lot of stuff, you just have to wait at least a month or so. Like Multiverse of Madness. I'm, I'm hoping Multiverse of Madness will get to the point where it's just considered an absolute fucking worthless movie. Um, Please. That would be great. It's only a matter of time, like, give it a couple of weeks longer, maybe. Yeah, even, even, might be even the hype for it didn't seem to last anywhere near as long as a lot of the other movies. It mm -hmm. absolutely hasn't. People were still talking about the Batman a bunch, which is funny, considering Multiverse has made more money now. Uh, um, but yeah. I mean, I guess not translating uh, into much <laughs> about the film, because I don't know what you would talk about, really. Dude, I imagine don't know what you would talk about being... with that movie. Matt Reeves and watching Multiverse of Madness and being told, like, you need to make your movie more like this. If you're like, you have Green Lantern in your next film. Of a film as it could have been. And that's the exact same feeling I get with No Way Home. The sort of isolation from the rest of the fandom or people who watched it for feeling this way about the. He looks weird on the left. He looks, um, the, the actor. I forget his name, but without hair, um, he just—he looks strange. The Jason mm -hmm. Batalon. I think it's Jacob. Oh, Jacob Batalon. Yeah. Um, Batalon Batalon. I don't know if it's pronounced in a particular way, but yeah. The movie. But I also think that just like with Endgame, as the time goes on and the experience aspect of it will die down, people will be more prone to listen and agree with the criticism of it. Which yeah, pretty. I think she's right. Yeah. yeah. But. Yeah. What are those criticisms? That's all. Which <laughs> is definitely hmm. existent with this one. But I'm definitely not going to wait. <laughs> I didn't mind See, that. <laughs> well, so I, I guess I want to say at this point, kind of like her style. Uh, yeah. And she seems fun. So it's just like, yeah, you're right in those departments. Oftentimes we lose in that uh, department when we cover people. Yeah, abuses the wiggle setting a little bit, but that's uh, about Definitely, yes. <laughs> to say a critical word about the film and I'm going to say it right about now so there goes your disclaimer I guess. Before I start <laughs> criticizing the hell out of it, I am going to start on a better note and point out some things I like. Oh and by the way, spoilers ahead. It was fun and exciting when I could overlook the inconsistent writing and unfortunately this is probably the highest praise will go and of course I loved seeing Andrew and Toby and the dynamic between the three bug boys. I I, I have to assume Toby is on purpose. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> Who the fuck has ever called it Toby? <laughs> Toby Maguire. Toby. I like the gesture of Andrew saving MJ, however predictable and on the nose it was. The ending was. I actually agree with that. Almost every single person predicted that scene was going to happen, and it did, and everyone loved it. Yeah. Well, I guess I it's guess on the nose in that you know what it means, but I don't know that that's a problem. Well, yeah. I think that's indicative of, like, an understanding of writing, that you would identify that as, like, a potent narrative, um... Yes. Uh, point. And, and, like, that everybody was like, this makes sense as a character payoff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's so it, easy it was, to slip it, it into a fight, and it's so meaningful. Do it. <laughs> like, it's such an obvious one. In fact, it's kind of yeah. like, um... You know how a lot of people... Points. These are all over Endgame, but, like... For example, the Hulk never got to fight Thanos again. He never got to come through where he failed last time sort of thing. And you're like, hmm. Or did Drax get to fight Thanos? Yeah, Drax never did too. These these are things, they're, they're sitting right there and they're waiting for you. But if you're, if you're a writer that doesn't fucking give a shit, then you can miss them.
But don't worry, Captain Marvel got to fight Thanos for like a pretty extended period of time. (laughs) That's the thing, man. Imagine, like, you know, Hulk tries to fight him again, but because of his wound, he's not doing so well. And then Drax comes in right when Thanos is about to give it like a kill shot or something. And how how meaningful it would be. But it's like, oh, well, it's fine. And it's funny because I think on a on a um, uh, outside of the context of what we just said, people be like, you're such a fucking lame nerd. You just want certain people fighting certain people. And it's like, I know it looks that way, but it's actually not that at all. Yeah quite promising and as far as the nostalgia baiting goes all i can say is that i actually appreciate the movie for actually trying to incorporate the characters and the plot lines from the other movies into the plot and the narrative of the story instead of you know hey (laughs) (laughs) i agree it's great that they incorporated them instead of just yeah they show up lol he was here in the desert I believe he had a crossbow. Isn't that exciting? Ando and cut to him laughing and cut to black. But even though I appreciate it for trying, I still can't help noticing the obvious inconsistencies. And so I had I have hope at this point. She's she's highlighting a scene that I have several problems with, and I'm like, alrighty, mm-hmm. this is what was okay. Yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> I know that all of you are probably just like, what is she gonna say? <laughs> but, yeah, there's got to be something nuclear in here, surely. Yeah, because we're a pretty good track here. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm... The fine video, if not, it reaches above a five so far. You know, I'm, I'm happy with it. So far. into the story. And that being said, your honor, if you may, let's mm-hmm. cut to the actual video. I worry about stuff like this for copyright myself. I'm just like, I don't know yeah, what you're yeah. using here. I don't know exactly. Why can't I wobble the sound away? (laughs) (laughs) He's a phaser. It's not working. What is that theme? Am I supposed to recognize that? That's Amazing Spider-Man. That's the Ah. the MCU Spider-Man theme. No, 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 it's not the MCU Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Amazing How dare you. MCU one's better. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just doing this to be safe. I have no idea. Yeah. Music is like oh, three seconds, so you know it's like. Yeah. Be super I think this careful. might be a little compilation of all three, or at least uh, the amazing and Raimi themes, or maybe it's going to be all three if we keep if it keeps playing. Maybe. There we go. We made it. Maybe. It's yeah. Playing things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yes, yeah, it is wrong. Hey. Um, right. Yeah, and I was going to say, by the way, this isn't a good sign for me, uh, where it's like, let's go over the problems. Subject one, Peter Parker. It's like, oh no, that's actually yeah. one of the things I think is pretty good, so. Mm. Yeah, let's, right, let's do it. Remember that one time that Peter tried to be a responsible young man and almost ended up killing dozens of innocent people on ferry while trying to take more responsibility than he could bear? I remember this scene. Previously on Peter Screws the Pooch, I tell you to stay away from... Goddamn copyright protection. <laughs> I assume the way she's done it means that she's protected, but the problem is that doesn't protect you on streams, definitely. Yeah, streams get so a bit more finicky. finicky. This, is everyone okay? No thanks to you. No, this is where you zip it, alright? The adult is talking. What if somebody had died? It's totally like I'm watching a comic. Well, I guess we can talk about that, that scene. That film's point, as far as I'm concerned, is the, uh, he's learned... That he should act to help people when he has the power to, 
that's like the it's almost like a preset he comes in with that but then homecoming is about how what if you're in a scenario where your help actually makes things worse yeah mm -hmm. what do you either yeah and uh this part of it is recognizing the difference that's a really important part of responsibility but uh, I already want to set up that, um, and this is something that we've come across many times, it's frustrating to me that people think that then that's done then. You've learned your lesson about responsibility. When, uh, and you're good forever until you're dead. You know? And like, for the rest of your life, you, are, say, you understand responsibility perfectly. Responsibility is like this umbrella topic that we are all learning about as we grow up, especially from child to adult. There's so many elements that well, are so complicated. In the case of a superhero in a world filled with a whole bunch of different variables, uh, and just that his own personal life is changing, and that's informing his perspectives on responsibility at any given time. Yeah, and the film argues he makes this mistake not only because he's very young, but also because he's more so thinking about the reward of Our becoming reputation. an Avenger. Yeah, mm. it, it's his the pure motive of just helping people is gone. It's about showing off and being impressive to try and get things. Yeah, which is again informed, which I think is lovely dovetails into the fact that he's a kid who was born in this world, and for the past however long, how long has it been at that point since Iron Man in the universe? Like 10 years, I think. Yeah, just if you live in that world, yeah, that's that's a prestigious role model, and you'd love to be them, which is a mistake. Well, it's like Tony says, you know, Peter's like, I want to be like you, and he said, I wanted you to be better. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Different story, right? Because that's on you. Yeah, this scene where Tony literally shouts at Peter that sometimes taking too much responsibility, even for moral reasons, can be a heavily selfish act if it implies endangering lives of innocent people. Because if innocent people do suffer from your actions and your decisions, it no longer matters how selfless you try to be. Their suffering will be on you. Sometimes some risks are not worth taking. I think that's a fair uh, reading. The only problem is the visual she just I used. Like mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll have to see where she's going with that one. At least yeah, not alone. And that's how Peter gets to know that. Until he doesn't. Yeah, mm. scratch that. Mm. I guess we'll allow her to elaborate. Her yeah. Herb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's yeah, let out five mentally unstable criminals to freedom and put at risk the entire city because. Um, he said so. I don't know. Ooh. No. Oh. oh. Big oof. This is a big oof. So. Uh, so. <laughs> with, where do you even begin, right? Like, um, it wasn't. He's gonna. I, I feel like it's weird because the film is explicit about this. They have MJ say, because this that's who he is. It's not about Aunt funny. May telling oh. him to do something and he just says, sure, I'll do it. Spider-Man don't really want to, like, kill the bad guys if he doesn't have to. No. He tried yeah. to save Vulture. Mysterio was more so Mysterio's fault than Peter's. Um, yeah, like, you, and in this case, you didn't kill Mysterio. No, Mysterio essentially killed himself. Um, it's kind of like the glider thing, right? Um, and then, of course, in this film, you're presented with, if we send these people back, some of them will die, but right now we have a chance to maybe help them with all of the technology and all of the resources we have in our world, yeah, and we should try. This concern That's... that uh, by doing so, you endanger a lot of people, he threatens them. He says, if you do any bullshit, uh, I'll send you back, which could mean your death. Yeah. The, I the idea is that he, it's a calculated risk in that if you remember, he has a lot 
unit that he can press at any time that will send them away instantly. And he opts once Aunt May dies to press that button, but the other press Peters it. convince him not to. For reasons which are pretty obvious, given their backstories. What the film yep. is about. Um, but yeah. again, I'll let her carry on a bit. Thank God, It wasn't just because May said so. No. <laughs> At like the time, simple... Peter was quite obviously shaken and traumatized by the experience at the ship. And even if that was not the case, you would think that at least Tony's words would cling to his small noggin for the rest of eternity. But nope, 20 movies later and Parker well, so, is... So here's the thing. I think um, something that has been missed in referencing that scene is that Peter's goals were to be impressive and cool. And to be like the Avengers and be a hero. That was what led him to do that. Yeah. You know? Motivation yeah. is incredibly important, as well as well, your capacity well, to fix the situation, which I think, I think both worth, aren't a problem in No Way Home for him. Was worth mm. pointing out because I think she prefaced this with the motivation doesn't matter anymore. But I feel like saying that in reference to that first scene kind of misses that the motivation was actually a big part of that of, of like what happened it's the yeah, reason we, why i wanted to be better it's not about like oh you had good intentions and you screwed up it's like no you actually had erroneous intentions yeah and you, they you, and they clouded his ability to understand that this is a situation he was not suited for no and that and that tony was going to take care of it um well know, cia right or something like that well the fbi yeah yeah but but tony said like he was going to take care of it and he didn't feel like acknowledging that and yeah just realizing the capacity of the situation in general like um he doesn't well, have a game it's really no. dangerous yeah and there's lots of civilians and there's lots of literally like weapons dealers it's just well, it's just dangerous he's, he's screwing around in the whole thing and like cracking jokes and messing around when it's, it's kind of a important situation here yeah and then everyone on the ship is almost uh not necessarily no. killed but they're in danger um yeah. And so, yeah, you compare then to this situation where he's basically the only actor in this scenario that has the power to save these people. He has a threat to prevent them from, yep. you know, running around and killing everybody. And uh, it's interesting that she said, at least don't do it alone while showing Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange definitively, like inherently as part of his character, wants them dead slash out of here. Yeah, he's, he's, he's opposed. You can't... That's, that's they the have their argument. They can't one of them has to win. They both have positions that they can't reconcile. Yeah, and it's the, they're both in line with their characters. It's the one, almost one part of the whole film for Doctor Strange that's like, yes, that is how he would do it. Yeah. Good. But as we've learned, he was They changed wrong. that in Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still as naive as ever, except this time multiplied by 8.4... It's not naive. Yeah. He understands exactly what it is. He understands what choice he's making. That's what I believe this film uh, concludes, he, is that not only dead. is he not naive, uh, certainly by the end, he actually made the correct decision and it was a hard one and it has hard repercussions. Because, well, like, to say that he doesn't understand that he's naive, like, Doctor Strange explicitly says if that spell gets loose, like, a whole bunch of people that we don't want here are coming here, and he says, I know, but we can't just let them die. That's his position. He knows the risk. But he values saving their lives more. Yeah, which isn't naive. Um, it's it's it's, uh, it's just complicated in terms of his yeah. his values. Exactly. Yeah, like the right thing to do isn't always the easiest, nor is it the most risk-free option. Nor does well, it yeah, even result in the best uh, ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
It can be, and that's what I think Aunt May is getting at when she's dying. Well, Aunt May, it's like her core point is you got to try to like help people, you know? Like, yeah, never regret that problem. because well, it results remember, in good people getting hurt or something. The whole, the whole point of oh, just send them to their their universe. That's essentially like a metaphor for just passing your problems on to someone else. Like they're his responsibility because he has the capacity to help them, and just mm -hmm. pressing the button and getting rid of them. It's like, no, I don't want to deal with Which, that. It's not my problem. It's like, well, it is your problem. You partly caused this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. um... You know. And uh, which is why it does cycle back to Homecoming really well, because had he uh, actually saved the day on the ferry and everything worked out, he still would have been at fault for the fact that he did it all for Absolutely. prestige. Exactly, because the motives do matter a lot. Yeah, because here his motive was entirely simply to save lives, even at the against one of the most powerful Avengers that exist. Like that, mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive, and it shouldn't be regretted, which is what her point is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I mean, I'm very afraid. impressed by the work they did for Peter as a, as a character and what they have to say about responsibility throughout the three films. Across that whole trilogy, yeah. Alien mm. or something. The Tony Stark had to spell this out for this guy, for him to go mature, learn, grow, go to space, fight with Thanos, and then come back and have a complete amnesia 20 movies later. And you might be thinking, well, Where? that's why he's so conflicted when Aunt May tries to force him to take responsibility. Um, well, Aunt May can't really force him to do anything. She's just sort of giving it's her perspective on this. When he has Doc Ock trampling through and all this other stuff going on, he's just like, what is the quick fix to get these guys back to the universe? It's the most simple way to view the situation. And then she's like, I've spoken to Norman. He could really use some help. And then, yeah, and to, to have that ingrained in there and then, oh, he's going to die if he goes back. It's, it's like... To me, well, yeah, that happens a little bit later then, once Norman talks to the others, but what I'm getting at is just that um, he was like, what is the quick fix for this weird multiversal problem we're having, as opposed to, these are people, by the way. Yep. Like, you might, I know, because you can easily miss that when you're looking at the mechanics of this insane situation. It's like, yeah, these, these are actually individuals who are struggling, and, um, yeah, it, it, there's no, like definitive uh, position against sending them back until we realize that that will likely kill them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. ...saying, it's not my responsibility, and that is not correct. The reason why he should not release the villains is not because they're not his responsibility, because by Spidey standards, they are, but because the risks might not be worth it. And even are. if he does end up releasing them... Hang on, I need to do this again, because I kind of got lost when mm. she was... Mm -hmm. is not yeah, correct. Um... The reason why he should not release the villains is not because they're not his responsibility. Because by Spidey standards, they are, but because the risks might not be worth Well, no, that's just by because they're here because of your spell. That's not Spidey standards, that's just because you, you wanted it to is... do this spell sort of thing and they're here because of you. That's just a... Yeah, and they're gonna die yeah, uh, now if you choose to do the, the take the easiest path there's a harder path yeah, that's... and it involves risks that's true but he mm -hmm. has a he has a cure-all button in a safe place that instantly removes all of them i don't understand yeah, why people people not a spidey standard that's just a just just a standard for what responsibility is it feels to me yeah. like people don't even remember that that's a thing in this film like they forget that 
he has a box that can send them back instantly. And the only yeah. response to that would be, well, he doesn't use it when Norman starts attacking him. And it's like, you're correct, because Spider-Man doesn't want to use it. He uses it as a threat. He wants to save them. And that's not yeah. something that all of them rely on. They all think he will use it. Um, it's just Norman is a fucking Green Goblin, and he's they're on the verge of curing him, so... Yeah, um, and then he, and then of course he is brought to the brink of using it, um, but that is a great bit of leverage because you can be like, if you go fucking rampant and start attacking people, you're out. So, what do you want to do? And when you're a, vi this is the other thing that's a, that I think is interesting about it. They're all relatively rational, as in they can speak to you. That's like proven throughout the film through different memes and funny bits of dialogue and actual like insight. Yeah. But they understand the situation. If they get sent back, they die, which some of them are so against, like Electro, he's like, don't fucking send me back, I'm happy here. Um, mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Sandman wants to get back to his daughter sort of thing, because he's not on the verge of dying, but the others are almost certain they are when they were thinking about the situations. So you know, as Peter Parker, that they don't want to die, but they also wouldn't mind causing a mess where they are, so threaten to fucking send them back, which is a form of killing them. And we're, and we're good, we've got them, and, and that works for a really long time for all of them, except the one who is fucking nuts, which is hard to account for. Yep. And even the if, factor there. if he does end up releasing them, he has to be very, very careful about it. He could have kept them in cages and still helped them. These two are not mutually exclusive. I so he actually has uh, help from Norman to make the cures. Norman, yeah. Um, yeah. Scientist himself. Yeah, exactly. and and even Doc Ock, I think he helps once he's converted, right? Doc Ock starts to help after, yeah, he, he gets um, cured, and he's like, "How can I help? Because you know, you got a bunch of scientists, some smart guys here to help you out." Yeah, and they want to move out of the sanctum. I think that's reasonable. It's well, uh, the reason why they want to move out of the sanctum is because that's the first place Doctor Strange is going to go once he gets out. It buys you more time, at the very least. Certainly would buy more time from Peter's perspective, and I think that's all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sad. I think it's a surprise to no one that the audience loves Doc Ock. They love Green Goblin. We know who they are and what they have been through. And for that reason, we're sympathetic towards them, because we know that somehow all of these villains have become villainous. Okay, but so there's an irony, I guess, for me in that I would be more sympathetic to someone like Lizard had I not seen Tasm, because I know that the Lizard form of Lizard is a fucking idiot psycho. Like, yeah, the Lizard part is. I th I think it's one of those. Like I've said it before, I think Tasm One is the worst of the two Tasm movies. It is um, something that we would have because I've forgotten the reasoning for it, but I remember us thinking that. Yeah, it, we because we watched them damn near back to back, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so seeing him back to back, yeah, I think Lizard is a really a mess. Like he's a horrific villain in terms of writing and motivation. And just, Sorry, just to just the, the point I was making though is that she's implying that our sympathy for these characters comes from having seen them in other movies. When if anything, I have less because of who I know Lizard to be. However, the counter here that I really want to focus on is, well, they're people. I don't. Well, that. Yeah. There's a reason why when Norman's like Peter, what's going on? Like, what's where are we going? When he gets put in the cage, it's it's mm -hmm. like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. When if you've yikes. seen his film, you as an audience member are more than likely going to be like, hmm, what about what about Green Goblin? Is he fucking around? Meanwhile, if you haven't, I imagine you'll be like, this poor guy. What the fuck? Yep. 
Yeah. So yeah, I'm already heading her off. I think that she's about to make a point that is completely fucking wrong. Uh, that we need the other movies to be sympathetic to keeping these people alive. I don't think that's true at all. No. Yeah. 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 We do not. Somewhat unintentionally. And the movie uses that same bias and sympathy towards the characters to manipulate us into thinking that because we are sympathetic and because we know for a fact that these people have good in them, so does Tom Holland's Peter Parker. No, 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 no. no. It's not knowing that they have good in them, it's about the capacity for them to be good. It's literally humans. I don't know why this would be hard. Uh, Spider-Man's interested in not killing any humans. He yeah. don't, don't like doing that. You would fucking avoid killing yeah. Palpatine. Okay, like he doesn't. Yeah. The idea that Tom Holland Spider-Man wouldn't have been invested in saving them unless he had seen the films they're from. It's like bullshit. No, yeah, as long as he gets the information that there's a possibility they just straight up die. Dude, Mysterio tries to kill him and bag. his friends several times, and he, he doesn't want to kill Mysterio. Yeah. yeah. So, like, why would you conclude that, like, yeah, it's got to be, he has to see that there's a good side to them to know that he can reach it or something. It's like, no, it's just, it's basic human empathy that Spider-Man has. I meant to yeah. say Aunt May does. With your permission, I'm going to refer to her as a plot from now on. When in reality, in the uh, context what? of the movie, no one in the why? cast has a damn clue why these villains are the way they are. The only thing Peter knows for a fact is that his alternative selves all battled with each and every one of them, which eventually got them killed, and now are sad and psychotic. And for the love of God, I can't explain how on earth he would ever think that these people could ever be redeemed. Wow. I mean, uh, oh. Wow, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, but, wow. Um... Ooh, like, Mysterio, so, just, Mysterio was like so, a pretty bad person, like flat out. He was like a really bad guy, and Peter still didn't want to kill him because that's not really a thing that he wants to do ever. Dude, he he scans really? Doc Ock with his little machine, and he concludes almost immediately these arms, they that's have an AI, and they've taken over him because he used to have an in inhibitor chip that's broken. Yep. Yep. So what what is wrong with you? Like, why would you say this? This is very not what we would want for the character writing. We want Peter to think... Shame about that chip being broken. I guess he gotta die. Yeah, because, yeah. like, you know, Peter has no reason to think these guys have any capacity to be good people. It's like, damn. Why would you want it to be that way? We're... Why would you write them off, like, immediately? He doesn't know much about them, so conversely, he shouldn't write them off instantly. You know, you can just make the same argument in reverse. It's like, he shouldn't trust, he shouldn't believe that they have good. It's like, he shouldn't believe they're all evil. He doesn't know enough about them. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's referencing Doc Ock having tossed a car with a person off, like, a bridge and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's really bad, but, like, that he has really no context bad. for any of this. And then, people yeah. of similar let's say, context being booped into this universe. You have, like, Sandman and Electro. He has a normal conversation with both of them. He understands Norman yeah. is a very tortured man. Like, mm -hmm. the, to, if we all met these people and knew nothing about them outside of what we see Peter sees within the first, like, act, um, I, w with all of you, I'd just be like, if someone said, like, we should kill them all, right? I'd be like, whoa! Whoa, <laughs> calm down. Calm down there. Keep it light. Well, and especially <laughs> keeping in mind that Norman went to the feast and, like, talked to May. Yeah. And didn't do anything. Yeah, didn't know? he say his like, reasoning as well was that he knew that she was connected to Spider-Man, like as a yeah. as a person who's hoping maybe he could find him here. Exactly. Because he's like, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a twist in the story, right? Because we're looking for Green Goblin, but it's like Norman came to us. Mm -hmm. Um. See, so yeah, I'm gonna roll it back a little bit just to hear all that again, because that was pretty crazy. ...are the way they are. The only thing mm. Peter knows for a fact is that his alternative selves all battled with each and every one of them. 
Oh, by the way, that's actually something he judges them for, um, because his assumption uh, is they died as a result of the fights, and he doesn't entertain for a second, or rather, he, does, he entertains the idea that they executed them, and he says, like, that's your choice to make to them when, I'm, when I send them back, because your equivalent yeah. choices, if you, if you kill them, that's on you. Which is, um, you know, his, his low point in the film where he's, he's decided to relinquish the responsibility of preventing their deaths, instead to mm -hmm. leave it to his alternative Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, Especially, yeah. yeah. Like, that's an important element that uh, Peter says that bitterly. Like, if you guys kill them, that's, that's your fucking decisions. Which eventually got them killed, and now are sad and psychotic. And for the love of God, I can't explain how on earth he would just establish this. Wouldn't know that. They're sad and psychotic, as if that's reasoning to kill them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say that's from Peter's perspective, particularly with uh, Norman Osborne here. Like, why? Why would Peter, or this Peter, look at that and be like, "Yeah, he has to die," based on everything he understands about this character so far? All, all the. Let's just post betrayal aside, but pre Green Goblin coming out and ruining things. What about everything that Peter sees from his perspective would lead you to believe that he needs to kill that person? Because that would be really fucked up. I mean, I'm getting some like, weird readings off this. She implies that he would have killed them if not for Aunt May getting in the way. And it's like, what do you? No, he doesn't want to do that. It's what he what he finds out they're gonna die as a result of pressing the button. He's like, oh shit. Exactly. That, I mean, yeah, yeah if, like, if we're talking about meta knowledge, then I think the person operating with all the meta knowledge here is you. Yeah, and I'm yeah. doing it wrong. And I would go as far as saying the film almost gives her what she's actually requesting, in that Peter's like, they're from the multiverse, put them back. And then Aunt May is like, well, it's a little bit more complicated, right? Because these people are going through stuff. Don't you want to find out what it is and see what's going on? And he was just like, Oh yeah, he just needs to be reminded of the reality. Like I said, it's 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 a little bit more complicated than just you made a split in the universe. You got to sew it. It's like you got other yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, like from his perspective, it's a pretty simple arithmetic. He sees that the powers of the X factor here. The reason that these people are capable of doing such harm is because that they have these powers for one reason or another, and that's the reason they're ultimately killed. So you subtract those powers. You also that means you subtract possibly their deaths and you add more of a capacity to do good because you've taken away their capacity to do harm. Like, it's, it's pretty easy to understand from his perspective. Yeah, and, and we know with meta-knowledge that by taking their power, you may actually save several of them. Definitely. I think that these people could ever be redeemed. Both Peter and Plot have no idea that at least half of these people have ever been good, and of what they do. So that's actually a reason for him to bad. assume that they can be, rather than they shouldn't. Like, I don't know, when you meet a human for the first time, and you know nothing about them, why would we assume, ah, you're probably evil then? Little thing called this good faith. Is, this is like the weird Moon Knight stuff going on here. <laughs> It's, uh, it's so odd that she's saying, like, Peter would need a reason to think that these human beings have anything about them that could be redeemable. Like, damn, I feel like that's part of what motivates him at the core in the first place. It's kind of like, when you have a superhero, that's almost one of the traits that gets given to them automatically. Like, we don't need to know why they think a person is worth saving. When you don't yeah, know who they are. Very surely you don't go through your life really thinking like this. I hope. <laughs> 
Please. <laughs> they just rely on the sheer luck that Norman and Octavius do not turn out to be prone to compulsive lying along with their other obvious mental instabilities that- They didn't like- no, They relied on they're... them not being prone to compulsive lying. But that's not their character. I was gonna say, that's not that's luck. That's who they are. Yeah, that's not luck. That, that's, they aren't that thing. Doc they are Oc. not that thing, and Peter doesn't have a reason to think they are that thing. Doc Ock is a aggressive and arrogant in Spider-Man 2 when he's got the, the legs are controlling him, and he doesn't take shit from anybody, and he's, he's oftentimes making fun of people, too. Like, that's just... He's, he's that kind of guy. He doesn't... I don't see him... I don't even know what she means. What does she think would happen if they lied, exactly? What is she talking about? Peter like, would have to not only... It's like, why why would Peter think they were compulsive liars anyway? But like, as what, as what is she suggesting is they could have achieved if they were liars? Mm. And they would, they would have to lie, and Peter would have to believe that they were lying too. And Peter would have to believe it to such an extent that he would want to kill them for I, the lying, they were lying why wouldn't he well, want to maybe try to help him out that's what i'm saying let's run the scenario doc ock is incredibly friendly he doesn't even do the whole fight scene at the beginning he just comes in he's like oh hey man and then doc strange puts him in a prison and it's like whoa what, why did you do that and then uh they're like you know what what do you do are you dangerous and nobody else tells the truth and he just goes no i'm a, i'm just a friendly dude i invented these arms to help me get around and they help me build my machines that help the world and hopefully you can get me back literally what changes about the plot Hmm. Yeah. And Going to be like, oh, well, you. then it's convenient because uh, had he done that from the get-go, then Peter might have let him go. And it's like, yeah, but then you have to just say, well, first of all, he wouldn't. But secondly, why would Doc Ock do that? Why would he be like, I, he's crashing around in our universe looking for Peter Parker. Um, we don't get context for how he ended up on that bridge or what he thinks of the world he's currently in or what he thinks is happening, but... How he got his new shirt. Yeah. How is it? It just it amuses me to think that he spawned somewhere and just walked all that way looking for Peter Parker, I guess. Or, or not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he was doing because uh, smashing into a motorway probably isn't the best thing to do to get to your machine. Yeah. Um, and he was shirtless when he dis like at the point in the timeline that he disappeared from. So he had to crash through a, a clothes store first. Maybe, maybe, he yeah. be, maybe he was really cold or something because he was. <laughs> Quite, he was quite wet when he was uh, during that point in the film in Spider-Man Two. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> he, uh, he hates Spider-Man and he feels confident he can defeat him in a fight. So I don't see why he would do anything other than what we see him do in in his opening scene with Spider-Man. Like it's it's weird to say that it's it's like a convenient thing that they're not lying to Peter when I don't think it changes much of anything at all. And then Norman, why would he lie? He's like the personality of Norman Osborn, not Green Goblin, is this tortured soul that's desperately looking for help. It doesn't make sense any in any way that he would lie. And they, these things yeah. are convenient. That led them to have criminal tendencies. For all Peter cares, all of them could be born as sociopathic manipulative psychos. And we as an audience undoubtedly root for the entire... What do you mean for all Peter cares? I don't even know what she's... Why would we ever I assume mean, someone is just why? inherently like evil and, and unsalvageable? That's... Yeah, that is quite the... That's... uh. Quite a damnation on someone. Wouldn't be rooting for Peter if you would just assume everyone is just a psychotic liar all the time. Yeah, like what he's if like... Aunt May told, told him about Norman and he's like, I'm pretty sure he's like evil. We have no reason to think that he's a good person. How weird would that be? 
Yeah. And he fuck, she focused on Sandman when she said that. And he's just like, he's probably the more clear cut, like, not he evil Peter person there. When they meet for the <laughs> yeah. first time, he fucking saves Peter from a big electric shock. And he says yeah, his motivation like is to save allies. his daughter. There's literally nothing about him that makes you go, oh, well, he's probably psychopathic, actually. So kill him. <laughs> I don't, this is, this is so weird. Because we are not not stupid enough to understand that without our already existent knowledge of them, this plot would not even make sense. You haven't demonstrated that at all. Uh, not at all. Or maybe yeah. we're not 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 stupid, but we are just unbothered enough to ignore how stupid the plot is. But alas, it's downright insulting how this movie tries to use our knowledge and compassion for these characters against our own intelligence. As I said, if anything, Tasm put me against uh, two of them. But like, and I think this film helped by pointing out the silly motivations, right? Being like, yeah, he just wanted to turn everybody into a lizard. Like, wait, what? <laughs> you uh, what? <laughs> and um, yeah, and Electro making it a very clean and understandable motivation from the get-go, as far as I'm concerned in this film. Just, he wants power. He loves the way he looks and feels in this world. And that ties in a lot to Max in uh, Tasm 2 being... Agency. Yes, and, and just... To be something that's not lame and loserish, like he wants to be something more, um, and and that's why I really like that once he loses the power, uh, Andrew Garfield Spider Man is just like you know Max, are you, and he's just like yeah, I'm tapped out. That's it. Like what else is there? Legends. Yeah. It's like if in Endgame Avengers went, you know what? We feel bad for Thanos. He sounds so sad. Right. So and this is not comparable because yeah. Thanos is. Actively trying to destroy the universe. You yeah. have to stop him from actively trying to destroy the universe. It's not an apt comparison. I also yeah, don't that relies on our meta. That just relies on the audience not wanting the universe to be destroyed. I also don't <laughs> mind uh, acknowledging that there is a humanity in Thanos. Uh, they try to show pieces of it. Uh, yeah, it's gone by Endgame. Endgame yeah, when he Endgame. wants to destroy, shred the universe to its last atom, whatever that means. But Time. I guess to. To hammer it in, it's not an apt comparison when you kill somebody it, who, who is actively trying to destroy the universe, like right at this moment, and if you don't stop him, he will, yeah. versus these are people who I have under my, essentially, captive, I have leverage against them, and I have the means to maybe save them. I'm going to give it a shot. It's just not, a, it's not comparable. Yeah, and Spider. Another thing to really mention here is like when you watch Wolverine fighting someone or Iron Man fighting someone, they don't have the same approach as Spider Man. Uh, Spider Man doesn't want to kill people. He's he's a lot like Batman in that he pretty much has a no kill rule. And so to bring up Thanos and like the final fight and all that stuff, I was just like, yeah, these are different scenarios we're talking about here. Yeah, Let's I remember Peter was killing the fuck out of the minions at the, the oh, end of Endgame. Yeah. Space dogs. Yeah, space dogs are okay. <laughs> Oh, right. yeah. ...against our own intelligence. It's like if in Endgame, Avengers went, You know what? We feel bad for Thanos. He sounds so sad and grumpy all the time. Let's just time travel I back guess and help my him question get into art like, school or something. If, and yeah, I can... If, what if, like, at the end of... Does she think that at the end of Avengers, when they had Loki captive, they should have been like, Nah, I can't trust him, and then Hawkeye releases the arrow and it goes right through his Dude, eye. this is the thing. Let's pretend for a second Iron Man snap, there's a glitch in it, and everything dies except Thanos, only his legs disappear, and he falls to the ground, he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> kind of funny, but consider the fact that it's like, well, now what is he going to do? He hasn't got his stones, he can barely walk, he has no army. I think they'd feel pretty bad about killing him at that point. They'd be like... Well, uh, they're not going to execute him. 
Yeah, and that's like, kind of what I'm getting at. Like, is the Avengers are not going to execute people. And so um, this whole like, why not? Well, funnily enough, what she just highlighted there is why didn't they go back in time and try and encourage him to be a better person? It's like, well, first of all, mechanically, that wouldn't change anything in their current situation according no, to their own rules. According to their mm -hmm. own stupid rules. Secondly, there are a shit ton of things they didn't do that they could have done, and because that's all fucked. Like the the whole time traveling stuff, really yeah. bad. Yeah, it's badly written. Already feel hundreds of people. <laughs> you know, Fringy, um, in the comments. The, this is a, this is a complete tangent, but um, uh, you, you mentioning Spider Man's no kill rule just reminded me of a comic where I think it was a Spider Man Wolverine team up, and there's this right. woman the entire comic who's going to, up to Spider Man, going, "Kill me, no, kill me, no, kill me, no," and then at the end of the comic, they think they're in the clear. And then the woman's just like, yeah, 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 I'm going to sneak up on Spider-Man and he'll kill me from the reaction. <laughs> so he, she sneaks up on him and he just backhands her and snaps her neck by accident. And that's oh, how shit. the comic ends. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man kills this woman by, by accident. A grim reality. See, that, that, that is, though, like, that sounds funny, but, like, that would be something that would be the, the controversial and risky story to tell. Spider-Man accidentally kills... A, you know, an enemy. And what does he do to yeah. deal with that? To art school or something. And yeah, I can already feel hundreds of people lining up in the comments to pinpoint that that's just who Peter freaking Parker is. It's what he does. He is naive and young. And Stop saying naive hey, when you're Don, talking about... That's not naive. Like, that's yes, not, not naive. He doesn't want to kill people. But he it, just doesn't like, want to. It, it feels weird because she's calling all of us naive then. It's like, because I believe in humanity. I believe that we shouldn't kill people when they're in trouble. Like, why would you say that that's yeah. naive? That's so weird. Well, you haven't killed someone today? It's naive. It's legitimately downright refreshing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to have, like, a hero who wants to not only not kill the villains, but try to save them. Yeah. Like, go out of way to save them, put himself in danger to save them, and try to make them better. It's It's really, it's really cool. Especially yeah. when most villains just get killed. Um, like, there's no consideration at all. And to clarify, it's not even just about the whole killing them thing, which is crazy, but, like, believing you can help people. That's, that's like, exactly. a really good quality. Why would you say it's naive? Yeah. Which means he has no idea who they are. She's using that as a reason for why he shouldn't believe they can be helped. Yeah, when in that, reality, yeah, that is a reason right. you should believe it. It's like, you don't yeah, know anything that would counter the idea that you can help them. He doesn't 100%. want he doesn't want to save Green Goblin after he kills May. Yes. It, it's when he kills May that it's like, oh, no, I don't want to help you anymore because this is what you've done, you know? Toby reminds him. Important. That's right. Even for the what people do. who do this, things like that. We got to save all of them, right? And that's why he's so gullible and always messes up. He wasn't gullible. He was right. He wasn't gullible. He was, he correct. was correct. Yeah, what the fuck? When you give the cure to Norman... He no longer wants to hurt people. He's a good man. Like that, that, saved him. Doc Ock getting saved leads to other people getting saved in the film. Yeah. How could you possibly conclude saved... he was wrong? Like Doc Ock saves them and Electro. And if you seriously like... want to cite that Aunt May dies, I'd be like, so anytime there's collateral, whenever a good action is taken, it automatically means the overall act is bad. Which is which is makes you wonder, like, what do you do in Avengers when Loki's in New York? It's like, uh oh, one person died. Give give it up. It's over. We're yeah, let him take Loki. the planet. It's not worth it if we kill a person. And funnily enough, um, I feel like that's the point this film is making. That yeah, it cost Aunt May's life, but that doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. Well, as far as Aunt May's concerned, it was the right decision, even if it got her killed. 
which is I think that yeah, exactly. I think that was the message of No Way Home, right? Is that doing the right thing is really easy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> But there's a difference between a script using a character trait to make a person more complex and a script overusing the said character trait to flatten the character by- I can understand that, that every single time we need something crazy to happen, they rely on a particular character trait. For example, they're crazy or they're arrogant. And in this case, they're naive. But again, I don't consider what he does in this film to be naive. Um, except with the spell. Which I think is yeah, that, that, relatively yeah. fair. That's like much on, that's much more on Doctor Strange that I should have told him more. What I'm what I'm referring have... to is that Peter didn't have the capacity to say like we should plan out this spell and we should talk about the ethical nature of this spell. Like these are things that I can believe the kid that he is didn't uh, pan that out in his head properly. But him yeah. deciding that we should try and save people instead of letting them die or we should see what we can do to to help them. I don't consider that. Oh, they're only doing this crazy plotline because he's naive. No, that's actually something that he's learned at this point, and it's a strong foundation. Yeah, they're doing it because he's moral. That's uh, there's a very big distinction there. Besides, I don't know that um, it feels it does feel weird because like the other end of this argument is um, wait, are you saying that once you've used the, the naivety to to cause a particular issue in a script, you can never use it again when like all of us are naive on all kinds of things in life? Like, why would? It's gonna happen. Just yeah. like fucking all of the other characters in the MCU are gonna have moments in their films that they fuck up because they were naive. Yeah, like it takes a long time to become not generally naive. Like generally, you learn it case by case, and then eventually you might gain a larger wisdom from it. By abusing and excusing characters every single nonsense action by it. And if this was 2016, I would probably agree, but after Far From Home, that argument for this particular case could not be more wrong. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> like, yeah, his... Uh, like, him being... The problem is we don't agree on what he's done to be naive, so she's concluding other things from that being established, but we don't agree, so... Is, is what she's trying to say is, like, after Mysterio, Peter should be like, fuck it? Yeah, he, he shouldn't be naive about the nature of people anymore, but that's fucked up. People not are the lesson just going to betray from you. Home. They're just bad. I was going to say, it sounds like a villain, do doesn't things. it? That so does like, sound like this. That you're literally describing a villain's arc. Why are you so bad? Well, should become because in the last movie, this other guy was really bad. So I'm like, fuck it, they're all bad. All You're all the same. All you people are the same. All you villains are the same. The only thing that you're good for is dying. That, that's the only thing that is for you. There's no other way. I've seen what it does. It's literally a villain arc. Mm -hmm. We could all agree that Peter does yeah. act like an naive kid that causes him to do idiotic things, but we Sorry, idiotic. I'm assuming she does it on purpose. Yeah. Um, but, assume... uh, but yeah, saying, like, him giving the glasses to Beck to me is, yeah, that, that's fair to say that it was a naive choice, but it was built on a lot of what he thought was a responsible choice as part of that yeah, film's point. Didn't come out of nowhere. We can also all agree that that does not make him an idiot who cannot for his life mature or read between the lines ever. And I'm bringing this up because in Far From Home, the exact lesson that Peter learns is do not trust people you don't know. I, I, no, not even close. Are, That's not at all what Far From Home's about. Don't trust yeah. people you don't know. That is not at all just... Far from home. That's not like the point. Far from of that home film. is so much more about 
who are you going to be as a superhero in reference to the reality that the world has just lost Iron Man? Can you fill his shoes? And then Far From Home says, I don't have to fill his shoes. I am Spider-Man. I'm Spider-Man. I'll, I'll take my own thing my own way. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's not about trust people don't trust you people don't you don't know. I never even considered that was something that was in Far From Home. I would not have <laughs> begun to guess it. If you Why said, the fuck would Peter Parker... It, be a person that's like, if I don't know a person, I can never trust. It's like, no, no, he's a friendly dude. He's, 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 he'll, when he walks past someone on the street and sees that they're, I don't know, gonna go help some old lady cross the road, so he's not gonna be like, hmm, I don't know them. They might kill her. Uh, gotta be careful with that. No, he's, this is ridiculous. And it's definitely not what is to be learned from Far From Home. Uh. Because sometimes people we trust might turn out to be psychos, manipulators, megalomaniacs. Okay, so if we conclude that, then what about all the people he has trusted and has turned out good? Would that not then give him a ratio of some kind of how much he should probably do it? If there's only yeah. a 1% chance that they could be lying, it needs to be taken with an, as an absolute certainty. <laughs> And, and actually, we got to remember that this is the remember out of all the Spider Man, MCU Peter has probably more reason to trust than others because he lives in a world where he, where super powered people in general do do the right thing. Um, a lot of the time, we have entire teams forming with of super powered people doing the right thing. So uh, this is a very flawed argument because Peter has essentially personally only come across what three or four people at this point with. Um, uh, powers and abilities that uh, have done the wrong thing, and that includes an Avengers team-up style thing, so... You know what else? She's just categorically wrong that that could even be something he could learn. As far as he was aware, he did know Mysterio. He lied to Yeah, her. a lot of this is based off of yeah. his perception, like a lot of the previous points, so... It's just like, this like doesn't, Norman. it's not fair at all. He's worked with Mysterio to save the world, he's had several conversations with him, he's been told about this heroic history. It's like, yeah, I feel like I know him at this point, and I feel like he can take care of uh, Edith as a, a technology or whatever. And then it's like, yeah, well, you should have waited until you knew him. Like, how is he supposed to know that? It, it, Mysterio's entire point as a character is that he has a constant illusion as to what he actually is. You never get to find out the truth. So, yeah, just, just enlighten me as to when it counts that you know someone. Is it when you feel you know them, or when they reveal their true identity to you? And how the fuck do you tell the difference? Well, he was meant to learn this lesson, I guess, because evidently uh, he uh, hasn't. And it's funny that she's saying that with the clip of Electro going past, when Electro is kind of a good guy. He just, uh, with, with the thing that happens to him, he gets power hungry as hell. Taking that away from him puts him back into being a normal, nice guy. But it's like, yep. nope, Peter was wrong to have tried to help him. And you should never trust anybody that you don't know. I don't even know what she means by that exactly. Is she saying that he should never have trusted that they wouldn't kill people when that's explicitly something Peter's accounting for with the box? Yeah, yeah got, why would he need the, the why would he need to button. threaten him with that if he just completely and fully trusted him? Exactly. Without... It, it feels like this is very incomplete as a thought. Definitely from No Way Home and Far From Home, Peter's trust in Beck's character makes complete sense since Mysterio literally spends like half a movie gaining it. Because even So now I'm just lost. 
Yeah. Now I don't see <laughs> how you can tell. She, Peter offers them an ultimatum. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the fact she just acknowledged that Mysterio lied to him and manipulated him into thinking that he knew him. And she said, you shouldn't trust people you don't know. It's like, Peter thought he knew him. He thought yeah. he was a good guy. Yeah. That was his mistake, but like, that's, he, he didn't really have much reason we, to think otherwise. Are we to assume then that Peter just can, he's just this crazy, he's like, he can, I can never trust anybody because ultimately they could be lying to me down the road. Like, okay. <laughs> Even though the script is aware of Peter's naivety, it does not treat him like an idiot. Even then, Peter's inexperience and Mysterio's manipulative skills cause Parker to miscalculate in his trust. Which my friends concludes in this scene. What? You are so dumb. To be fair, he's talking about the fact that he believed this whole situation. It was an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um... That's to do with Spider-Sense as well, just uh, being aware of how much you're being pulled and pushed into different directions. I don't think this has to do fundamentally with, it's not like Fury says, you trust people that you don't even know. I really don't think that's the point being made. What? I mean, you're smart as a whip. Just a... Sucker. And now all your friends have to die. Gonna pause for the old copy, tism. Yeah, mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. it's protected or not, so this is going to be awkward. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> just... <laughs> Better yeah. safe than sorry. It's easy to fool people when they're already fooling themselves. Easy to fool people when they're already fooling themselves, and he's referring to the fact that Spider-Man thinking that he could ever, like, be the hero that uh, who has inspired him to get to this point, which is the villain talking, because it's not about filling their shoes, it's about being your own. You got to play a lot of this. Yeah, I mean it's it's tilted and filtered yeah. and mm -hmm. yeah. But the audio is like clear enough, isn't it? It's a little bit clear enough. Yeah, I suppose. But I maybe the. Mm. I really am sorry. And here I am to believe that after that whole nightmare that this poor child went through, not only he does not have any trust issues or PTSD. Trust issues he doesn't and PTSD. Have to have, you yeah, he you doesn't don't have, to have to have those things, though. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not like, I tick the boxes for PTSD. Why don't you have it, damn it? Because that's not <laughs> how it works. He, um, if he did after this event, that would be one thing, but he doesn't oh, I mean, have he to. That's he kind of already had that after the snap. Well, it, yeah. After having died and, and watching his father figure die, um, it, that, that fucked him up quite a bit. This, I think we can argue, did a different thing, where he, he got brought to a rock bottom on the plane with Happy, and then by the end, he says, uh, uh, does he say, you can't trick me anymore? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's coming out of it strong. It's, it's like a thing, right? When you get uh, hammered, you can break or you can become like hardened. And uh, I feel like yeah. Far From Home is a hardened situation where he's just like, you tried to fuck me over and I've beaten you. Exactly. But he is also ready and willing to trust literal confirmed murderers. I, I, I don't know what you mean by trust anymore. Trust. It isn't but he trust. Doesn't. He doesn't trust. He, 
He just wants to help them. He does. He knows that he he says if you even try to do something, you are getting zapped back to your own universe. This is how it's gonna work. It doesn't imply that he trusts that they won't do anything wrong, does it? Seems to imply no. something else. However, if she's simply referring to he trusts the idea that he can help them become better people, I'd just be like, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you'd think that's bizarre. <laughs> for no reason at all like it's so weird to hear it when like that's part of a big point this film makes about spider-man like five days after being completely and utterly betrayed deceived and traumatized by a horrible person why why yes we... by a horrible person he recognizes the person who did this to him is a bad person who has goals Peter knows he was manipulated by a very bad person. If Peter assumed from this point out that everyone <laughs> was trying to get one over him and manipulate him, and so he never trusted anyone, that would be a villain arc. That would this would that would be a totally different Peter that isn't the one in the film. Yeah, I suppose you could take him down that pathway. You could. But why the fuck would you? Unless yeah, unless you want to take him on a be... dark path where he just hates everyone. It's like okay, zero movie by Mysterio. If his actions in Far From Home make him naive, then his actions in No Way Home within the context of Far From Home make him out to be a complete halfwit, because at the end of the last movie, he is no longer a naive child, but an ex- You can't just say, someone learns something, they're no longer naive. Like, that's crazy. That's just not yeah. how it works. Like, you could only get fooled by a person in on your life, topic, and then in one you way. just- and then you just flip into being a villain. That's just how it works. I hope. I hope not. I hope this is just for your fucking video, and you don't. You, you don't, don't believe no one, this. No one does this. No, <laughs> you could not operate in society with this mentality. You couldn't do it. He is. Um, he realizes his own like faulty motivations in Homecoming. He loses a, a bit of his naivety in that film. Does that mean it shouldn't be present at all in Far From Home? It's like she's arguing that. He's naive in the first two because he learns to not be naive in this one. And it's like, are you... What are you talking about? That is like a constant trait for everyone. You, you, What you need to argue to me is that it was out of character levels of naivety. For example, like, oh, you know, Doctor Strange was just naive about uh, the nature of the Book of Vishanti because he didn't read the book about the Book of Vishanti that was given to the Sorcerer Supreme. It's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like the the level of um of mistrust and um, bitterness she's describing is more consistent with a consistent and long term history of being fucked over again and again, not just one bad experience. This is a, this seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding with how most people work, people where work, we yeah. tend to bounce back experienced dude whose gullibility has cost him a lot of trauma in the past. No Part of... Uh, this is annoying. Saying like, ah, oh, his gullibility, it's like a lot of it is to do with the fact that he believes in people. Yeah. And it's like to, to, to always shake that off that as gullibility. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's like we shouldn't just... Every time someone, you know, stretches out a hand to help somebody and every time it goes wrong, you say, he's so gullible. It's like, man, okay. Yeah. Just being lied to and manipulated. I mean, that that's kind of how it is reasonable to believe lies based off of the information that you're presented. You can be unreasonable but be correct. If someone 
goes through a lot of effort. And if they're very good at manipulating you, if they're very good at misleading you, if they're very good at warping information that they present to you, the most reasonable thing that you could do in a situation is to believe that person. Exactly. Yeah. It's based off of information that is not true, but it's your processing of that information and what you should expect to be able to believe. Just because someone has lied to you and you believed it does not make you gullible. It's ridiculous if we had someone on EFAB who just, you know, a guest, we've seen a couple of videos from them, and they're like, yeah, I had actually a, a, that wasn't even my first channel. My first channel was all about reviewing soap, if you can believe it. And we were all just like, wow, really? And he's like, yeah. And you go, yeah, like, and he just starts making shit up. He's like, do you know the color of soap actually affects how it <laughs> smells and stuff? And we're just like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's not just like a simple dye that does nothing. A lot of people think that, but the nature of dyeing soap. Yeah, there's chemicals yeah, in like, it. Yeah, like you can't just dye a soap arbitrarily. You have to yeah, actually change its components chemically. And we're just like, oh, really? And then he goes, man, yeah, you guys sense. are gullible. It's like, <laughs> like no, no, that, that's probably actually true. I, I don't, I, <laughs> even if you told me you were lying, I don't believe you when you say that you were lying. Well, what you said I'm before not... sounds really, really reasonable. What I would say is, I'm not fucking familiar with soap, and I gave you a basic believability as a human being. I don't know why I would just assume anything you tell me that I'm not familiar with is a lie. That's just stupid. Yeah. But no, I would be gullible at that, so just like, okay, whatever, fine. No, I yeah, don't know. The color of soap is determined by the magic spell that was used at the factory to determine its <laughs> cleanliness rating. And then it'd be like, I don't believe you. He's using his youth as an excuse for his nonsense behavior. Even it's not nonsense behavior, it's and it's sad nonsense. that you call it that. Yeah. It is sad. So he's basically an adult at this point who has been through almost the exact ex What do you mean when you say basically an adult? Are you implying that he's still got time to grow like most what? adults do no, like he's 16 17 up. right by far from home i think so yeah god the amount i had to learn at that point still <laughs> like i don't know why we <laughs> you had like a whole movie where he learned things why is he still learning things it's like oh no because life is a little more complicated than that Experiences that I, I he promise you i did not have all the answers at, at age 17 <laughs> i promise wow. you that Fucking gullible. Yeah, gullible. Encounters no. in this movie, but somehow due to amnesia or maybe a genius writing that I do not have enough IQ to comprehend. It's not about maybe. IQ, it's literally just morality. I'm very confused why you, you have such an issue with someone valuing a fellow human being's capacity for change and goodness. Yeah. Why do the people we cover have this problem consistently? <laughs> I, really I am genuinely going to be as nice as possible up. and assume she's accidentally written herself into saying something she doesn't believe. I hope so. For this the is sake such a weird thing to say. Like, I have a feeling that if you're in this call right now, she would be like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. And I'd be like, okay, let's see what you actually meant because it didn't come through. Still has not learned a thing. Oh, he's also a, a been, been to space, battled with Thanos, is a physician, mathematician, chemist, engineer. But simultaneously, he has not enough brain cells to decide against trapping the men who saw 14 million different outcomes of Infinity War and helped Avengers choose the only one that would end in their victory and who is the only helpful and competent person on this earth when it comes to magic and who is willing to help instead of letting out five deadly criminals to freedom. Oh, I guess she, she so, must have missed the scene. It's just fine. We can tell her about it. There was this scene where Doctor Strange says, Time to send him back, and I've got it all in this big box spell. Here I go, button appears, ready to press, and then Peter's like, well, if you send them back, they'll die. And Doctor Strange says, 
several like a, a couple of lives in the grand calculus of the multiverse is a worthy sacrifice mm -hmm. to maintain blah 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 and he's like we can't do that and um i'm pretty sure he says like don't do it and then and then stranger's just like sorry kid what's gonna happen and then he um he does the little thwip grabby and doc strange's like no um this scene is supposed to tell you as an audience that they are fundamentally diametrically opposed as to the solution to this problem Doctor Strange cannot help Peter with Peter's goals. Spider-Man, Civil War. Kinda. <laughs> I'm sad. Also, all of the things she said about engineering and chemistry, that didn't that's not applicable to uh, that other decision. So You're right, and it's really weird to to say about a person who studied all those subjects that they are those things, if you know what I mean. Like, he is a... It feels weird to refer to him as a physicist, as opposed to a boy who understands physics quite well. Yeah. I, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this in an inaccurate way to put it, it just makes it sound as though he has diplomas in all of these things. Yeah, I think... Like, I, he's planning you know, to go to university, that film, is he not? Like, that means he has a lot more to learn. Well, yeah, yeah. The, we're expecting the next trilogy will be his college years, hopefully. But I'm not sure how that's going to work when he's wiped his personality <laughs> off the fucking face of the earth. <laughs> He'll find oh, yeah. a way. I'm sure it'll all make sense. <laughs> it'll totally <laughs> make sense. Actually, um, the, the, speaking of that, the spider, the, that was a joke, the Spider-Man Civil War thing, but then I remembered that if the villains hadn't leaked ahead of time, apparently... What they were going to do with the marketing is they were going to actually just advertise it as, oh yeah, it's Spider-Man versus Doctor Strange. This is what No Way Home is going to be about. And then it was going to be this big reveal that all the villains were back and everything. So I just wonder what it would have been like to live in that universe where none of the leaks happened and we had no idea mm -hmm. about any of the appearances ahead of time. I remember reading a really early leak that described it as uh, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man uh, hunting down all of the like, Raimi and Tasm villains and putting them in the little prison cells. And I remember reading that and being like, that sounds so shit. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but well, uh, the context of it is a lot better than it sounds. Would you say you were naive? I was. I was ignorant, naive, yeah. and uh, foolable. Gullible. It was horrible. Gullible. I've also muted my this god. now so that I can just play. Oh, I'll put it back up now. <laughs> okay, let's begin with an elephant in the room. If the elephant looks like an unapologetic goddess, a strong badass, and also a terribly written poor excuse of a plot device. Oh. oh. Alright. <laughs> oh no. So this is the thing, she's done with this section on Peter Parker. We dramatically disagree with her about almost everything she said and that was the biggest issue she takes with the film this is like runner-up i guess or maybe this ah. is the bigger issue i'm not actually sure but um aunt may was not the same as aunt may in the raimi films nor in the comics necessarily in terms of their um approach with the character in homecoming and far from home she doesn't get a lot of time mm -hmm. she's um not as relevant as a lot of people would have preferred However, I wouldn't describe anything we see as uh, dramatically inconsistent. There's, there's gaps, though. Mm -hmm. Ones that I would have preferred them to have filled. Like, her, um, in Homecoming, she tells Peter that if, if something troublesome it was ever to happen, he needs, to, he needs to run and get out of there, sort of thing. I think it's one of the first conversations they have. Um, and then, of course, when she finds out he's Spider-Man, by the time we get to Far From Home, she's very encouraging of him as Spider-Man. 
And yep. so it feels yeah. like there should be at least a scene where we get her to explain her position on how she feels about him being Spider-Man. And that could be as simple as her saying, I have seen Spider-Man do so many incredible things to know that that's your, like, potential. I never have to worry about you being in some kind of ridiculous danger. I have to be proud of you for being someone who's helped so many people. That's sort of just something like that to connect yeah. the two yeah. maze that we'd be aware of. Instead, I guess they rely on us to just simply infer once she found out he was Spider-Man, she had a change of heart in that she knows that he's strong and capable. And I think that's a relatively fair inference considering her um her goals uh, with... The, uh, I can't remember how it begins in Homecoming exactly, but in Far From Home they reference she's she's got like a a situation in her career of helping people, right? Well, because she runs Feast, which is the... Uh basically like community center yeah um because happy is talking to her at that place in far from home right and i don't well, think it's... i mean in far from home at the beginning feast like right, she's yeah. the one who organized the event so. yeah and then spider-man will make appearances because you know yeah. quote-unquote hero but also because right. reality is peter parker yeah you know well, well yeah well one, one of my um i guess criticisms of far from home is that we didn't really get um a, a flashback that kind of continues on from the cliffhanger of um homecoming because i think that is a very poignant moment to see um aunt may finding out about peter and all the baggage that comes with that but at the same time it's not you're right it, it isn't overly inconsistent it's just there's there is a there is a space there that um as audience members we would preferably like to see filled yes um and then no way home does a lot with her um and i quite liked a lot of it so it's interesting to see her referred to as an like a poorly written plot device okay give me your argument wrong words in the past two movies aunt may was just there her connection with Peter was always evident, and more times than not, quite wholesome even. But she could barely even be considered to be a supporting character, let alone the most sensible one. May's purpose- Let alone the most sensible one? I'm lost. Could barely be considered to be a supporting character, let alone a sensible supporting character. She's definitely a supporting character by any definition of the word. I was gonna say, I don't know what you'd refer to her as if she doesn't get to be supporting. Or sensible. Hmm. in the story was almost always centered around adding a familiar relatability factor to Peter Parker's everyday life. And it would make sense why MCU would decide to switch up May's and Ben's story arcs for obvious reasons, but it's as clear as day She's that alive. MCU never actually yeah. made that decision. Yeah. I don't know how long I don't, even, I don't know, yeah, I'm not sure what she's saying the, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Does she mean just because, yeah, the, Ben was already dead at this point in the story because they wanted to move past that point in peter's story they donated someone to play i think what she's saying is like they kind of wanted may to fit that role but they weren't definitive or conclusive on that choice and so she was kind of in limbo for a while that's my hmm. reading of what she's saying well um not until disney decided that they wanted to capitalize off of spider-verse's success and now suddenly on may goes from an occasional comic relief and a relatable embarrassing auntie to an entire moral and emotional backbone of spider-man because she, well i mean well she didn't well, need to I mean, be she, before in the same capacity well, so the story so took her in that direction i find it yeah. weird to say spider-verse made that happen like may's always been like a hugely important yeah. part of peter's uh in pretty much every piece of media about Spider-Man, like in a in a sense, May is a lot more important than Ben. 
because she's present in his life for such a long time. It's really she's weird like to say Spider-Verse is what prompted the decision to make her important in No Way Home, as opposed to this is the film that Peter loses the most. Or, yeah. you know, all of the Spider-Man. Yeah, even Spider-Man yeah, well, PS4 would be a better example of, of them wanting to have maybe much more of, like, the moral backbone. Yeah, well, what's weird about this for me is that Aunt May in the, in the previous two films, she was, um... She was never in the thick of it like she is here. Like this is, this is this is a case where everything is coming home, <laughs> uh, quote unquote, uh, for Spider Man. So that means that she is going to be thrust more into this role, and that doesn't mean that she wouldn't have been that if she was more, if she was, say, in Europe or, or um, whatever in um, the, the last couple of films. It's just that she was never her place in the story. Like there wasn't really an organic way to. To, to put her in that role in the in the other film so that's that for me that it just read as you know she wasn't it didn't read as oh suddenly she is this it was more like oh now suddenly she's in these new circumstances so a part of her character that just didn't have much of a chance to come out before yeah. is now being allowed to be displayed so i think I, I don't get it if feast wasn't implied or addressed at all right up until no way home i would feel it's a little clunky uh but it is set and that is just a great idea because what kind of person do you have to be to make something like feast like well you're gonna have to be someone who cares about other people right and that's helpful in terms of understanding peter it's, he's got a parent who would obviously have instilled some of these values into him as he was growing up along with uncle ben likely a lot of a lot of that coming from both of them but the idea that it's like she's his moral backbone and that's like lame or something when, it, when it's just like, well, I, I actually prefer the idea that we have a strong reason for why Peter has been characterized the way that he was up until he was a kid. Like you can uh, rather like pre preteen, I guess, like um, you would have had inspiration from those people in his life that were raising him like this. It's the same for Superman, like Superman, which wasn't born good. It's the, the Kents are really important to making Clark who he is. Um, same for uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt May, but like we having her reinforcing the right thing to do in this film is completely suitable. I don't know why we would ever consider it like plot devicey. Yeah. So we're saying we, we, we don't want her to be in the movie at all then? Just it be a background like character and just don't do anything with her? Sounds like she's su suggesting that uh, Aunt May's sort of stalwart position about doing good came out of nowhere in order to force Spider-Man to think to do good when it's it, it would have been present with Feast. Like, there's no way she has an organization yeah. like that and doesn't feel that way. It's very implicit, yeah. It's just that she hasn't been a focal point until this film. Plot. And this last-minute switch-up causes the movie to rely what's supposed to be the most gut-wrenching moment in the trilogy on the relationship and the character that was never correctly set up to have emotional impact of that magnitude. Which I, I disagree. Mean, I, I feel like entirely. Uh, of all the characters that could impact Peter emotionally, I feel like Aunt May is the top of that list. The especially only now that might be able to contest that would be Iron Man. He's already dead, so that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, post post Endgame, I mean, she's at the top of the list. Who else would it be? Like he's lived with her this whole time. They're they they're essentially his parents. I I don't know who who would it be. You'd have to invent a new character, and well, that would. It almost feels like um, 
the point that's being made here is, well, she didn't have, like, a whole lot of screen time in the prior two films. It's like, sure, but the relationship existed, and it's easy to infer yeah. what that relationship would be, because it's pretty, it's a pretty clear one. There's She's some really good scenes with them, though. Like, when he there are, comes there are, home from the fairy situation. Yep. yep. I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, like, who does Peter lean on in his most vulnerable hours in these films? It's pretty consistently Aunt May. It may be Ned or MJ at certain points, but Aunt May is always the person that he will cry to, that he will um, that he will let those emotions out to. Like, I think he did to Happy in Far From Home, but that was because Aunt May physically wasn't in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, the only reason they wasn't able to do that. And I think it's really fair to highlight. It's She's like a rock to him. There's no way she's reliable. She'll always be there. And she's taken away in this film. Yep. It's last, last of his family. <laughs> like, isn't that enough already? That's what I mean. It feels yeah. weird that she's like, like, you can't have as big of a... Um, it's another awkward thing as well because like, well, it worked for me, so yeah, it, like, it really works. I need for me. I need a better uh, argument yeah. than it's it's just not it doesn't work. It's like okay, what else you got? Which in turn makes the emotional arc of the movie completely depend on the last minute decision to screw Tony Stark and clumsily shove the quote to I compensate for Aunt May's no, no, no. The resolution of what his relationship with with Tony was far from home. That's the resolution. In terms of his relationship with Tony, I'm not even a hundred percent clear on what her point is here. I think it's almost I'm, that Tony I'm was the dead. vehicle for responsibility as a message, and they changed their mind later on, and then decided to make it May. As Whereas far as I'm really concerned, think... it's it's Tony, May, and uh, Ben. All three of them had a hand in this. Parker's, uh, well, at, yeah. and and Toby and Andrew. Yep, definitely those two. In the end, it's a lot of people. A I lot of components. It doesn't yeah. need to be one. It doesn't need to be just one. And in a certain and, sense, Tony's role is, has been fulfilled at this stage. Um, and Tony's um, and Tony's still lingers in certain ways. He's still using his safe house. He still has Happy, who was very monumental. Not, in not anymore. Tony, like, uh, so, well, yeah, he had. Um, uh, but he, within the context of No Way Home, like, he's not a, he's not abandoned. Tony Stark by any stretch, like he's there's still lingering threads. I'm kind there. of hoping she develops it. It's Set up to have emotional strange. impact of that magnitude, mm. which in turn makes the emotional arc of the movie completely depend on the last minute decision to screw Tony Stark and clumsily shove the quote to compensate for Aunt May's lack of emotional resonance with the audience. In the past what? movies, as Uncle Ben, uh, I disagree, but go on. For I guess. Yeah, like I don't continue. I guess. Hells, Peter. With great power, I'm not gonna say the quote. It is done in a way that these words that initially flew over Peter's head were forever imprinted in his brain by the traumatic experience of losing his uncle by not following his advice. When Peter does not listen to his uncle, does not use his powers for greater good, does not take responsibility, it directly causes Uncle Ben's death. That is the reasoning behind Uncle Ben. Which, by the way, I appreciate, but I'm assuming we all agree, that's quite a coincidence. Sure but like, is. The, the, the one, message is the given to him person. by this man, and he ignores that message from this man, and the following day, the man dies as a result of Peter not taking responsibility. It's like, wow. Quite a coincidence. It doesn't... Mm. Uh, it's, not, it, it's not bad in any way for me understanding why a character would learn something so important as a result of this event. It's oh, just yeah. that that is I quite a coincidence, it. yeah. Yeah. Um, it's less of a coincidence from memory in... Um, 
in the Raimi ones because he's he's coming to pick Peter up, right? Yeah, so it's, in the Tasm like, ones, yeah, he's like in a town and he's just walking around and he happens to be sort of in the same vague area that Peter was when you, yeah, it's just. I think there are ways to write that that can make it much more cause and effecty. Um, yeah. Well, in in the original comic, it's the, I think it's um from memory, it's even worse because the guy gets away like in the Raimi films, but then he coincidentally breaks into the Parker house later that night, and that's when Uncle Ben oh, dies. Damn. Well, and, yeah. and this is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, um, it still works perfectly character-wise. It's just you know plot writing. It's just like, well, you didn't exactly take much. Uh, work to make those events happen that way, did you? And again, yeah. I already know that this will pr perhaps is the, the scariest part of this whole video for people listening right now. It's like, it's okay, don't worry about it, but it is something we typically highlight in plots, right? In other films, it's okay. Yeah. Ben's death. He needs to make Peter see, listen, and prove his words to be true. And here's what bugs me with No Way Home's writing. It makes this movie to be a living, breathing contradiction of itself. Right. You see, but, but, when Aunt May okay. hints at this to Peter, Peter does not act like any other Spidey boy. No, this Peter is smart. This Peter listens to his auntie. This Peter does take responsibility, which directly okay. causes Aunt May's death. Oh, wait. If this Peter did not take responsibility and sent Willem Dafoe to hell, Aunt May would have survived. Willem wouldn't. Willem Dafoe um, wouldn't go to hell, though. First of all, yeah, that's I... true. But secondly, uh, this is the part of the video that fucking sucks. He's completely what missed the... the point. I mean, what's she about? Uh, I you feel should have like gathered it already. So she's just said the contradiction is that yeah, yeah. And the, she encourages him to take responsibility. He does. She dies. That is the fucking opposite of what's supposed to happen, which is take responsibility. He doesn't, and she dies. This film screwed it's it up. Post. She doesn't realize oh, that a second point is being made by No Way Home that goes beyond the first point that most Spider-Man content makes with its first story. Which is that sometimes taking responsibility does have consequences. That and suck. you still have to try and push through anyway to still do the good thing, yeah. even in the face of these terrible consequences. Which is such a nuanced is, thing to like, say. Uh, it's yeah, like, May's, May's purpose in the story is, even though I have died because you, took res you did this, that was still the right thing to do, and you need to keep doing which, it. Pushes, you, have to, you have to keep going on. Which I think pushes with great power comes great responsibility to the literal fucking end. It's like, what if doing that costs you the ones you love? And like, that's what Aunt May dies saying. Still... Don't worry about it. It's still the right well, thing yeah, to do. Because that's her point is, even though I died, this was the right thing to do. And it's kind of the, it's the point that's essentially re-emphasized by the other Spider-Men. It's like, yeah, she died, but it would be in vain if you actually didn't, like, take her lesson on board, which is to continue to try and save them. It's that's crazy to me that, like, that's what... it's read as a contradiction as opposed to an additional point. Well, it's like, you, you've said that the point of the film is a contradiction when it's, the, like, the point of the film. It's kind of insane, actually, that this feels like a fundamental misunderstanding of the film. Well, yeah, I don't like to pull the card of you didn't understand, but this is her reading, and this is not what the film was trying to go for at all, and not the references that you can gather from the film. I think something got missed along the way. I think well, yeah, so. because it has because to be. If, if if you were to ask like John Watts, he he'd probably be like, "That was the that was 
point. Like he he wouldn't he wouldn't respond to that. Like oh, that's an intro. Oh, I didn't. Oh even, fuck! Wow. I screwed up. Yeah, yeah. it was supposed yeah. to be that she dies because Peter didn't take responsibility. Right, 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 right. No, that's absolutely not the case. Because this is the kind of stuff we talk about all the time. If someone said like, "Yep, you should always take responsibility and help people no matter well, what," we would. The first thing we would say is like. Well, I mean, so what if, and then homecoming, what if, far from home, what if, no way home, the, the taking responsibility gets one of your loved ones killed, but it ultimately she, is the right motivation. How would she square away that, because the last thing that Goblin says before Peter cures him is like, it's your fault that she's dead, and in response to that, he cures him. Like, how would you, because yeah. obviously that ties in directly to the whole thing with May's death, is... To continue to finish what she would have wanted to to take responsibility, even Dude. though it has these consequences. How all, would you? All the things we just said are what May says. Pretty much. Like I don't understand how this is missed. This this is really weird. This is the the big interesting point I think the film makes, which is the same situation Spider Man ends up in in a lot of the times, but this time it was caused by him taking responsibility. What does that say about taking responsibility? It says sometimes it fucking sucks and it can go Whoa, bad. Because remember, the point with him in terms of convincing him not to press the button is just because a bad thing happens because you took responsibility doesn't mean that the correct choice is not to take responsibility. Yes, the terrible thing happened because you tried to do the right thing. That's not a reason to not try to do the right thing. Yeah, it's like the bad point things can film. happen no matter what. That's just that's what doing things entails. Well, the, Some to, unintended consequences can just happen. And unfortunately, you need to do the right thing. it seems to me that had they, let's say, used Doc Ock's tentacles to wrap around Norman before he changed, just out of complete fear that he might, and then they uh, they perfect the serum, they even meet up with Toby, they sort that all out, everything goes well, Aunt May sends them all off, they all go happily ever after back to their places. You would have to make the video of like, well, Peter was right. <laughs> like anything could happen Peter if you had said to Peter when he introduces them into the apartment he's working on them you'd said to him you understand someone could die here right for as long as you try to help them and he'd probably be like it is possible yeah but I would rather do everything I can to save as many as I can which includes these guys yeah like I think that the lesson we're, we're meant to take away here is that um uh, responsibility and living up to that responsibility is not necessarily synonymous with having a happy ending and indeed often it's more yeah. synonymous with sacrifice and that's a lesson that spider-man will have to learn again and again and again and this guy's go going back to her point about tony this actually supports the idea that he did take a lot from tony because tony sacrificed himself uh, to live up to his responsibility to not just the world but the universe, right? Like in theory, ignoring all the problems with Endgame, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so this is him continuing on in that legacy of sacrifice. Of you know, you know, he doesn't just have May sacrificed in this film. He later on sacrifices his literally his place in the world so that the the universe can be like it, it's spiritual. He actually commits a very similar act to. Tony, like he, yeah. Peter Parker is killed essentially at the end of this film. Um, so I, I don't understand how she's reaching any of the conclusion she is. And he gets the point of deciding that, like, it seems to me this movie has him conclude if I don't have anybody special in my life, then I can continue to take responsibility and it doesn't cost them. 
when I actually think that yeah. you know, soon enough we'll have an arc where he realizes that's not what he should have concluded from this. Mm. That, you know, having people exactly. he loves in his life is important. Um, but it's a great way to, because that's, a, that's like a, um, doing the thing, right? Where you have a full arc, but you, you add a little bit on that's a little faulty and can be addressed for the next story. Because mm. um, it makes me, does make me wonder how they're gonna. Because you could do something interesting if the symbiote is there and it feeds into his negative thoughts. You could have that arc where he's already at like a pretty low point, then the symbiote comes along and then enhances those negative thoughts, and you can have an arc, kind of showing what a Spider-Man look like at his lowest point, and then he bounces back from that. That could be interesting. Mm -hmm. This is a stray thought of mine. Yeah. This Peter listens to his auntie. This Peter does take responsibility, which directly causes Ame's death. Oh, wait. If this Peter did not take responsibility and sent Willem Dafoe to hell, Aunt May would have survived. And all the villains would have and died. All the villains would have died. All of them even if they're not dead. all that villainous. Yeah. Like, it it feels. It's, it's almost like Aunt May is sitting here in the call being like, Did you not listen to anything I said? <laughs> <laughs> So what was the lesson to be learned here? Be and see, that's it for me. It's like doing the right thing is really hard. Yes. Your parents should have taught you this a long time ago. It, it's sad to me that it's just like, what is the point here when it feels so obvious? Uh, you're just sort of sitting here like, oh... Because in the past movies, while Uncle Ben died to prove his point, now Aunt May dies disproving it. Which no, no, no. So, so the point. So you shouldn't be responsible if your power falls. Is what you're saying? You shouldn't be responsible if it means that someone dies and something. Which know? is such a. So a what happens if reading. being irresponsible means someone dies? Now what? If someone's going to die either way, or the risk, if there's a risk that someone's going to die either way, then what? What? This now? Is what I mean, I think that she's trying to highlight that as the reality this film has now gotten itself into, which makes no sense. What, but like, like that's not at all. <laughs> I guess she thinks that just doing the right thing means no one will die. Like, collateral is usually inevitable with these superpowered conflicts. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take responsibility and try to minimize the overall loss of life by um, doing the right thing. Well, yeah, I mean, Tony well, dying mean? at the end of Endgame, that's... We should undo that, then. We don't want him to die. Yeah. He made a mistake. Yeah, that's What cool. she is saying here, it implies that the, the concept of self-sacrifice cannot work. Because what if the life lost is your own? What if doing the responsible good thing means that you die as a result? Well, it's or still a life one. being lost. So now, so is can we not do that anymore? Which hilariously makes her death a direct contradiction. Can't always win. That that this is the point. They're trying yeah, I to. I would say can't pitch. always have a clean win. That's kind of yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Can't have to everything his point now aunt may dies disproving it which hilariously makes her death a direct contradiction of her own words which in turn devalue the moral isn't this isn't this crazy like it's i don't a, it's not a contradiction it's I, she, if it was a contradiction you'd think that her last words would be oh fuck well never mind then <laughs> that that goddamn goblin we never should have helped him fuck yeah you should have you should have killed him why are you so naive that should or be the half fuck I just want to be like, because I don't see if I can get the uh, ripped. No way home. Because the the fact that she's talking about this 
when it's it's all available in the, in the scenes themselves because she's like you contradicted what you just said on May and it's just like man if I remember that scene that's exactly where all of us get our um our take from the movie on like that's exactly where we know all of this the point being made also you can draw it in uh, other ways it's just that it's bizarre that we're at this point um. Like she says, must also come, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually closer to the comic. She actually says oh. the quote closer to the comic than uh, the Raimi film does. Um. Yeah, he says, this is all my fault. I should have just listened to Strange and let him send them back. He says, no, you did the right thing. They would have been killed. You did the right thing. Mm -hmm. He says, but it's not my responsibility. And then she says, oh, what Norman said? My moral mission, like, because Norman implies that the only reason uh, it's being done is because of uh, Aunt May having tricked him into doing it. And then um, she says, no, you listen, uh, and does, does the line, of course. And a lot of it is implied in terms of um, what he is supposed to take from it, I suppose. But the fact that he says, I should have listened to Strange, and she says, no, you did the right thing, as she realizes she's dying. I feel like the point has been made. Yeah, pretty clearly. Yeah. That Peter has to learn here, since if Peter did act like a responsible buggy boy, she never would have died. Oh, and I'm not done talking about this quote, by the way. Is there a problem with hearing the quote used for a million time in these movies? To be honest, no, not really. These words are a huge part of Peter Parker's story, and without it, his character and writing is incomplete by all accounts. And I mean, unless you wanted to make it about something different. I'm gonna say you, yeah. you can uh, get the line across or the message across without even using the line. So, you know, don't try to restrict yourself too hard there. You'll be alright. Doesn't even mm. have to be the message. Any, any if you want to make yeah. a Peter Parker who's downright morally dubious or villainous. I mean, that's that's you, you could can do that. Do that. You can story. tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you, not a post that intrinsically at all. Yeah, you could you could do a story where like Peter Parker like retired because he killed Mary Jane with his radioactive sperm, and yeah. he's really feeling guilty about it. <laughs> no. There's all kinds of different things you could do. Even I know about that one. Write it well. <laughs> it's, um, Venom can be mayor. <laughs> it's a real popular one. <laughs> and that is exactly the problem. Every hero has to have a belief system. And that belief system... Every person... Well, no. <laughs> I Well... <laughs> does, a, does a person have to have a belief system? I guess I don't have to have a system of beliefs. Well, it feels weird, right? Because I assume what you, hero, what you were going to say intuitively was like, they don't even, that's not even a choice they make. They just have one, don't they? Um, so, yeah, even though you don't choose what you believe, but if what you are believing and what your brain essentially accepts as true propositions, right? Mm -hmm. If that's based off of a system, yeah, I guess it doesn't have to be. Generally, you want it to be. It's good that it is. You don't want to just... If you have a brain that just sort of accepts things very inconsistently, mm -hmm. then that's, for instance, being naive would, because we've talked about that in this video, if you're a naive person, then your trust isn't based on any kind of system. Uh, generally, you want to, 
you want to look at what people do. You want to measure up odds. You want to take their character into effect. You want to weigh in what they might be trying. Well, could that be considered? There's things that go into it. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. That's what you want to do. Oh, but right, if right, you right. are naive and you're not doing those things, then that would you want to have you. Then that wouldn't be a system, and that would be bad. Um, of course, it's a system of a kind because no system is going to be perfect, especially when you're making these kinds of judgments. But ultimately, saying a hero has to have a belief system. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Probably is, it but I wonder also, if... She's appealing to what we would want to see, typically, as an audience. We want them to well, have a system. you want to see, sure, yeah. Um, but even then, I'm if, wondering, like, there's got to be characters that just... They kind of just go with the flow. They don't have a, an espoused system. And that could be yeah, interesting to watch, um, right? I think so what if it's a character who just accidentally keeps saving people? Like, technically, that's a hero, but he's not a hero <laughs> with a really... Belief structure. Well, you know, like Bloodsport, I'd say he's not far away. Like, he seems to go with the flow for a lot of it. Doesn't have a particular system, but when the whole world is getting threatened by the giant starfish, he's like, oh, fine. Like, I'll help. You know, when it's like that could have gone several ways. Um, unless she would, she would argue that that is his system at that point. Whatever he's deciding to do is indicative of a system. Yeah. Uh, and, and to call it a system, that's not to say it's this cold, calculated, scientifically measured thing. It's just more of a, a set of guidelines. Mm. Uh, but I don't know. I it's, it's something I'd have to think more about. Does a yeah. hero have to have a belief system? I assume she's guess... simply referring to the fact that he doesn't want to kill people and wants to help people. Uh, and then so, like really okay. simply, you know, like Punisher will kill etc. Like, it, it just goes on with all the different examples. ...system in the story is created by the most crucial moments in their lives. For Peter Parker in the past movies, that moment has always been Uncle Ben's death. Yes, a spider bite gave birth to a Spider-Man, but Uncle Ben's words combined with his death were the ones that birthed a hero, in my opinion at least. But no way home... I don't know why you would... Uh, it, it, it's just like so groundwork before she makes her point. In my opinion, what births Peter Parker as a hero is Uncle Ben's death plus the line. And I'm just, you know, like, okay. I'm very curious what, like, why you needed to establish that before whatever you're about to say, but I guess we'll see. Home does everything mm -hmm. in its ability to underline the fact that Spider-Man still has yet to learn that lesson. Which creates a paradox. Since a paradox? So when he says, I... it's not my responsibility at that point in the film, what he's referring to is specifically these multiversal creatures, it's not my responsibility to cure them. It's unreal to me that she has actually boiled down him saying, I have power, therefore the responsibility to help the people in this world, and, he's, and, and that is apparently contradicted by him saying, it's not my responsibility to cure psychopaths who are from a different dimension. It feels like these are two different points, and then May says, no, wrong, you are still responsible for helping anybody where you can. Because that's a pretty different scenario, right? Someone's yeah. in trouble because a criminal's trying to take their wallet and you help them out, versus there is a multiversal crack in the universe, they're coming through, and we need to put them back, but beforehand you have a decision to do something more than that. These... I don't even know what she's advocating for, because this to me is what Spider-Man stories typically are about. They test that responsibility line in different ways. Yeah, exactly. And like, this is something that literally none of the Spider-Men in this film have ever faced before. Like, this is, this is a pretty colossal and event. So, yeah. 
There's another variable that people often like to just not consider, and instead take the character literally. Don't you think that he's gonna say some stuff he might not even believe fully right now, considering the situation? The whole building is falling apart. They've both been beaten to fuck, like, by this mm. person they were trying to help. He's like, he's pretty despondent to the point of saying, you know what, Strange was right. And it's like, you know he doesn't believe that. But like, it's, this is a pretty bad situation. And this happens in life all the time. If, you know, me, Rags and Fringy are like, let's go, let's go out tonight. Let's go to a bar and just have some fun. And he's like, okay. And we go there, we end up getting like arrested because something yeah. crazy <laughs> happens. And then if in prison, I'm like, we really shouldn't have gone out. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you both just go, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality, we all know, well, no, that's not the, that's not the problem. Like that, your decision to do that isn't the problem. That's just, it's just this yeah, weird result we got. Out, it was the, yeah, the thing we did. Presumably we yeah, did nothing like, wrong in this scenario. <laughs> presumably it was from Fringy's fault. And yes. we have to really <laughs> rein in on your alcohol consumption in the future because it's starting to cause a lot of issues and for like, a lot of people. In storytelling, you typically have a thing called a second act low point, And what it entails is the hero falling a little off the tracks and concluding maybe they were wrong about XYZ. And then they come through at the end and that's what that situation is. EFAP is our weekly second act low point. Yay! <laughs> These videos depress us. We have to build ourselves back up off screen so that we can Just come recharge. back next week and do it all over again. Because we're naive and we never learn our lesson. I need to underline the fact that Spider-Man yeah, still like, has what yet. A lot of people fail to process a lot of the time, um, and this is both in storytelling um, and just in real life in general, is that when the emotions are still raw, when you've just gone through something traumatic, when you've when you're going through even like an unrelated circumstance, you you say a lot of things that you don't actually mean. You you say them because they feel right in the moment. It's called emotional reasoning. Like you are in a state where your emotions are very much guiding your actions. But then eventually you whether or not that takes um a day, a week, an hour, um, however long. You reach a point of clarity where you can once again express thoughts and feelings that are more consistent with your overall belief structure. And I think that's something that a lot of people fail to take into account with these things. To learn that lesson, which creates a paradox since the experience and the words that were meant to create him never quite got through his skull right until now, which it's throws out the entire... Good what God, do you think woman. a paradox like, I, is? It's crazy to me that you have, like, you've highlighted that a character learned something and then later on it crystallized, and that is a paradox. Well, that's a paradox with Uncle Ben, too. How the fuck? That's just how... That's how this works, though. Like, you're told something or you learn about something, and then later in your life, where most of the things ha will happen, um, you realize... Like, like it, yeah, it, it hardens and it comes to fruition and you really believe it on a deeper level. It's not just something you're aware of. It's something you're totally right, into. What um, this trilogy is about is like you get told it and you even try to use it as like reasoning for what you're doing for your actions. But he's not like ingrained it. There's loads of things to learn about the nature of it. Yeah, you can learn about something on a very surface level. You can, um, you can learn something in theory, but then... You know, the, the, the whole point of Spider-Man a lot of the time is that 
he knows what lesson he should have learned from an initial tragedy, but he has to keep going through different scenarios and different, uh, you know, levels of, of trauma in order to really have that lesson sink in in ways that, you know, a singular event probably can't do. Like you can learn a, a very specific version of a lesson, but to really learn the finer nuances, the finer grain and texture of what it's meant to be, you, you do have to, it does take time. Like we, we as humans, we process things um, and we achieve new meaning or more refined meaning through uh, the collective sum of our experiences. This is just how people work. So I don't know what, uh, what what's so yeah. confusing about this. Not even called like a seeming paradox. She's, uh, sorry, con contradiction. She's called it a paradox. It's like, <laughs> shit, man. Entire course of his own character. Not only this does not make sense from the character writing perspective, but it completely ignores almost all of Peter's story arcs in the previous movies. Take a look. Builds on all of them. Uh, he's been forced yeah, yeah. in one direction this whole time, yeah. which is take responsibility, help people, good. And it's always been good. This is the first time it's resulted in something that he perceives to be bad. Real bad. And what does that mean? Does it mean the line is worthless? It's like, no. Mm -mm. Look at the first ever introductory scene of Spider-Man in MCU, and this entire emotional arc no, with Aunt May has no impact since one of the- Jeez. No impact. No impact. Jesus Christ. Ooh. Yeah, I know. It only has things. impact if he completely changes his entire moral course because someone he loved it's, died. I don't even know where to begin with that. Preface with like, no offense, lady, but like what you're saying could be learned as meme pointed out earlier, I think, with Tony. When he snaps that finger and we win the war and then we look over at him and he dies, like, wow, that was, that's a fucking paradox, isn't it? And you're like, what? Like, oh yes, you should sacrifice to, to save the world. He died. Like, yeah? Yeah, the, you can't, self-sacrifice doesn't, uh, it, it can't work within this framework, whatever you want to call it, because some, someone's dying, and that's not good. Like, if Spider-Man knew that in order to save, I don't know, let's say five people, he would have to die, does she think he wouldn't? Like, does she think he would conclude, well, that's not worth it? Like, it's not a utilitarian arithmetic. It, 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 you know, you're not... Uh, <laughs> he would definitely sacrifice himself. Yeah, it's, it's about, you know, what you have the power to control versus what the innocent people do not. It seems to me that she's concluded that if you have, like, a, a bigger loss of any kind, of a loved one, like, then whatever you were doing was obviously wrong. And it's like, huh. There's so many hypotheticals a, we could give her, you know? <laughs> like, the, to see what she actually thinks. Dare I call that view naive? Oh! Mm. Da, 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 da. Oh my Peter says in MCU is the exact lesson we were meant to believe he's meant to learn in like one, two, three, four, five, six. Man, it's almost like you're getting it. He learns all the aspects of it because it's a very complicated and long thing. I'm pretty sure he's going to keep learning at least aspects of it in the next set of films, too. Yep. Yeah. I don't see why we Man, would stop. Because this, this character thing, you... is done. They have learned what they need to learn. They will no longer learn. Their learning is finished. When you have a character like Daredevil who's like 
we, we ain't killing any people. And a character like Punisher was like, we totally are. And then you never have them bump or discuss that at all when they're in the same fucking show. I would just be like, um, why? Why? What the fuck? Like, why? And, and Fortunately, then, we live in a world where they did. Yeah, and... and right. And you might be like, well, what are you trying to say? And it's like, so why do you think we're looking for that to be challenged? Like, because it's fucking interesting to watch. And I want Peter to be challenged on his core beliefs. I want them all to be challenged in their core beliefs. Boring movie. Like, if, imagine someone said this exact same thing. Like, Iron Man is a fucking paradox in um, several of the later movies. He is giving power to other people. He's allowing the government to have some kind of hand in discussing all these things. I thought he learned in Iron Man 1 that it's him. He controls it. No one else. The fuck is wrong with this writing? Paradoxical. Like, your approach with um, with great power comes great responsibility can be many different things. I don't know why everyone's treating it as though there's just nothing to learn uh, other than that line. I don't yeah. know, movies later. Look, when you can do the things that I can. So weird to see Tom Holland in Civil War now. Like, he's so chubby-cheeked and fresh-faced compared to just how <laughs> beaten down he looks yeah. later in the other films. Come a long way. And um, I only ever interpreted this as he's got a baseline, and that probably came from Uncle Ben. But what does he make of it? And Civil War, he's already I IMO making some mistakes, being like, his trust of someone like Iron Man is making him believe, like, well, yeah, Iron Man is correct in this fight. It's, it's like, and I gotta take responsibility to stop Cap, because bad things will happen if I don't. When that's a very limited understanding of anything that's even happening, and he's not too concerned with finding out more, because he believes he's a hero and he's helping, and he's also fucking 14. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we've immediately set him on a path of being like, are you sure about this whole, like, great power, great power, or rather, he says it in different words. He says, when you have the abilities I have and you don't help people, you're, you're the reason those bad things can happen. A very yeah, like childish sort of way of trying to say something a lot less elegantly, but it's kind of mm. the point. Yeah, because he's only been Spider-Man for about six months to a year at, at, at this point. Like he's been, he is fresh on the superhero scene. So he is, you know, he has stopped petty bank robbers. He's like saved a few cats from trees, but he's um he is yet to go through the full grit of what it means to take on that responsibility, and that's what these films um, are ultimately about. He's like a big ball of putty, and then the other films are just hammers mm. coming into him over and over again. Oh. And this film's the fire, the fire. Bad things happen. They happen because of you. So, Peter has been living and breathing this thing since literally the moment we met him. <laughs> again, like, we can't do anything with this because she just doesn't know what this film's about. She missed mm -hmm. the thing. Because um, genuinely, if these films didn't even exist, and we had someone in the call who was just talking about how it's always good to take responsibility, like when you have the power to do so, unless it's going to cost you the life of a loved one, we would all be like, hmm, really? You think so? Like, if your parent is going to die as a guarantee of you saving like a bus full of children, you not do it? And that's that's just the, the, the thought experiment this film's having, that's all. But let's have a collective amnesia for the next two and a half hours because plot 
Even though me complaining about this quote might seem like a very nitpicky thing, but in my defense, this is the driving force of Spider-Man and the biggest moral message behind his character. The same message this movie- And they've managed to maintain it beautifully, I think. Yep, yep. works really, yep. really well. It's quite well written completely so. cheapens just because they really needed to squeeze in a badly written sappy arc right before the third act of the film. Ooh, I disagree, written. but it's okay mm. that you have an opinion that's sucky. That's cute. This lesson yeah. is too big of a deal for Peter for it to be so comically overused and shoehorned and- Comically overused? I don't think you understand mm. that all of the heroes go through this all the time. It's just presented in different ways. You think that like when- Iron Man is dealing with Whiplash, for example. There's no thought going through his head of like, fuck, I kind of created this guy. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, what is my responsibility here? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And he kind of feels guilty about it a lot as well. Iron Man 3, Aldrich Killian, it's like, the fact that Aldrich is so jealous and idiotic that he's uh, infected Pepper with the stupid bloom, whatever it is. Like, um, part of because Robert Downey Jr., some, some of his best acting is honestly in these films. It's kind of weird. Um, do you remember yeah. his reaction when he realizes that Pepper's like close to death because of this weird infection? Um, I have to imagine that part of his reaction in that moment is the fact that he knows that if she had never met him, uh, this would never be happening to her. Mm. Um, these are things that are coming up all the time for everybody. They're just not as explicit because this is the focus for, for Spider-Man. Yeah, well, like, um, one of the things that I, uh, to use a non-Marvel example, like, one of the things I really like about Batman and why I never really got into Gotham, the show, as a concept, is there's that question of, is Batman creating inadvertently the villains that um, he fights? Because the level of craziness for Gotham, um, you know, uh, criminals uh, kind of went through the roof Um like the level of crazy went through the roof um, once Batman showed up on the scene. And it's that interesting push and pull, like escalation question there that, you know, it's it's about is Batman's, how responsible is Batman for those villains? And that's a question that I think permeates a lot of superhero media is, you know, what is, you know, that responsibility is such a, it's a multi, it's such a multifaceted concept. There are so many, um, there are so many, um, ways to explore it and you know uh dare i say it's like a web that um permeates and connects and you know for every push there must always be a pull and um it's funny you say you that know, you gotta yeah um, in relation to like the nature of creating villains uh versus their heroes because as you guys are all aware a lot of people were like i'm so sick and tired of bad guys being a result of iron man's effect on the world when you Think to yourself like all right yeah let's bring in another like dark elves from thor 2 that has nothing to do with iron man everyone loved them they were great villains and <laughs> it's like this really arbitrary almost appeal to a intuitive position that a lot of people probably do think is right but have no basis for it it's like when you actually have them as a reaction to the hero's effects on the world that to me feels a lot more in line with like creating a through line for your actual story as opposed to by the way dark elves are coming it's like oh it's kind of how can more I have done this? Well, I guess it's uh, <laughs> to refer to like the Trey Parker, Matt Stone writing rules. Having the villains be created by the heroes, or at least the heroes' presence in the world, feels much more like a but and therefore rather than. And then the Dark Elves showed up and they were angry. 
you know? It's just like, and then they appeared. Then the Dark Hells told Spider-Man with yeah. great power. <laughs> with great elf. great responsibility. With great... Not Christmas to say that you are—you uh, can't have industry. villains that just arise. On no, of course, own. and they could have been great. I'm just saying, like this weird assumption that the solution to having good villains is to stop making them connect to Iron Man or something. You're like, what are you talking about? That has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to be good. I think that only stems from a meta, and frankly, it would be the meta of Spider-Man's more important in the pop culture than Iron Man. So his villain shouldn't stem from Iron Man. Uh, in any way. I think that's all that there is They're to gonna it. get... Th this is the thing. If they made an Iron Man stemming villain for him to fight in the fourth movie for the MCU Spider-Man, I would be fucking surprised. I... There's no way. I don't think no. that's happening. Yeah, yeah, I imagine he'll join... at this point. He'll go to college, and one of the first fucking professors he'll he'll beat is a Dr. Connors. And he'll... Uh, like, <laughs> Maybe. I wonder if they'll leverage the fact that he knew the names of a lot of the people he met in No Way Home to be like, oh, shit. Like, hi. That could yeah. be cool. I wonder, yeah, one I, the... I wonder if they are gonna. I guess it won't uh, be Craven though if they're doing a Craven movie. Sony's oh off God. doing their own weird shit. What's um? <laughs> what's Craven's like? Dare I say, origin or, or motivation at the core? I actually don't know much about Craven compared to a lot of other Spider-Man villains. Um, I think um. So I'm not because uh, I mainly know Craven from like the animated stuff. Uh, but I think it might be similar in the comics. Um, as far as I know, he's a he's a big game hunter. Um, in he, so he's a he's a Russian big game hunter that hunts in Africa, and stuff like that. And he sees you know, and he's basically he's hunted. You know, he he feels like he's peaked as far as what he can do. But then he hears stories of the Spider Man of New York, and he sees him as the ultimate prey. Um, there you go. And, uh, it yeah. relates to Spider-Man I mean, directly. That could yeah. be... Yeah. That, I mean, you, you got a huge rogues gallery that you can leverage. I mean, you could bring back... Um, uh, you could bring back um, Vars as, as a uh, as yeah. um, Scorpion. That'd be cool. You introduced That's... him. I want to see him as Scorpion. Yeah, and, and he, well, he's he usually hated by Spider-Man specifically, right? Because of... That's what happened. Oh well, yeah, because it was scene. it was specifically Spider-Man. Nothing changes based on um the spell or anything. He'd still hate Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about Scorpion is that he's normally created by J. Jonah Jameson as like the real, like legitimate superhero. This is the Scorpion. He will not only take down the Spider-Man, but he will be everything Spider-Man should have been. And then he turns out to be a massive psychopath. So there's an interesting dynamic there. You know, it's like, mm. it's again, it's that push and pull. It could be Rhino, except he's an actual Rhino person instead of in a, a Rhino <laughs> machine. Paul Giamatti in the Rhino-shaped mechanical suit is amazing. Yeah, but they were it's caused by make... Tony Stark, so that's better. It's like, that's, oh. that's true. It, it still makes me laugh that they put him in the marketing material when they knew they knew the truth. They still put him in the marketing Speaking material. Marketing. I was just thinking about how... Um, because this will just, you know, like we've been advocating for a while, this is early on in Spider-Man's arc, but that's hard for people to consume as an idea when it's like, these are the main Spider-Man movies that are coming out right now. They won't mm -hmm. see it that way until we reach at least number four in the series, but further yeah, on maybe though. than that. It's so interesting to think about that they're all, you know, they're given subtitles, these films. They're not given numbers because when you go, it's like a rule, right? When you go past three, it gets awkward. Um... A lot mm -hmm. of the time for a lot of people, it just seems like, oh gosh, that's that's really getting long in the tooth, huh? Um, think about Iron Man, it's like it went one, two, three, specifically because of the fact that they probably knew from early on that Robert Downey Jr. is like, I ain't doing this forever, it'll be a limit. And so they're like, alright. Meanwhile, Spider-Man, I'm pretty sure they're aware, it's like, we not only know that Tom Holland will be willing to keep going, 
but we also don't want to imply to the audience at any point that it's long in the tooth, that this thing is just going on, it's super active and fresh and wonderful all the time, and that's how it, it feels like you can achieve that better with subtitles. Funny that you say that, because Thor, Thor Love and Thunder is the first Marvel film that is, like, the fourth, you know, it's the, it's the first yeah. fourth standalone uh, film in the series, and it's like, yeah, if it was called Thor 4, you're right, like, f 4 is a scary number for a lot of people. Oh, they don't four. like to do 4. It's, four, it's, four. Four, four. They should have called it the 4 and <laughs> had the 4 beat. <laughs> oh. I tend the, to forget uh, that uh, 4 has three movies. Because I've well, only seen the first people, one. The first two I only watched once. Because people like forget about yeah. the first two, you know? But, like, a lot of people yeah. forget about... And, and they especially forget about Thor The Dark World. Well, and, and yeah, uh, like, we're at the point where in the future it could get to the point where like the equivalent of spider-man 8 9 and 10 um all made by let's just say for the sake of argument edgar wright and they're his sort of trilogy of movies and they all regard a sort of a plot line that starts and ends with those three and a lot of people in the world might be like wait sorry there were, how many movies were before this and you're like seven spider-man movies came before this <laughs> Uh, you know, well, and, I, and what I'm implying I'm, is like the fact that they're calling them the names that they have, that it, it can make it feel like a fresh thing at any time. Mm -hmm. Well, something yeah. that I think a lot of people haven't realized is um, like they, these films released very quickly. Like it's only two yeah. years between them, which is a lot shorter than you would expect. Yeah, we've got our origin trilogies done now, so imagine well, what they'll do next. In between the release of the Doctor Strange films, Doctor Strange 1 came out before Homecoming. Multiverse came out after No Way Home, so he had yeah, a whole yeah. trilogy and in between I, Doctor. I'm willing to believe that they have settled with Benedict Cumberbatch in the same way they have with Tom Holland, where they're like, we're going to be using you for a while. Because a lot of people think that they'll kill him. I'm starting to think they'll probably hang on to him for a while. What, kill yeah. him? Doctor Strange. Um, no, way. no way. They want to hang on to him. They want to hang on to everybody for as long as they can, I Until think. Until they find the right actress to replace I mean, him, yeah. Because it may well be <laughs> they weren't going to keep Wanda around until, like, WandaVision and stuff, and then she became really popular, and then they changed their mind. Maybe. I'm still I pretty convinced that she's marketing so hard for the crazy choices they made because she knows her future is solid with Marvel. I think, yeah, maybe. Um, well, I guess she had to defend it, right? Like, if you're an actor in their film. I think that's just, that's or, a good motivation if they've told you, we're going to put you on a redemption arc and we're going to make you a hero again. Don't you fucking worry about it. It's sealed. There's even contracts relating to it. And she'd be like, alrighty then. I commit. I love this idea. I guess I have to kill a few <laughs> children along the way. And they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Anakin. To his ears at every given chance and every time for him to act like, oh, never thought of that that way before. Bro, he never did think of the fact that a right decision could lead to Aunt May dying. That's yeah. not something that comes really to your head. He's never forced to think about it. Nor has he thought about how being your own hero is all that fucking matters. You don't have to be like Iron Man. You don't have to be an Avenger to be worthwhile. Like These are things that don't often... I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, so, Humanity 101. You actually think a lot of things sometimes that aren't actually true. Humanity 101. Let yep. me tell you how people work. This will be important for later. <laughs> later. The actual problem Rule arises one, when we don't not usually try to account, we don't usually plan ahead for, like, multiversal villains to pop out of the no. woodwork. Uh, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You did help. not? No. I'm prepared. Um, yeah, I'm ready. Oh. Well, after this movie. Man, I'm behind. I got like my reality anchors everywhere. Like I'm, I'm ready. That was oh, my neat. takeaway from this film. Yeah. Act hmm. like, oh, 
Never thought of that that way before. The actual problem arises when not just the audience, but Peter Parker himself has to not only hear, but learn this lesson for millionth time. It's so incredible that she's decided that when someone says with great power comes great responsibility, baked into that automatically is the understanding from that person that if I die as a result of you taking responsibility, that's okay. You really think that comes through? Like, uh, this stuff takes a while to absorb. It's not a simple, it, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like, arc complete, you're done, you know, you got it, you're perfect, you never make a mistake again. You never have to learn the same lesson again. Because, you know, that's how people work. When they learn a lesson the first time, they never screw up ever again. Yep. I think this quote is a great way to showcase the biggest problem with this movie. Look, if No Way Home was the first one in the trilogy, this would make sense, but it isn't. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> no, it would, it, would, it would not make a lot of sense if it was the first film in the trilogy. Imagine that would be your first Spider-Man adventure. Just fucking multiverse <laughs> happenings. Like, I'm Spider-Man. Please make everyone forget I'm Spider-Man. In the first movie. <laughs> Weirdest the fact that yeah. he's had four adventures before this makes it actually much more satisfying for this to be the, um, well, actually, technically his fifth, his fifth go around, um, Maybe, yeah. in, in the MCU, yeah. Sixth, right? Civil War, yeah. Infinity War, Endgame, and the three okay. Spider-Man films, so six. <clears throat> yeah, six, yes. Yeah, yeah six, it's just kind of how you regard, of like, a full adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, in order I think to the problem that we're facing here is a lot of people can't kind of wrap their head ar heads around the fact that this is just a more decompressed maybe um, origin. Maybe it can help by relating to the Batman. I think the next Batman film is going to have him learning about what it means to be Batman in yep. Gotham again. And someone might be like, you're going to teach them that again? And be like, well, yeah, because what he's learned so far... He decided that his motivation was a vengeance for the horrific injustice of what was done to his parents, and that that can reflect into the hearts and souls of all of the criminals in Gotham to help cure Gotham. It had a bad effect, being that um, it created some people who were inspired by him and are doing bad things, which is a really interesting test of his resolve, and so now he's, he's going to add to it. He's going to alternate it a little bit, and he's probably going to do stuff in the next one, It'll make him learn a bit more about what it means to be Batman. I'm pretty sure the three Nolan Batmans are about what it means to be Batman. It's, yeah, it's but those a are question. great. Yeah. What it means to be Batman, or like what it means to be Spider-Man, that's a broad enough question that you can filter through a lot of different challenges. Well, yeah, uh, to, to relate then, instead of, because that's a bit more broad and people might be like, yeah, well, it is complicated to say what is Batman versus what is with great power comes great responsibility. And I'd be like, well, so what Batman's working with is what does it mean to be a person who's going to fight crime, like an, an inspiration to the city, versus Spider-Man who's like, what does taking responsibility mean? Because that can't just be as simple as a literal interpretation that applies to every situation. It's like, of course not. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Don't, like, two different people will have two different interpretations of exactly how you're supposed to do that. And I think that's kind of the point home, Homecoming is making, that as far as Tony's concerned, he is someone who takes responsibility, and yet he and Peter disagree on how to approach the ferry. So, you know, you, you have all kinds of things to think about. Set goal. Yeah, and by like, the way, I the, hope the that's what is... uh, Reeves' trilogy is about, if there is a trilogy to be had. Like, I think there's loads to talk about, about what it means to be a good Batman. 
Yeah, like this isn't a monolithic thing. There's a there's a dimension and uh, depth to um you know th there's a lot of questions to be asked about how the right way to approach it. And sometimes there isn't a clear cut right or wrong way. Um, and even what may be the correct way is not necessarily the right way. You know, there's so much to break down there. Goals, the movie neglects its own predecessors and lessons which Peter uh, learned in them and yeah. almost presses the reset button on his character. And at the end of the day, no. you end up with Spider-Man who across every MCU movie starts and starts over learning the same set of morals. Or no, it's, it's actually a lot more complicated. Yeah. What it means to be great power comes great responsibility. He's learning it through different challenges, what that means. So he's refining it. Well, yeah, because when you say with great power comes great responsibility, it can be hard to, like, you can learn that the first time of, oh, sometimes I shouldn't act, sometimes I need, I need to think about why I'm doing this. It's like, how does that lesson help you figure out whether or not you should potentially endanger, you know, people that you love to try and save uh, villains? Like, that, you've learned something, but it's not necessarily broadly applicable. You have new challenges that will test your principles because it's not, it's a broad principle. It's it's a little bit hard to know how it's going to help you out in any given situation. That's kind of the challenge. Yeah, like, save innocent person, yes? You're like, well, yeah, of course. Save innocent person at the cost of a bad guy escaping a prison. Well, yeah. Hmm. Exactly. I guess it depends on the on the bad guy, maybe? And then some people are like, well, no, just yes. And then you got to go catch and that what? bad guy. And what does it mean, great power comes great responsibility, when your resolve is shaken? by really traumatic events and you don't know if you have the capacity to help people see so you, you go from one extreme to the other you're eager to help to now you're scared to help it's like there's a lot of different ways that you can sort of filter through this uh this lesson like i said we we, we like, do this with all of them we did it with iron man each of his films are just about the power of his weaponry going to uh, like bad things happening as a result of different choices he makes about who should have access to them and who gets to decide where they go uh, yeah, the, the idea that this lesson is just something you learn once and you're covered forever is just the, instead of learning all the ways it can be applied. Very, I don't. It's just not how something this broad works. I, I can't believe this isn't said about the Raimi films then, because if you guys remember, what brings him back in Spider-Man Two is hearing that when he saved the person in the fiery building, they said they lose someone. And, you know, someone was still in there and they're gone. It's, it sucks, but that's it. And Peter realizes, like, fuck, if I was Spider-Man, I could have saved that guy too. Instead, I was yeah. Peter Parker. Like, and then you'd be like, yeah, wait a minute. He's learning He's learning about responsibility and power in the second Spider-Man movie? He learned that already in the first one. <laughs> Calm down, okay? Jeez lessons which in actuality have been his entire driving force from the get-go over and over and over uh, again. No, his driving force of the core is he should help people if he has the power to do so. You understand, these, these yeah. circumstances challenge that with complications. Like I just said, with the prisoner example, like these are not easy questions. It's easy when it's like, do you save the drowning baby? You're like, well, sure. You save the drowning baby if it costs another baby's life. You'd be like, whoa, uh, uh, why mm. have you done that? <laughs> now, I, now I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Don't you trolley problem me? Exactly. Again, and by now you might be thinking, well, who cares if the writing in this movie is not great? It's fun. Yeah, this is, I, 
Well, look, all right. I don't know who you're arguing against. In, like, well, uh, there's definitely going to be people who would say, like, who cares about the writing? It's fun. Yeah, it's unfortunate how you're, many of those uh, people exist. Well, it's, it's, I guess it's just kind of funny because it's like, I agree with the perspective of it does matter what the quality of the writing is, regardless of how much fun somebody's having. We just don't disagree on the quality. We don't agree well, on the quality of the writing in this film. I suppose the irony is we do agree with her conclusion of the quality of the writing, but we got completely different workings. Yep. That's true. Um, yeah. And enjoyable. And I love it. And I'll say, your honor, exactly. Okay, you made this far, so let's get to the real point of this video. Huh? I'm just gonna mute this um, part. Buddha mm -hmm. man. Bundle brush, bundle bleed. Now I can put it back up again. The actual point of this video is not me shaming anyone for liking, enjoying, or even loving this movie. Because I can't get behind that. It's not my intention to shame anyone for enjoying it. Because I am not crazy and I do understand the appeal. And I am definitely not going to pretend like I didn't cheer multiple times during it. But I am going to shame everyone who's going to confuse a few scenes worth of personal joy for a two and a half hour long masterfulness. You know, that's the thing. I, I don't disagree with her. I think that's fine. No. Nope. It's so weird because we're I back to agreeing with her now because she's done with all the points. <laughs> like, all <laughs> rather kind of awkward. This is really awkward. Yeah. Was no We're going to play a grade expect... school teacher here and go, well, you know, your conclusion is correct, but all your workings are, um, mm, we still got to give you an F on this one. I'm surprised you got the conclusion right, honestly. You'd, you'd have to put <laughs> apply yourself and then underline it twice. Huh. Yeah. Just apply yourself. For many, obviously yes. Was it a painfully flawed movie? Absolutely. Does one excuse the other? Absolutely not. Even by Marvel standards. Something tells me that in few years, most people won't remember No Way Home for its flawless plot or amazing dialogue. Okay. So nobody did not have a flawless plot. <laughs> and, and, and nobody says that about No Way Home now. I don't know anybody that said it has a flawless plot. That's, I feel I like a lot of people yeah. are pretty upfront about that they recognize that there are going to be problems with that. Because the fact that it's multiverse it is. alone makes people go like, we're in a... <laughs> you. Well, it's like time travel, isn't it? It's just like, uh-oh, mm, this is a big variable. What she's saying here, I, I, I've cut her off because I want to say like, what people sh should likely remember this for in a long time is just, man, was it neat to have the three Spider-Men together. That's probably what it's it going to be. be uh, especially as we get more bullshit multiverse movies, it'll probably stand out even more as like, man, remember how like they actually leveraged those characters and gave them arcs that were tied yes. into the central arc of the main Peter and in this world? It's like, damn, that was cool. Hopefully, with the more Spider-Man films that come out, this is seen as like, ah, oh, this is a quite foundational, and if you think about what happened in this one, wow. it informs blah blah blah. It's kind of like how No Way Home made people realize, oh, this was the origin trilogy. Yes. It took until No Way Home for people to see where it was building. And I ain't gonna let people get away with like their own revisionist history where they think it's revisionist history that that was John Watts' plan. It clearly was. You can see that in the films leading up just, to No Way Home. It's weird for me because it's like, even if John Watts was to be hit by a car today and we never hear from him ever again or confirm any of this, I'd just be like, well, it's evident from the three films. You can see it. Well, and even if it wasn't his intention, that's what he created. Even if that wasn't. But I. 
I'm pretty sure it was. I even think it's in the names. Homecoming. Yeah. Far from home. And home representing, representing like, your safe and understood childhood a, a level of world. familiarity. Yeah. And no way home is like, it's over. There is no way home. You're, There's no you're way back to what you were. It's You've grown out of it now. It's done. Yeah. You're, you gotta push forward with the circumstances that you now find yourself in, knowing that there is no way back. It's, um, it's actually pretty neat. Yes. Um, Every day we drift further from home. The funny thing I'm is, I think she's going to use this as a criticism. Like, people aren't going to say it has good plot once time goes over, because they'll realize. Like, my criticism of this format is usually people won't even remember what happened uh, in the film. Like, Multiverse of Madness, no one is going to remember the plotline for that fucking movie, other than Scarlet Witch killed everybody, right? The, the big example would be Black Panther got, like, huge accolades, but not only do I not really see people talk about it, but even when they do, all it is is like, oh yeah, Killmonger was pretty good, but no appeal to anything, like, really specific. Like, nobody really talks about specific moments in these films. And I guarantee and you, like Marvel films. if you ask them, what is Killmonger's origin? Like, who are his parents? Guarantee you they won't know the answer to that. Yeah, and it's um, it's kind of people remember the Dark Knight interrogation sequence. You know, yes. people remember. Uh, people, I mean, goddamn, like people remember in Spider Man Two, right? Like, um, they remember uh the scenes between um between Peter and uh and Doc Ock. They remember Uncle Ben's death in the first film. I mean, you know, say what you will about those films overall. Um, but like that's, I, and I guess that's the thing is, I think that people will remember the big payoffs in No Way Home. I think I suppose those will Multiverse of Madness well. might have staying power with the um the spirit scene. Maybe some people will be like, I remember that, that was great. You I know. guess I, I kinda want something more than just like No, of a, course. What I'm implying is that Sam Raimi's flourishes might actually be able to make some people remember parts of it, but uh, the writing isn't gonna be the reason. Well, yeah, it'll be do, do you remember what the story was about and, and, yeah, like and what and to, to illustrate that writing alone can often be like, everyone references the rooftop discussion between Daredevil and Punisher, and that's, there's no spectacle there. That's that's a discussion well, and, of writing. And one, of, one of my favorite scenes in No Way Home is the three of them talking to each other, just having mm -hmm. a discussion about their history. Yeah, and, and um, the and more climactic moment would they'll be remembered is probably the Toby... Yeah, discussion on the rooftop. No, I was going to say Toby. Oh. It's the more spectacle-related one. Oh. Toby stopping the, the glider. the glider. Yeah, I think that'll be remembered. I guess the problem is it's hard to make appeals to what will or will not be remembered, other than just a kind of impression that you get. Yeah, I am, um, and I want to say like we're trying to be fair here, like I, because I, I, it sounds like it's like oh, you're just gonna say people will remember the ones you think are good, and I'm just like, there are there are no, complications I'm not, I'm not to how good. people remember things. You need impactful moments, like Tony snapping his finger at the end of Endgame will be remembered, but it's not particularly well done mechanically. Um, <laughs> well, so, I think people know. remember that they had at the time and yeah. and then whether or not they retain that feeling i think does have something to do with like what surrounds that material um i don't i don't know that anybody's gonna find anything like super meaningful in like multiverse of madness when you can't really appeal to anything else that was in the film i was thinking about like why is terminator 2's ending the thumbs up is t-800's like going into the lava why is that so meaningful it's like well the reason why is because of everything that was leading up to that moment. It's the whole yeah. film in yeah. that final moment. This character essentially going on that arc and John going on the arc as well. Um, it's it's all of those moments of those two characters interacting and learning from each other um, that makes that meaningful. It's not just the moment itself. 
And I think a big problem with a lot of Marvel stuff lately has been that it hinges on like these big moments that kind of get carried a lot more by the acting than any of the writing supporting it. Um, I don't feel that same way about No Way Home. I think that there's a lot of great supporting material. Uh, yeah. And heroes of, uh, of Spider-Man as well. Impressive, frankly. Yeah, um, I think the only thing you can, as far as like memorability is concerned, it, you have to, I think something to look at is um, when it comes to, especially when it comes to, to the meaning of, of um, a given work, um, especially when it's so fresh. I, I guess the the main thing you can point to reference-wise is how much meaning do you have to project onto something versus how much is, um, I guess, implicit or explicit within the writing, like how much of this, uh, you know, how, how much can be um, brought brought in. Like with Molly vs. Madness, if someone does find something really meaningful with that film, I imagine it would be a lot of projection of what they want to see, but that's not going to be as universal as, say, a theme or a, a character arc that can be definitively broken down. Um, but of course, that's not always universal. I've had people unironically tell me that they found civil war completely unmemorable and felt no compulsion to ever watch it again and i'm just like oh well okay yeah <laughs> that's your that's your prerogative but um yeah it's a it's it's an interesting one few years most people won't remember no way home for its flawless plot or amazing dialogue creativity mind-blowing action scenes or character development in my opinion it will most likely be remembered for scenes that people will be able to easily search up on youtube and watch all of it under 15 minutes instead of going through two hours of plot full of holes with nonsensical elements i almost don't agree I think people will really like the Spider-Men talking to each other quite a bit, mm -hmm. and I think that I, I think that stuff will last. I guess she's saying you could search that up on YouTube, but like, you do that with pretty much anything. So That's anything though, I don't know what yeah. that doesn't apply to. Especially if I know the context behind the payoff, I'll watch the payoff on YouTube, and it works. And stakes, some terrible jokes, underwhelming action, overused CGI. Underwhelming action. Underwhelming action. I don't know. Like she says, that's the case. And I'm like, all right then. All right. Um, man, if you take away, problem, like, yeah, I don't know. Anything from and this video. And that was video. like the most oh, yeah. restrained fight too. To to like clarify, yeah, when I say like, oh, well, I was just like, she's not giving any arguments, so we can't do anything with that. She's like, well, you yeah. think that we don't? Bye bye. Underwhelming action, overused CGI. If you take away anything Wait, from this CGI, overused. I think Jared, okay, overused. Okay. Overused. Video. I don't want it to be that No Way Home is a complete trash or a terrible movie, but that we should stop interpreting just a few minutes of joy as a two-hour-long greatness. True. Because if a movie's, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder oh. if that's an issue with this movie. <laughs> it's funny, right? Like it's. We agree with the point, but we just like disagree with everything else, I guess. Yeah. How did you get here? How did you somehow arrive here? The biggest purpose is to treat itself and serve as a high budget context for a few nostalgic scenes written by people who do their absolute best job at being the most mediocre. Is going to be a new stable for the films if they no, want to be did baptized. No, they did character stuff. There's, they, they did some really excellent character say, work. In how the is film, this uh, the movie you're saying that about in Phase Four? Yeah. Man, this look. is the one that like has things that legitimately are great about it. Yeah. <laughs> masterpieces both by box office and the audience. We are in for experience. That's for sure. <laughs>
what did she think of Multiverse in... of Madness? Honestly, what did she think of it? Did Ooh. she hate it or love it? Because seriously, <laughs> I'm I curious. Tell. After watching this video, I don't, know. I don't know if she hated it or loved it. Well, there you go. Should have spent a bit okay. more time focusing on the material and learning and well, paying so attention to what it was trying to say, perhaps. She didn't uh, even address it yeah. as a counter. Like, the, the point was that you can lose people when taking responsibility. So it seems to me she just doesn't know about that. She doesn't know it's a thing. Just, I, ju I just think... I um, understand what the film was saying. I guess it's uh, interesting because there's a lot of like those broad statements about, uh, I guess, that you could apply to other films that I agree with. And, you know, like the writing actually matters regardless of how much fun you had with it. It's like, yeah, that's true. Yep. You know, films are more than just like one or two really cool scenes, but then you ignore everything else. I totally agree with that. But I, it just feels like um, somewhere along the line, just like a misreading of the film, but like a really big misreading of the film. And you had references, but it was like references that it felt like were just confused, I guess. So it's it's yeah. a little bit awkward. It's like there's aspects of this video that like I appreciate in terms of there was a process and, and an attempt to appeal to the content that was in the film and to make a broader point. But like I just don't agree with the references at all, or like the the point that you're trying to lead up to. Um Yeah, it's the whole you gotta the workings are wrong, but the conclusion is Correct. Well, it's, um, I, also, I don't even know. It's like it's like you're doing the process that I prefer, which is trying to appeal to the content that's in the film to make a point. But it's like taking a piece of a reference that exists, but like coming away with a basically like a diametrically opposed uh, interpretation uh, to what I had. Um, it's it's just interesting. That's all. Like this yeah, video was really interesting compared yeah. to other videos where it's like really frustrating. You know. Reading mm. through some of the some of the comments as well. So, in conclusion, is the, some of them say like, "Oh, you're gonna bring the wrath of the Spider-Man fandom," and you know, good luck with the uh, the people who are just gonna hate on this. So, we've uh, witnessed the wrath of the Spider-Man fandom plenty of times. We we sit in a very unique position <laughs> with a lot of different takes. So don't worry about uh, it. But at the same time, um, I think I, I kind of like her style, and I'd be interested in hearing more like if. It. Only his scripts made more sense to me because it, it seems to me that everything would have been fine if her references were accurate. She she, she is able to conclude like if what she said were things that actually happened, the video would be fine. Um, yeah, I think foundationally she has a lot of strong points. She there's just a there's just improvements that uh, uh, that need to be worked on. To learn on. what the film is telling you. Well, it is it is the it's case of like if references. If the references were. I, I guess that's the thing. It's like you had references. It's just I totally disagree with the uh, with the interpretation of those references. I mean, but like I'm at, so, the, at yeah. least you had references, you know. Like at least you, that was the process that you were doing. So in that sense, I can appreciate it, even though I don't agree with the conclusion at all. I'm so baffled that she missed it that I really, really want to know how she deals with being told about it. I want to know if it's a matter of her being like, "No, that's ridiculous. That's not in the movie," or if she would go, "Oh no, I know, I know. That was what part of the point." It's just that, and then she explains it, because genuinely curious how that, that wasn't addressed in the video at all, and I think that's the, the, the biggest point the film is making. And I guess it might be, uh, I wonder how many discussions were had with other people about the, uh, the film, because it can just be helpful in terms of uh, getting that perspective. Yeah. Because I guess yeah. that's the thing, is like, I'm surprised that in going through the film and making this video that um, she wouldn't have encountered that perspective on like the great power comes... 
then again, I guess I wonder like how thorough the conversations surrounding the film are. Maybe they haven't been that thorough in a lot of circles. Yeah, maybe. Maybe um, for a lot of people it is as simple as, man, it was really cool when Toby Maguire came and that was fun. Maybe, it, you know, maybe that was the case for a lot of people. Yeah, um, if she ever sees this, I hope you don't take it too badly. I just thought your video was really bad, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. But Good luck you in the have future. A, you, you, <laughs> yeah, but you, you can improve. You know that references are important, and that's a lot better than a lot of people. Um, oh, I, for me, it's even as simple as, hey, you know, like, just because you enjoy it doesn't mean the writing is good. It's like... Once you cross that bridge already, I feel like you're on a good track. You yeah, know? yeah, I think so. She <laughs> seemed to take grand issue more. with people who confuse how they felt about the thing with how well it's constructed, and it's like, girl, you're already in our land. Great, welcome. Pretty much. <laughs> it's a scary place out here in these wild lands where mm -hmm. it's like Caleb. Yeah, like a lot of people don't get to level one. Like this, if this is an MMO, you you know, just the well, distinction so between enjoyment and quality is like level one, and then you kind of go from there. I think everybody knows it's the reason why people will say, "I can appreciate that's a great film." I just didn't like it. It's like right, so you recognize the craft. I mean, it's what a lot of people have with The Godfather or Blade Runner, right? Where they're like, "Yeah, no, it's great, but I didn't like it." It's like, hmm, why would you say that? Like, hmm. what does that? Mean? If not that there's a distinction between your personal enjoyment of something and the craft. I think I think that everybody knows it's kind of the reason why it's like I feel like everybody uses the system of consistency in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Like everybody recognizes that there's a difference between like the prestige and the room. Like nobody's gonna pretend like, oh well, you know, you could argue that these are both as good or bad as each other. No, nobody believes that. Not really. Yeah. I guess it's uh there's a more Maybe I, I'll re, 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 reword that as there's a more conscious focus yes. rather than a, a convenient focus. Like it's when it's convenient to have the distinction, I will go for it. But otherwise, it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which brings us to video number two on Ooh. the on the similar topic in a sense, but it's a bit different. This one from um. It's from Full Fat Videos. We've covered him before. We've even spoken to him, and he's told me that uh, yes. he's totally fine with 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 us covering this. So I'm uh, sure. I, I'm super excited. It's gonna be great. Um, it, it, it's called the Batman did what Spider-Man No Way Home couldn't. What now? Ooh. That's an interesting mm. comparison because I don't know what these two films have in common, <laughs> other than so, that they released around the same time in their superhero movies. So, gun to my head, right? And someone said, "Agree with that statement now and develop it." I'd be like, <laughs> uh, "Okay." So that uh, uh, Batman was—it just—it fucking looks better. It's more cohesive visually. It's uh, No Way Home has got the Marvel problem where it's like a bit jumbled. Um, but the Batman felt like incredibly consistent visually throughout, and that assists in atmosphere as well as uh, just just binding you into it. I think that, that that's something that I suppose I think the Batman did better than No Way Home. And to say No Way Home couldn't do it actually implies to me that yeah, maybe they couldn't because of the fact that it's the Marvel formula and they have all these kinds of weird ways of making everything, and so it can't be given the time and space it needs maybe to to do the vision quote unquote thing. Even though I have right. plenty to praise about No Way Home's visuals, I just I just do think there's a lot more inconsistencies about the way that it's directed compared to something like the Batman, which feels like. Well, a, I mean, the Batman see. is exceptional visually. Yeah, like, it is well, well, well above like average or possible. It's it's really inspired visually. But yeah, um, and I in reality, I would opt to agree with what Frank said, which is just like, wait, why are we comparing 
What do you mean No Way Home couldn't? I'd be like, what? What are we? What are we saying here? Couldn't or didn't? You know, yeah. couldn't is a different word. Isn't like because my the first thing that comes to my mind is Homecoming Full would be the 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 more relevant comparison because they're kind of because the the Batman is kind of the Homecoming of Batman if that makes um, any no, sense I, where it's like I can see what you're saying. yeah. But the thing is, is that the Batman and, and No Way Home was like the comparison that I saw going around a lot. I think I even talked about it on a Cosmoronic episode. It's like, why are we comparing the cinematography of No Way Home to the Batman specifically rather than like Uncharted or any other number of films that came out around that same time? It just feels like the Batman... I think people forgot Uncharted happened. I don't think people knew it, well, knew it happened at all. Even, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like the fourth or fifth highest grossing film of the year. <laughs> Well, yeah, so, but like culturally, in our circles, I don't, I don't think I saw anyone mention it apart from you, and maybe an ad. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, well, yeah, no, I, I get you. I guess what I'm saying is, it's kind of funny that it was the Batman rather than like any other film. I didn't see any other comparisons to any other film that came out around that time. Like, it, it's just funny to me. That's all. Um, but let's see what Batman did that No Way Home couldn't, shall we? All right. Okay. Definitely an interesting question. Full spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home and The Batman. That's a-okay, because we have seen them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've been, you have yeah, well, Batman is Bruce now. Wayne. Oh, I don't think they revealed that yet. <gasps> Both Spider-Man and Batman have recently graced the silver screen with big-budget tentpoles that cost a fortune. And both films that's, made me nostalgic. So, I don't want to be too nitpicky, but that's a bit redundant to say big-budget films that cost a fortune. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's, you are correct. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be too nitpicky, but like that's, that's, funny. that's a bit redundant. I, I opted to just smirk when he said it. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure it was if it was thrilling just, and exciting. That cost a fortune, and both films made me nostalgic for their respective superhero movies in the 2000s. Namely, Spider Man No Way Home made me reminiscent of the incredible craft deployed by Sam Raimi, Don Burgess, and Bill Pope. Craft that is. I just always thought it was amazing that they were able, for the scene where he's in the mirror, that they were able to find a body double for um, this. this uh, What's the, what's the actor? Uh, Willem, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, right. They were able to find a body double for Willem Dafoe and have him be in that other room and having him mimic everything he said just perfectly. The time and talent that Sam Raimi takes to make these shots work, is it really is incredible. It's not worth understating. No. I feel He's like there's, that's, there's, a, there's a tinge of an undertone to, to that praise. I, I don't even know. Uh, I just think what he said was beautiful. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, how many so, times? How many times do you think they had to try this shot to get it just right to get these two actors to align so perfectly? They built an entire separate room. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually gonna just go for the like. You know what? It's up for interpretation of what is happening. You know, I, I, you know, I googled Willem Dafoe body double and this article came up. <laughs> a penis I knew about that, yeah. I remember people talking about it on some thread. 
Spider-Man No Way Home may be reminiscent of the incredible craft deployed by Sam Raimi, Don Burgess and Bill Pope. Craft that is lacking in poorly lit, overly green screened, sloppily scripted scenes meant to desperately sloppily tie scripted. together two... Well, I guess it depends sloppily on which script. Um, this is the, that's the portion of the video where you sort of... There's not much we can do with this until you not give yet, references. Not before we like, have some qualifications. Yeah, it's like, alright, if that's how you feel. Decades of Spidey film canon so that Tom Holland can stand alongside Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. The Batman may be nostalgic for 2005's Batman Begins and 2008's The Dark Knight, but not because it is derivative of those movies or because this iteration of Batman pales in comparison. It instead makes me think back to a time when these big budget movies flexed with awesome practical action and watertight scripts. It okay. conjured the f that, mm. Hey, that's fine. Okay. That's fine if you think that. Good. I'm, uh, good I'm interested in the fact that he said that the Batman made him reminiscent of. Because to me, Batman felt more reminiscent of like '90s Batman. A I think I could see. Yeah, anyway. like my brain probably does go to '89 before it goes to 2008. Uh, yeah, yeah, it just goes a little bit further back. I think it might be the soundtrack as well, though. It feels a lot more evocative of um of the, of that time. Um, yeah, yeah I'm trying to think. Uh, and you know what? Hot take. I didn't necessarily go to any other Batman. I was just like, this is this is Batman. This is a Batman. This is a new Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I was the same way. I was like, oh, this is just its own thing over here. Mm -hmm. Feeling of awe yeah. I had during the Christopher um, Nolan era. Yeah, for me, it was just like, because I, I rewatched all the Batman films before watching this one, and I just watched this one. It was just like, wow, this one actually comes the closest to what I actually really want from a Batman film out of all of them. Um, yeah. Because I, mm -hmm. yeah, I wasn't as impressed re-watching the live-action ones. Uh, animated ones, I, I, I still think, uh, you know, they're still pretty pretty, pretty nifty. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, yeah, as far as live-action goes, uh, uh, this is the one that really hit it for me as far as my, my Batman mix goes. Spider-Man No Way Home only wants to reference the previous movies to create a feeling of joy in the audience. Ooh. Um, oh no, disagree. Dangerous no, statement there. <laughs> yeah. Qualify, qualify, qualify. I mean, that is a form of a qualification to be like, they only... That means he's saying there are no references you could give that provide I mean, a sense of substance for the presence of these characters. And I'd be like, How oh. is the rooftop scene of them talking to each other meant to be evoking a feeling of joy? You know? That's not meant to be a feeling of joy. It's not meant to be a feeling of joy when, like, uh, when, um, when Toby stops the blades. Like, that's not joy, you know? Yeah. I, would, I feel like we're not giving the film enough credit in terms of the types of emotional responses it's trying to get out of you. And regarding substance, like, immediately I would probably cite that. I'd be like, you have Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man recanting the events of Spider-Man 1 now that he's much older and understands what he even figured out from that situation at the time. Yeah. Which is, mm. how is that not substantive and characterful? Like, how, how could it be anything else? Like, again, Multiverse of Madness, like, if you want an example of flat cameos that are designed to do mm. one thing and one thing only, you have, you know, Patrick Stewart as Professor X, but Ooh. not really anything meaningful beyond that. Well, not, that's not even meaningful. That's just a thing that they did that it's to some to audience members might be cool. Just yeah, go, exactly. I think, uh, I, think, I think the thing that would be worth pointing out is, in the case of No Way Home, even if you hadn't watched the Raimi or the web, like, the Tasm film, I feel like you're going to get something out of this story. They give you all the context yeah. you need to understand who these yeah, people are. 
if you exactly. let's actually pretend those films don't even exist and we watch this as it was and it's just like oh there's an actor called toby Maguire, and an actor called andrew garfield that came in to play alternate universe spider-mans it's like okay that's kind of interesting i guess um they describe their stories as they do i don't think this is because remember Multiverse of Madness doesn't have the context of the Darkhold telling everybody that um, she's going to destroy the world, and they forget to remind people of that, so it's just this missing component in the film. There's nothing in No Way Home that you need to have watched the other films for to understand why a certain thing happens. They provide it all in the film. You just benefit, yeah. I would argue. There's more flesh if you watch the films first. Yeah. yeah. Like, um... Uh, like, I, I actually do know people who uh, no Way Home was their first Spider-Man film, and they still thought it was um, pretty fantastic. Um, so it shows that they did do something pretty right with it if someone can go in without much context and still get something out of it. Reminds me of God of War 2018, where if you haven't played a God of War game before, you still get everything you need. Yeah, which is, I think, uh, what's but important. If you yeah, but, but if you play them, it's like... Good God, is it even better? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, also I like the contrast between these these three, like how I agree with one of them, and then the other two are just like... <laughs> oh. Uh... This just came Boba up with Fett more is awful. videos. True. Mm. Star Wars Lego True. Skywalker Saga restored magic. No. No. <laughs> no. And then, was Doc Ock ruined? I guess that's a question, yeah, so... Yeah. The answer is no. no. The fact that you would need to ask it, though. No. Yeah. Nah, I'm just, <laughs> it's no big deal. Franchises can only reference themselves now, a point the Matrix Resurrections made fun of. And well, it's funny you say franchises can only reference themselves because technically they were different. Do you count, like, like Raimi Spider-Man versus MCU Spider-Man? I guess you'd say they're the Spider-Man franchise and therefore the same one, but, like... Feels like we're kind of. Are we gonna pretend like Batman '89 and The Dark Knight are like part the same of the same franchise? Yeah, it's like, come like, on. I guess they are the same broad Batman franchise, but like, surely we're not gonna be doing that. And then you realize, wait a minute, what's wrong with that though? It's, it's surely it's about execution. Yeah. Rightfully so. The Batman looks to Seven the same way the Dark Knight looked to Heat. It features clear story and visual comparisons to other great movies, but it is something else all its own. It is the culmination of- I don't- I don't disagree with that. We're alright so far. Yeah. I have imagining that he's gonna be like, what he says about Batman will be pretty agreeable, what he says about Spider-Man will be like- <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. A seasoned yeah. writer director in Matt Reeves, who has previously delivered the horror and action that proves he's right for the night. The Batman shows what has been missing from big budget movie making as seen in Spider-Man No Way Home. Specifically the visual if style? If it's just going to be cinematography and visual effects, I'm going to be a little bit, I don't know, like, disappointed. We'll <laughs> I'm kind of tired of this discussion because I, I, don't, I feel like it's actually kind of... Surf it's, it's kind of funny, right? It's like the conversation around cinematography is often presented as like the more nuanced deep thing. And of course, cinematography is an important part of filmmaking. Absolutely, uh, there is writing as well, though. Like that's like the core of the. Yeah, it story. feels like everybody's like, "Well, we've talked about the writing," and you're like, "What do you mean?" It's like I said, I liked it. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, go back, go back, oh. go back. Hang this on, is, flip them, oh. flip them. Like I hope that the crux of this video isn't something like, "Oh, when Andrew Garfield caught MJ, it looked a bit jank because the landing was too fast." Um, which is like, yeah, I agree, but it's like, is that really like 
<laughs> what does that take away from like the the core of the film? Like I don't know. It's not an awful movie, but it doesn't go the extra mile to really deliver a gorgeous and thrilling experience like it could have. Oh, Greg, okay. gorgeous and thrilling. Um, I mean, some of it was gorgeous. I don't know what to tell. So, yeah. yeah, like it wasn't all jank. There's just jank parts of it, you know. And I, I experienced some thrill. I really did. Sorry. Yeah. Some of them thrills. Mike Frazier's cinematography is impeccable. I can't believe that he has delivered to us Dune and The Batman across 2021 and 2022 respectively. This is some Bill Pope Matrix sequel Spider-Man 2 energy. The guy has always been crushing it. Okay, so I'm gonna... sequel? I'm gonna say... Energy. Well, I mean, the, the, a lot of people say the cinematography in Revolutions as well, it's still good. It's just the writing in this Matrix sequel is sort of garbage. Um, which is probably fair. I need to rewatch them to confirm. But I what need I, to as well, yeah. What I, I will say... In ages. A little bit annoying. Everybody says, "Hey, Batman, got good cinematography. Spider-Man does not." And then you're like, "Can you elaborate?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> I will not. The I point is, well, I guess it's, it's interesting to do the the just have a scene and break down each like why each shot was used and what yeah. it achieves. Talk about composition, please. Yeah. yeah. You know something. Because um, I interesting stuff. This will come out after we've talked about it, so it's all good. But um, ev oh fuck. No, actually, this is not a spoiler, it's fine. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, I'm already going through it, right, to take notes ready for the EFAP and stuff. Um, the first time we see... Uh, it begins with the, or the main woman and then and, and the husband mm -hmm. comes up. When we see him walk up to her, he's facing away from the audience. You can actually see his face and his expression because there's a mirror in the background that he lines up with perfectly when he stands where he is. So... That's like, oh, that's a really fucking clever way to have organized that shot. Um, and you can see when he does a thing that he's smiling, and then she's like, stop fucking around. Like, it's, there's, there's reason to why things are placed where they are. And I really enjoy watching people point out stuff that I didn't even notice. It's like, did you notice that this, uh, this item is placed here and it's aiming like an arrow at this person, and later on they get shot through the head by an arrow? And you're like, oh, that's a nice bit of foreshadowing. In um, The Departed, every character, whenever they enter a scene... That's like prior to their death. There is a there is an X on the wall behind them. Um, there's there's stuff like that. There's just interesting things to note about what the visual is telling you. Why the things are put in the places they are. One of the ones I've cited before is um, and I think I would have shown at least Fringy and Rags the scene. But when um, Tywin goes to speak to uh, Joffrey, Joffrey's on a throne at the top of stairs, like a staircase. When Tywin speaks to him from the bottom of it, they frame fires in the front and back. The the fire next to Tywin is is a bigger size than 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 Joffrey's, even though he's above him and on a throne. Implication, of course, being that Tywin is it has so much more presence than Joffrey does, even if he's on a throne. There's all these kinds of things you can talk about with how they composite a shot that I think is really cool. And he he mentions lighting. The uh, lighting's super important. Talk about it. Show me it. I'm more than willing to be like, yeah, man, the Batman does fucking great with loads of these shots, and I'm glad you pointed out, instead of just appealing to what everyone has understood to be true, Batman looked good, Spider-Man looked bad. Moving on. Didn't look bad, though. That's the thing, it didn't look bad. There's lots of really cool <laughs> shots in it. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, I'm pretty, I, I would even go as far as saying pretty bad at uh, doing cinematography discussions, but I feel like all the basic things I could line out about a thing are, are still more than you typically get in video essays. I'd say so. Probably, yeah. Seems that way. Because, like, there are cinematography ex experts. Like, dude, you guys should make some videos. Do it.
Look at the cinematography of Killing Them Softly from 10 years ago and you'll see that Frasier is a seasoned anamorphic master. Just look at this filth. I think sometimes it's hard for people to watch a movie like No Way Home and see why- So like, uh, if I wanted to nitpick, I'd be like, do you like it because it's in slow-mo? you'll see that Frasier is like a seasoned anamorphic master. Just look at this Like, what is it about this shot that you think is worth praising? I'm not saying that you shouldn't, I just talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give me something. Yeah, this if is I did this, this, if Spider-Man was shooting his web in the rain and we got a slow-mo of that coming out of his wrist, would that be similarly hey, praised? Rags, or... you could even maybe have the web form into a hand as it goes to grab someone. <laughs> yeah, like it's <laughs> reaching for someone. Yeah, yeah. Very. That's no. That's really, that's really artistic. That's, yeah, it's a lot of cinematography there that I uh, think we can all appreciate. And, like, and you know, but this shot, you can, I can, I can even break down that this complies really nicely with the rule of thirds, um, as far as the cinematography goes. I don't even but know what we're that not is, even getting that. Yeah, um, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big problem with video essays where they will say things that they believe to be self-evident, but they won't break down the whys for the people who perhaps are a bit confused about why. Or perhaps maybe agree, but want to know to know why one looks better than the other. Um, I, I think that's yeah. a, a lot of people need to work on. I think, I'm not even trying to be mean when I say this, but I think a lot of videos are made to appeal more to a reaffirmation. They're like, uh, oh, this, this video will be designed for people who kind of agree with the sentiment already. So I'm just going to provide the simple version of the argument without any mm. detail. Meanwhile, I feel like we, on, we at EFAB much more invested in convincing and persuading. Um, we find that more uh, substantive, I suppose. Yeah. Like we've we've said, like I don't make Black Widow a Black Widow video specifically because I just want to appeal to the people who didn't like it. I'm like, no, no, no. If you love the film, I would actually like to know if the video can convince you of how it's not quite as well made as you may have thought, at least in its script. Um, I just uh, it's looking to go further than that. That's usually why I stick to writing because ultimately it's like, why don't you talk more about cinematography? And I'd be like, you know what? If I were more invested in cinematography, I probably would. But there's still films where I can't resist talking about how like some of the shots are so meaningful. Um, but this is, you know, it's like this this shot I think is satisfying to all of us. But it'd be like we talk about why. Yeah. Filth. I think sometimes it's hard for people to watch a movie like No Way Home and see why it's so flat and so uninteresting to look at. But then see, this is already unfair because there are really interesting shots in No Way Home, and you're just yeah, going to yeah, avoid I, them, I, seemingly. Yeah, I was never uninterested with how it looked when I watched it. Uh, I, I don't know. No, I, I remember the one where Strange pushes him out of his body, and then you had like the little things over his head where he has like the spidey sense guns and stuff like that. Like what about where he's about? crying in the rain? That's kind of similar to the no. gunshot one. Crying is cringe. We don't talk that's about that. That's the one that everybody agrees oh, is that's really right. good. That's, um, I don't think you'll find many pushback yeah. against that. But it will generally be that the majority of them was only serviceable. I thought it looked awesome when he entered the multiverse. Yeah, yeah not the multiverse, the mirror, mirror dimension. dimension. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was oh. really yeah. Cool. <clears throat> I mean, there are definitely shots that look jank. Like, there's no yes. getting around that. There are certain visual effects shots that are, like, really jank. Um, it Meanwhile, is not as good looking as the Batman. Yeah, and that's what I would conclude. Meanwhile, the Batman doesn't really have any jank shots, neither does something like nah. Dune. There's not a moment in Dune where I go like, oof. Like, yeah. no, it's, it's 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 all really solid. And yeah, No Way Home doesn't have that accolade. But to pretend that No Way Home is just ugly, it's like, huh, okay. Mm -hmm. I would reserve that for films like 
Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're actually Wait, kind we're... of still. That's like my go-to to answer these days. If someone would ask yeah. me, what's the ugliest movie you know? It's like Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. <laughs> Dude, I've seen no that one defend that at this point. Physically uncomfortable to watch. So blurry. <laughs> hey man, that film has an Oscar. <laughs> that film has an Oscar. Let it be known. Well, he needs film to has... fuck off. Why would you remind me of that? Yeah. Yeah. What did you it know, win an Oscar just... for? It was like fan voted or something. Like. Oh, it's like it's probably bots like the other Zack Snyder shit. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, right with this, um, with the whole like, oh, this looks flat versus, um, you know, this that looks great. Like, I don't know. I like rather than just saying something as being self evident. I think w with Marvel in particular, I think it's a more interesting conversation to have that Marvel is. Marvel's current um, pipeline relies on the film coming together in post-production to the point where the people on set oftentimes don't actually know what film they're making a lot of the time. Uh, they don't know how it's going to end. They don't know this, that, or the other thing. So they rely. So how that reflects with the visuals is that they, you can't do the LED screens, for example, that make the, that I think contribute to helping the Batman look a lot better, if only for the sake of lighting. Um, like you can't do a lot of stuff that requires you to know what the film is going to look like before you start shooting. They need to do it on blue screens. They need to do a lot of rotoscoping. And, you know, when you combine that with time crunch, that results in janky looking CGI. Um, less polished cinematography um i guess less meaningful choices production wise and you know i think that that, that does relate to what you were saying earlier Mola, which is um you know it is that mishmash of some stuff looks really great which might be the stuff that was you know they had that in the docket since um you know the the early phases while there's a lot of stuff in there they were still figuring out even after initial principal photography um had wrapped so that might result in janky looking i mean with no way home i think this has been pointed out that they were refining the film while it was in theaters they were improving <laughs> or, or in the uh, visual effects they were patching patched. it yeah. yeah uh day one patch for the well it was a week well maybe a week three patch i think for that one mm. but yeah, yeah. It was, it, it's funny to think that that's a thing for Film now. So I think that's a much more interesting conversation than, oh, the, the, just the surface level, like this looks flat versus this looks dynamic kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you really want to make that argument, can you at least detail it just a bit more? Mm. Yes, please. You see a blockbuster like Dune or the Batman, it's easier to see what's missing. There is no mood or overpowering feelings that can be derived from the way New York is depicted in No Way Home. I the disagree. <laughs> Not only do I disagree, but like, what, um,. What are we like? What what are we concluding there? That like, whenever there's a city involved in a story, you need to have a unique feeling about that city. Like, why is sometimes it, that... it? Sometimes it's just sunny outside. I'm sorry. Yeah, play. It, it might not be <laughs> that like, important. Um, yeah, just sort of see. Oh, this is where we are right now. There we go. I mean, the colors, of especially Gotham, has like this unique look in basically everything. I'm pretty sure, like in Marvel, it's always been just normal I would argue... cities almost. Gotham's really important to get right for a Batman story because it's typically going to be about yeah. him looking at a city that's completely corrupted, which is going to have a unique look, or at least you'd want it to. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about it uh, uh, on, on the Forge, me and I, with the uh, Under the Red Hood, 
where you yeah. see just Gotham, like from a top view, and you see like the gargoyles and then like all these skyscrapers, and it's dark. And it's like, if you would ask cool. me how Gotham looks like, this is how Gotham's gonna look like. If you ask me yep. how a city in the Marvel universe looks like, it's like, I don't know, which one are we talking about? Is it like a yeah. city on Earth? Is it a city somewhere in space? Uh, because in this case, it's New York City, but like, I don't think it. Yeah. Like, there's no problem with how it's portrayed, I don't think. No, exactly, because yeah. we don't have anything going on. It's not like, oh, there's like an alien invasion going on right now. We're just basically in normal city mode right now. There's no invasion, yeah. there's nothing happening. Just like, this is where yeah. we are. Let's go to Spundo. Yeah, no it's not it's not that kind of film. Um actually something that just occurred to me is that um YMS's um well the first part, because there's only one part at the moment of is a Lion King review does the whole breaking down things beyond the writing um much, much better than a lot of video essays do. Because what he does is he not he actually he he basically goes into the guts of yeah. the of the movie file and he and he breaks down each track, for example, beautiful. of the song. Oh yeah, <laughs> he talks really about cinematography good. all the time as well. He's he'll go as far as saying like, look at how the shadows work in this, and then look at how it works in this. This is supposed to imply that no matter what in all these scenes, like Scar often ends up in shadowed areas. Like compared it's like to shit, I wouldn't even notice myself if I'm yeah, being honest. That's the kind of stuff I wish people would point out more when they're yeah. so like definitive. Just, just give me because, funnily enough, you could even go as far as saying there is a shadow here and shadows are good. I'd be like. Okay, I want reasoning like what YMS would use, where it's like it gives a reason for why the shadow being in the place that it is is substantive to the story. That's what I really, really want. Um, yeah. Instead of just saying, but I mean, it's pretty. You're like, oh yeah, but yeah. it's got to go further than pretty, right? It's kind of world building. I just like looking at beyond the movies. Like, oh, this is here now. What does this mean for everything else that came before this? It's like I just keep noticing it when I go back to John Wick 2, it's like, god damn, you're just destroying everything with everything you do. It happens. <laughs> Especially yeah. when you get the knowledge of next movies, when you look back on things, like, oh, this thing with this thing together makes no sense and destroys everything. How did you fail so hard? It's insane. But people don't think about this. It's like, oh, this is a cool-looking thing, and this is neat. But yeah. That's... Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, and, um, with um, the YMS review, like uh, I was thinking about the cinematography, how he breaks down the cinematography there as well, and he um, he um, he, he also he addresses a lot of interviews with John Favreau, for example, um, and how he was trying to justify the flat look of the uh, yeah. of, of 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 the uh, remake, um, and he doesn't just stop at like um, original is vibrant, remake is flat. He goes. Your reasoning here is fundamentally flawed because your reasoning here is that um, real in real life, um, the visuals that are seen in the Lion King animated film can't exist. Meanwhile, you go into the behind the scenes for that film. Most of the visuals from that film were taken from real life stills they took from Africa. And they were quite amazed by just how frequently they were able to get such stunning vistas um, in Africa. Um, yeah. And... It, it it showed that, and he was not only showing that it's not unrealistic to get this. I mean, but even if it wasn't, like the focus on realism is such is so is completely counterintuitive. But it's not even as realistic as the filmmakers thought. Like there's there's there are dimensions to the criticism there that I really appreciate. 
feelings that can be derived from the way New York is depicted in No Way Home, the colours are flat and the green screen pickup shots stick out like a sore thumb. The shadows are never dark enough to create real contrast, and when the camera does do something interesting it feels like an experimental moment rather than a concerted effort to create cohesive visual language for the film. It feels like an experiment rather than a cohesive language for the film. I don't know. I feel like it isn't an experiment and is part of a cohesive narrative. Well, yeah, first of all, I don't know why you couldn't have both. Uh, and secondly, do you really think there's nothing about the way he shot this scene particularly that was trying to accentuate this portion of the story? Which is escalation. Panic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like we're in the scene with them. We're walking around as everyone's trying to make sense of what's happening. Yeah, there's a word I really like. It's called heterogeneity. It's the opposite of uh, homogeny, which is to say um, there is um, uh, there there not everything is perfectly uniform. And I think this can apply to cinematography as well, where the style um, is shaken up in order to emphasize the emotions or the feelings, the tension, all that stuff within a given moment. Um, so I don't know. To me, this is reading like. I don't know. I don't. I would like to maybe ask him, but um, does he want just a completely homogenous style where there aren't peaks and valleys in intensity in um, the way the camera is used? Because I, I don't know. I feel, I feel like that would that would create a very that 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 does risk creating a, a more samey feeling film, and it it, it perhaps risks den denying the impact of certain scenes if he. Uh, wants certain aspects to be, I quote unquote, more con, uh, consistent or more common throughout the film. Like I don't, I would like to probe the standard there at least a little bit. Yeah, uh, it, it and it feels more to me that he realized that there are going to be some scenes he may have to address because some things do really look good in this, and so he's going to have to at least find a way to tuck them away in this argument. So now he's opted for saying they just seem experimental and not a part of a cohesive vision. Whereas Matt Reeves' perchance for voyeuristic angles certainly has a touch of Hitchcock and De Palma, evident in the Batman but also his earlier work, in Let Me In, the 2010 horror adaptation of the Swedish novel Let the Right One In, Reeves and DP Greg Frazier create some truly arresting work. It is a really telling mix of voyeurism, warm hues in a cold setting, and a great use of light and shadow that proved these two were perfect for a trip to Gotham City. Seriously, for a movie in winter it's actually very warm with nice burning orange colours that clearly proceed the work done on the Batman. See, so the thought's not finished. You've established we've got a cold setting with warm colours. Tell me why that's meaningful. Y yeah, because that's what I was, I was waiting for like the, um, the explanation of like, this is thematically relevant to this film because I like, I could probably even take a guess because I know this is a film about vampires. So is it like, a case of this is a vampire love story, but, you know, vampires are, you know, they're cold, you know, they're dead and all that. So there's a warmth within the coldness of, you know, the like there's there's stuff you can pull from that. But I don't I don't feel like he's 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 addressed that within his own script. I'm having to pull from it myself with my yeah. own pre-established knowledge of what the film is about. Someone else could have said the big problem with the cinematography and let the right one in is the fact that they fail to use accompanying lighting that matches the setting and it causes problems because as a viewer you associate a more warm and comfortable situation despite the fact that these characters are actually in a very uncomfortable situation or something like that. 
And without seeing yeah. the film, I wouldn't be able to. I'd just be like, okay, that's an idea. I, I get it. Like, what's the counter? Because, I, again, I'd need to see the film to do it myself. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, the, it felt to me like he's noted that, but it is just hasn't taken it to the, the conclusion, I guess. Yeah, it's incomplete. Very warm with nice burning orange colours that clearly precede the work done on the Batman. Like the winter months, we expect Gotham to come across colder and more blue in tone, but it works perfectly in both. Gotham is rainy and murky, but the warmer tones make the city feel ready to blow. So is that the meaning behind that choice of colour for the Batman at least? Is that more orangey in the winter months because it enhances the feeling that the city is ready to blow? Um, I, I guess that's his reasoning there. Um, no, yeah, that's this. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm being completely honest. Because I mean, like, the, um, the explosion plan came out of nowhere for me anyway in the third act, like flooding the yeah. city. Yeah, you could say that it's um, visual foreshadowing, but in the script, it's just um, it does come out of nowhere. Um, like. It, yeah, because uh, because again, like you know, the, it, it comes down to what we what's often talked about here on on EFAP is that um you know the visuals um are often can only are often only as strong as the accompanying script. So yes, there might be visual foreshadowing, but it's missing the um the textual connection uh, connections earlier in the film to to render that visual choice. Um, as meaningful as as it could be, and and once again, let's go back to the fact that um, he is using this. Uh, he, he mentioned let, let me in um, as a comparison, but he he, I feel like if he had completed the thought with the let me in, and he had explained why the contrast between cold and heat in that film were um were were, were relevant to that film, he could have then further completed the thought with how he does something similar with the Batman. But at the moment, I'm having to fill in a lot of gaps yeah, myself. I was even going to say, if we all just intuitively go, oh, yeah, that's a great reason for why uh, why there's orange hues with this portion of the film because it relates to the explosion. I just be like, is that really it? Is that all that you have to say on that? It's just like it, it's supposed to make you feel like we're, um, we're on the verge of destruction or something? Yeah. Like I feel the, like there's, like there's be more, more you it. could draw from that. Yeah. Yeah. King. Rithers to match. Protagonist of Let Me In, Owen, spies on various characters throughout the movie. When we watch people through someone's eyes, it immediately brings their perspective of events to the forefront. That's why this Batman feels like the focus, where other movies have perhaps seen him overshadowed by the villains. Wow. Batman Forever is an example of that? I mean, Jim Carrey is pretty funny in it. Uh, goofy. But, um, I, I guess... I'm trying to think of how I even feel about that film in terms of like Batman in it. Mm. He's fine. Most people think... don't remember he even played Batman. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I uh, I watched Batman Forever relatively recently. I remember there was a there's a lot of stuff in there that in a better film could have been very juicy to chew on. I remember as far as Batman was concerned in that. Mhm. Mm 
Everything feels very attuned to his understanding of the world and his reaction to events. The voyeuristic camera work as he spies on Selina or the mob, or records every inch of a crime scene really helps to sell this. Many final shots in the Batman movies are big and epic, but this movie ends on an intense, closely framed image of a heartbroken bat speeding away. Like the Dark Knight does? Wait a minute. Outside of the Schumacher ones, what is, does the Tim Burton ones have him running toward the screen as well? Um, Batman Begins ends with him diving off the building, but it's not towards camera. It's kind of just he's just diving down, and we the camera tracks him. Um, I think, I think that's how it ends, unless I made that up in my head. Um, how does and Dark Knight Rises ends with hit with with uh, John Blake. It, um, the elevator going up in the Batcave. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah, that's a Schumacher thing. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like a Batman thing when you consider all the movies. Like, what about Dark Knight Rises? How does that end? Oh, um, well, uh, John, like, elevating... Oh, sorry. The, uh, 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 Batman Returns? Begins. Um, you said... It, uh, did you say Batman Begins? He, he jumped off the building. Yeah, um, I, 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 I mentioned uh, both. I, I covered Begins and Rises. Right, right, right. Uh, um, well then, what about Batman Returns? I'm trying to remember how that one ended because uh, uh, um, I think the last shot I remember in that film was just him driving away as Bruce Wayne. Um, but I don't remember him going towards camera in that one. Uh, and I don't, th I don't think he runs towards, I think the last shot of the Tim Burton one, it might've been the Batwing against the moon, but I can't actually remember. For some reason, the Burton films are having trouble staying in my brain as far as, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the unfortunately I don't have the files on hand. I'm not even sure why I think I screwed them up or something, but, um. I don't know. This, this doesn't feel as common as he's implying. <laughs> it's the, the... Yeah. Like. It's very Schumacher. That's the the whole running towards. I'm not saying other superhero films haven't done it, but like yeah. Batman specifically, it's only been done, I think, with Schumacher. That's what I remember it as being. Um, because he's implying like this Batman focuses on his POV, and we can see that in that it ends with just him on a road on his bike on a road, and I'm just like, I mean, is that unusual? Um, like it usually ends like the only one that ends not focusing on Batman, I think, is Rises, and that's but even then the implication there thematically is that um is that you know this is the you know this is the new generation next yeah. generation Batman. So it's still technically I don't know. I don't know. Um the Batman movies are big and epic, but this movie ends on an intense, closely framed image of a heartbroken bat speeding away. I also let Spider-Man No Way Home off uh, yeah. the hook in part because I knew it was a COVID shoot. As boring as it is to hold key conversations in jail cells, Benedict knows what that's like, it was of course necessary as a workaround to restrictions. But now that we've seen The Batman, a film that was also shot predominantly during COVID, there really is no excuse. Ooh. So funnily enough, I was actually going to go further than him and say, you know what, just because something was shot during COVID, that doesn't mean you then don't give it points down for having poopy visuals. You can still do that. You should be like, yeah, it may be a result of whatever happened, but that is the reality of the shot. However, yeah, him exactly. saying 
This other film was shot during the pandemic, therefore, if it's better visually, this film has no excuse. Like, dude, you have no idea what the difference in their restrictions were. You have no well, idea what yeah, we're dealing with for the actors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not yeah, only like different Batman places to shoot, but to account for so many more actors, you're just like, well, Batman's better now. Yeah. And it's like, oh. An earlier release date, which of course it's not like an excuse, it's just, but it explains a lot. And, yeah. Um, like I said, I would rather just go further and say nobody gets any excuses. We'll just talk about what their shots are and we'll say yeah. one was better than the other. We, we don't need to account for cause. But if you're going to say that that's a reasonable argument and then say well, we don't have to because Batman looks better and did the... stop implying they had the exact same problems to deal with just because it was both during COVID times. Like It's going to be much more complicated than that. Yeah. Whilst there might be one too many returning locations, could the bat and the cat hold their meetings on a different roof? There is certainly character to the city of Gotham. It rarely feels restricted by COVID mandates because the cinematography works smarter, making great use of the screen technology Greg Frazier works on with The Mandalorian. I feel like I'm going to get clipped for this music. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite loud, isn't it? This stuff yeah. is so much better than green screen because you can actually light the room. Uh, you can do that with so, green screen being You can do it with green screen, it's harder. Um, because yeah. you've got the actual visuals against the screen, you just don't have to worry. It's all going to look, this. it's going to be cohesive. It's funny because um, I'm, I'm kind know. of pushing his point further than he is. I'm saying, like, they could have done better with some of the stuff yeah, they did they in could. No Way Home. Though, also, I'm not even sure how many of these stages are even available to use. Um, it may well be that they just did not have access to it. It was being used by other studios. There aren't that mm. many of these. You know, this is a new technology. Yeah. What what, what was it called again? Sorry. I, um, I, I think, can't remember. It's, ILM made it. It's. Um, I think it's called an LED volume. That's the very technical term. So it's a lot okay. of screens glued together, it's basically. Called stagecraft. It's called Stagecraft. That's like the, it's, uh, yeah, Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, it's, it. it's real neat. I've never heard of that. It's but, awesome. Um, um, People are also, yeah. if you don't get the lighting right, you'll still notice the fuck out of it in terms of looking quite real. Um, it's not, I don't think it's as simple as you project the image and thus the lighting works. You still need to have more of a hand in it than um, that. It's, it's complicated. It, I think the main uh, utility of the system is that you can make the changes to like the backgrounds and stuff in real time and then the lighting will sort of adjust accordingly. Um, yeah. A lot of um, the work is done ahead of time rather than after the fact. Yeah, um, and I think one of the things that people miss with it is that you still got to do, there's still limitations, right? So natural light, like if you're in a natural environment, it's actually, it's not bright enough to recreate the sun, for example. So it will stand out as being artificial still um, in those environments. So you've got to really um, work to compensate for that. Um, if you're in a more natural environment, you've got to be careful to not lean into it as a crutch because there have been um i think there was an independent film that was created um to, with the technology to prove that hey you know even indies can take advantage of this to do like more lavish locations than they otherwise would have um otherwise in theory anyway and uh the the issue a lot of people pointed out was that um there are certain elements that were missing because they go into a cave for example um for example and uh there's no like dust there's no um certain there's no um lighting elements you would expect within like a cave that has some natural sunlight pouring in um and even in the outdoor sequences it looks pretty flat because there wasn't any lighting besides the the screen there so it was 
it looked like it was it the color matched, but the the intensity and the brightness didn't. So there's still a lot of work that needs to uh, you need to do with how the technology is at at the moment. It will eventually improve, obviously, as we as it's iterated. But there are still certain limitations you've got to account for um, with it. Yeah. Yeah. The design of Gotham City helps this as well. Utilising British cities, including Liverpool and Glasgow, helps to capture the gothic feel as well as the animated series. And oh, wish, uh, you could have done a fun joke, which would be like, uh, utilising the depressing cities of Britain, we can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Arkham games. It feels claustrophobic and grimy and lived in. The way the city is designed and captured makes it so clear throughout the movie the hold that Falcone and the mob have. Of course, New York is a real place, but that doesn't mean that production design couldn't have brought out more of its character. I don't... Well, this wasn't actually See, this is the York. thing. I was actually pretty on board with him about Gotham for the most part there, but when he switches mm -hmm. over to this and he's like, they don't have that and this, like, yeah, because No Way Home doesn't really regard New York City as, as the Batman regards Gotham. This yeah. is not the same thing. Yeah, like as as strange as it is to say, um, if you ignore the 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 fact that this is like multiverse, um, you know, magic, huge, you know, um, things being pulled pulled in all directions cosmically, um, this is No Way Home is a very deeply personal, character driven story. So it's not about like a large city. It's not about um, you don't really need to define that because it's about the people involved and that's and that's the important part of this yeah i don't think um new york city is as important to them when they were writing this in this one it may be in other films but uh really not about the state of the city it's about the state of peter parker also yeah. uh, even his multiversal selves it doesn't help that the script for No Way Home leaves little time for the inhabitants of the city to make their voices heard. Peter has a FaceTime with J. Jonah and by extension the city, in which he explains the villains being here is his fault, but we never get a sense of how the city views him past the first 30 minutes. Um, I don't know that we know... Uh, is that what this story is about, though? Um... Because not it's what the world yeah, thinks about him. yeah. Because like it's not really relevant past that point. Well, well because the priorities change. Um, in the first thirty minutes, yeah, it is about how the city views him because it's what spurs him to make that choice. But then once that happens, his priorities change. To yeah, like it's irrelevant what they think conflict. when we're dealing with the multiverse cracking apart. Yeah. So I was about in my head, I was like, yeah, we get it in the first act because that's when it would have been relevant. Uh, mm -hmm. But we move on from that the second that things start to unravel. Like, it, being like, you know, how do they feel about him at this point in the film? It's just like, I don't know that that matters that much at this point. He's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And the finale takes place away from civilian danger, the obvious place for them to come into play. In the yeah, Batman's but, like, it makes sense that you would want to be out of the way of civilians because you want to protect them. Yeah, yeah. like they bait them intentionally over to a construction site for that purpose. Yeah, they, it gives them lots of web opportunities as well as it being secluded. And it's knowable. Like, like I think they rely on the fact that they all know where this is. Exactly. First appearance. Yeah. Like, um, he used the Green Goblin from uh, the Raimi films um, as an example. But I think that's, he's, he's forgetting the context that Goblin in that film was deciding where the conflict took place. He was yeah. putting it in a place that was public, that had spectacle, where people would be in danger, while 
if Spider-Man's choosing the location, it's going to be the exact opposite. He's going to make sure that no one, no one is going to be in danger outside of the people who absolutely need to be. In the Batman's first appearance, the civilian he saves begs him not to hurt him, but by the end he transforms into a true hero, saving the drowning citizens from Riddler's real chain. Calm down, mate. True hero. He was a true <laughs> hero when he rescued that guy. Like, why did you imply that that was something he wasn't? His methods are yeah, uh, The way that he's going about things is changing. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah like saying he transformed into a true life. hero is such a weird way to phrase all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also now we're at the point where it feels like I'm I'm telling you guys that you know, uh, the Daredevil show is better than the Hawkeye show, and you're like, oh why? And I go, well, in Daredevil they actually have Hawkeye, uh, uh, Daredevil and Punisher speak to each other about their differences. In Hawkeye, Hawkeye never speaks to like Punisher about his his reasoning and his differences. Punisher's not even in it. Yeah, it's like, kind of oh, like okay. That's... Mm. Huh. It really makes sense. That's like this completely different goal kind of being satisfied. Kind really. Yeah. But by the end, he transforms into a true hero, saving the drowning citizens from Riddler's real change. It leads to one of the best shots in the movie that perfectly captures the hopeful side to the character and proves he's more than just abject darkness. I thought most of the action is... I mean, it's worthwhile just pointing out, right? The light coming from him and everyone is following him. He is a, a yeah. leader and an inspiration. He yeah. is a beacon of yeah. hope. Yeah. He's the light in the dark. I just love people to talk about cinematography more. And talk mm -hmm. about how it relates to the story. In No Way Home was pretty bad. Sure, there was some decent hand- Wait, sorry, what did he say? Something uh, Most of the action in No Way Home was pretty bad. Oh. Was it? I disagree. Uh, I disagree. Yeah. I, I thought it was fine. <laughs> sure, there was some I decent hand-to-hand -hand stuff between Holland and Defoe in both the apartment- Jeez, yeah, That's two of the- the bigger action scenes. That, yeah, the, 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 those are good. If we had, yeah. how many action scenes like do we those. have in total? It's probably like, probably six? like four or five. Well, I was going to include, yeah. I guess, the Sandman Electro initial one as well. Yeah, I, I'd include that. So, oh, so it's probably like six or yeah, five or six. Um, I'm trying to think of. I think they scored pretty high. A lot of them. We were pretty happy with all of them in terms of consistency. Like yeah, they're not bad. And yeah. at the end, decent choreography that packs a wallop in the edit, and I can tell what's going on. Groovy, really. But in terms of the rest of it, I'm not so sure. Give me reasons or I'll Bye. kill you. Oh no. <laughs> in particular, the finale takes place on a dimly lit piece of scaffolding. No one really throws many punches, and there isn't a sense of jeopardy that is comparable to Green Goblin, Doc Ock, or even the Vulture uh, by themselves. Man, like, the, there's no jeopardy when the bomb gets into the, uh, into into the, the magic box. box. Yeah. And then blows everything up, and then there's no MJ jeopardy when Toby's about to be drowned in sand. Yep. There's no jeopardy when he gets stabbed. Yeah. There's no jeopardy when they're both held no by Electro. When, yeah, when they're getting the zap. There's no jeopardy in like the fight itself with Green Goblin. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like I almost shat my pants a couple of times during that final fight, as there far was, as you know, stakes go. There was jeopardy in the fight with Green Goblin in the apartment. He was getting mashed. He was getting yeah destroyed. Yeah, gotta disagree on that one. In particular, the finale takes place on a dimly lit- As for saying dimly lit, I assume the problem with dimly lit is we can't tell what's happening, but I could tell, so... Yeah. If anything, it's got better lighting than it really should have. Yeah. <laughs> ...lit piece of scaffolding. No one really throws many punches, and there isn't a sense of- I don't know what to say about the th doesn't throw many punches. Their goal isn't to actually punch and yeah. kill these people, but even also, though they definitely throw mean, punches, it's also, just- 
Yeah. You throw punches at Sandman. I feel like that ain't going to do much. To you. <laughs> you throw punches at Electro. He'll just go intangible. They try to punch him and it doesn't work. The only one yeah. they can punch really is Lizard, and they do. They do, their, yeah. Their plan is to get all the things they prepare to. They're trying to apply the yeah, cures. They, That's their goal. The cures, yeah, exactly. The places to save them. They're not trying to fight them. Well, the Jeopardy examples in the videos is like straight up 1v1 fights. Yeah. It's comparable to Green Goblin, Doc Ock, or even the Vulture by themselves. I don't Seeing like the, photo or even the Vulture, the implication that it's not on the same level well, as those other ones. That's the thing, it's not Raimi, so <laughs> even non-Raimi things are able to do some good stuff sometimes. Even though that Crazy. one was super intense. ...of an abandoned moment between Tugboat and Defoe just makes it even worse. Okay, hang the fuck on, you have no idea what that scene is. You, you don't know if that's good or not. It's you not don't know why the they got rid of it. I think it's just the potential is alluring, but, you know? Yeah, but like, why would yeah. you conclude that it's a loss that it's out as opposed well, to they yeah, probably cut it for a reason? Like, that's what I'm saying. Is you don't and, know whether it's good or not. I think it's especially strange to conclude that after saying the Defoe-Tom uh, Holland fights are the, like, the best ones and they're great. Like, and then to be like, wow, yeah. what what a insane miss. I was just like, maybe they knew what they were doing. Maybe the, the, the final cut for this thing was terrible. I don't know. Defoe just makes it even worse. How the fuck would you show me something if I couldn't have it then? They didn't find <laughs> They show us stuff that they cut all the time. I like the clip. I do like the clip. Would you show me if I can't have it? I think this finale could have gone much harder. We should have gotten more rousing musical moments, more well-staged bouts between- You know what? I think the reverse. I think that they really pushed it to the limit on uh, their musical cues with references to Amazing Spider-Man and Raimi Spider-Man. Um, yeah. I, they were just at what I would consider to be like, alright, you might want to relax, because um, you don't want to you don't want to ruin it by keep playing them, uh, by carrying on playing them, yeah. Yeah, like, I've seen re-edits of, like, say, the portal, like, them coming through the portals where they've, like, where people have shoved really overt mm -hmm. references to the uh, films, and then I rewatch the original, and I'm just like, wait, 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 wait. They do use the themes when they come through the portal. They're just very subtle because it doesn't need to be overblown, and that makes the later moments where you get the more um, operatic... Um, uh, 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 version of the themes much more impactful because you got that contrast there. And actually, um, I've, I've I've looked at a lot of these um, soundtrack re-edits, and the only one that kind of stood out to me as something that could have been cool under the right circumstances is like the like an or the orchestral '60s Spider-Man jingle playing when all three of them are doing things, as if to say collectively this is Spider-Man rather than it being any one of their themes dominating. But I feel like you would still need to do some extra steps with that musical cue um, beforehand to make it meaningful if you haven't, uh, if you're not as familiar with Spider-Man. Uh, so that was, I think that was more cool on a meta level yeah. more than anything, but I, I didn't even think about that one more. It's gotta be a balance with your uh, spectacle. You, gotta be, you can't just be going like, boom, 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 look at Toby, yeah, rub him against the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Between the Spider-Man and the Sinister Six, five, Green Goblin should have rocked Andrew and Toby's shit just as much as Holland's before that final beatdown. I know that that's a really common thing. People are like, I want to see Willem Dafoe and Toby doing things as well, but it's just like, I'm sorry, this movie is about Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I think that is a fair choice that they made. Uh, yeah. What is, uh, what is he saying? That it didn't focus enough on the other two Spider-Men? He's saying that um, we could have had a lot of spectacle payoffs in No Way Home that we didn't get, including but not limited to having Willem Dafoe rocking every Spider-Man shit instead of just Tom Holland's, which to be fair is not even true. He throws a fucking bomb that hits all of them. 
Um, but the fact is, yeah. yeah, like Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin is after Tom Holland's go uh, Spider-Man in this film. Like they, yeah, that's what they're doing. Like the idea that it's like, yeah, but we gotta have at least a look from Dafoe and and Toby. They gotta be like, oh, hey, man. Like I, I, I mean, they could have done it, but they didn't, and I don't know that it make, it makes it a worse film for not having that. Uh, when we're yeah, focusing hardcore, but yeah, I think they do have a look. Really well the... the thing is, they're not yeah, necessarily from the same world. They could be from different ones. In fact, they're probably likely to be from different ones. You know, they would be, wouldn't they? Because Toby's died. In the infinitude of the multiverse. Yeah. So technically speaking, they don't actually know each other at all. Um, but yeah, I don't well, know. Well, because like. Because the implication is that um, all the villains in this are variants of the original people who died, right? I think like, so. These... At the very least, it would yeah. make it uh, cleaner writing-wise, I think, to say that. Because uh, Marvel time travel doesn't work with... Uh, well, it's not meant to work with uh, the, the past being able to affect the present, so... Uh, that's something I, I, I kind of wish they addressed a little bit in the film, actually, is be, like, because they, there's kind of, because they're, they're acting, because they, they know that each villain is taken from a different point in the time stream, um, like just before they died. But are any of the Spider-Men actually familiar? Why would they be familiar with the rules of time travel in the MCU? Because they're kind of acting as if this is not going to fundamentally alter History. I don't know. I think I would have liked a little bit of a conversation about that, um, just from their point of view. Like, what do they know about the implications of, like, like the, the more cosmic implications? Like, is are they going to create a paradox or something? Because obviously, we as the viewer have experienced Endgame and Loki and all of that. They kind of go into the rules, but the the none of the characters in this film have had any firsthand experience um, with the time travel stuff. So it's, uh, it's something interesting to think about at the very least oh man because there are definitely fuck-ups in this film um i was just thinking about how uh we, we were talking a little bit earlier back about different choices and opportunities you have and not taking them like endgame did with a couple of the characters but i guess you can get to the point where there were many options for payoffs you can't have all of them mainly i guess for time constraints but also because you worry about say in endgame you did give drax that payoff of killing thanos like, if we were in a writer's room, I'd be like, I'm not sure Drax should be the one to kill him. And then someone goes, yeah, but Drax has got this whole arc that relates to what Thanos did to his family. Don't you think it's suitable? And it's like, it is, kinda. But the thing is, him killing him means that Iron Man can't be the one that does it. It also means that Thor can't be the one to do it. It also means that the Hulk can't be the one to do it. You know, like, whoever does it out of this lot means the others can't, unless we find a way for them to all do it together, which would be difficult, not impossible. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is like certain payoffs get chosen in place of other potentials. And I just think that they, yeah. they would have sacrificed um, any interactions that were significant for the goblin with Garfield or the goblin with uh, Maguire in favor of the goblin focusing on the protagonist of this film as a villain. Like it, that lines up to me. It doesn't seem like this, this obvious yeah. missed opportunity. Yeah, exactly it. And, um, I think I think we also said it in the um, stream. Like we would have happily, like I I I know at least me and Jay would have happily watched like a, a I don't know a three four hour cut of this film that goes into even more detail about yeah. 
everything and has more opportunities. But you got to remember that this is, you know, this is, we don't live, this wasn't a, a streaming film that can be any length it wants. This is a, uh, you know, this is a film that had to be released into theaters um, uh, and, you know, um, a comply to um, certain expectations and all of that. So they had to work within certain boundaries. Not to say that an extent, I think out of every film in the MCU, I would love, more than anything, I would love to see an extended cut of this. But I think we also got to focus on the fact that they delivered what I think is like a pretty impressively functional product considering the various limitations that they were put under. This I just Everything. checked this um to see which was longer between this and Multiverse of Madness. This film, No Way Home, is longer by about twenty minutes, but mm. Multiverse of Madness felt like it was way longer. It's dense, a dense movie. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Green Goblin should have rocked Andrew and Toby's shit just as much as Holland's before that final beatdown. See, I already think this is an erroneous assumption. Why should it be just as much? They are not the focal points. Like, why wouldn't we extend it out if you're that, you're that worried? Shouldn't he rock Doctor Strange's shit as much as the other three? Like, why not? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming it's because yeah. you'd say, well, because he's Spider-Man. And I'd be like, yeah, but he's the main character, so why not just him? Yeah, like, um, you got to remember, like, the, the ingredients you have in this film, there are so many different combinations that could be um, really enticing um, to go together. But, you know, we can't just think about, you know, we can't just think about this scene for scene. Like, we can't just think about what scenes have we lost. We also have to think about what place do these scenes have within the narrative? And uh, does it have a place? What does it compromise within the narrative? Um, yeah. And, you know, that's on top of the obvious time restrictions they have to begin with. Well, imagine and when the explosion... Spider-Men were busy. They were, they were fighting other villains. They were doing stuff. Imagine when the explosion yeah, it's not goes like they off. they were just left out. Goblin, like, drives into Strange himself and actually pulls him out of the fight and starts punching him or something, and Strange is kind of, like, delirious to be able to do any spells. And then they have, like, a back-and-forth while they're kind of fighting about how Strange is kind of at fault for all of this. And the goblin is like thankful that he dragged him into this world so that he can cause so much chaos because this is this is more than he's had to uh, had fun with in a while. And Strange has to come to terms with the fact that that's a reality. And what does he have to say back? Someone could be like, "Where was that payoff?" And he'd be like, "Well, that's just not a choice they made storytelling wise. They could have, but they didn't." Yeah, like for me, like if I'm thinking about payoffs or like at least moments that I, I think I would have liked more of, it's like because the 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 Mark Webb and Raimi films are um quote unquote more grounded than the uh, crazy MCU world that they end up in. You know, the I think I could have or I think I don't think I would have complained if there were even more scenes of them just reacting to just how ludicrous this reality is with magic and technology and yeah. stuff. Uh, than there was in the film, but of course, they could. They they thought the the fact that they thought to include those reactions at all shows that they were on the right track, and that they probably would have had more of an exploration of their individual reactions to this universe if there was time. It's just there probably wasn't time. They had to think about what they were focusing on on with this film within the uh, the, the limitations that they had, and you know I think we have to we have to focus we we. You know, it is a it is an easy trap to fall into of criticizing a film for what you wish was in it, rather than 
focusing on what the film was. And it's not to say that it's not an interesting conversation to think about the what ifs, but um, there's a difference between that and focusing on what the film does do and how well it does it and how well it comes together, ignoring the, the preconceptions about what could have happened. Andrew and Toby shit just as much as Holland's before that final beatdown. Everything is just so murky and hard to look at. The action in the back. I... No. Murky and hard <laughs> to look really. at. I, I just don't know how many people actually found that to be the case. I, I wonder if this is just something that gets repeated and accepted as true. Showed um, lizard. Climbing out of the thing, and it's just like, look at how murky and hard to look at it is. I'd be like, first of all, murky, I mean, to a degree, that's the intention. He's climbing out of the darkness and water as a lizard. Like, he's a bad guy that's as well. That's the intention, like, right? I think that they're going for him not... being murky, yeah. But then being yeah. hard to look at, does he mean hard to understand, or does he mean you look at it and you go, ew, like Army of the Dead? Because I do not, <laughs> like, feel that way about it. I think maybe what he's going for is um, there could be higher contrast, like he could stand out more from the background. But um, the thing is, right, I'm not a, I think I had that issue myself with the film, but I was, I'm also partially colorblind. So I'm wondering if my difficulty sometimes, like Lizard blends into a lot of backgrounds for me in this film, but I'm wondering if, you know, it's one of those questions I ask is, is that a, is that an actual technical fault with the film? Or is it um, more? Or is it more that um, my eyes, like biologically, are just not picking up the information correctly? Like I'm not actually sure one way or another. Um, if I were to uh, point out something that maybe could be improved here, is that um, he's directly in the center of frame, which with the rule of third, you kind of want it to be slightly off to the side, kind of lining up with um, the the crossing points of the of the rule of thirds. Uh, grid so that could create an illusion of flatness but um, I'm not a, a cinematography expert either so I'm more just this is the thing I got to assume uh, there's a reason or a, an argument for why they would want him in the center maybe to make it feel yeah. as though from this angle that lizard is coming for that whole building he's he's on his way you know like in reference to their sizes it yeah. gets a bit complicated with cinematography to say what is the correct or incorrect choice yeah, I think that I uh, completely agree. From what from from what I understand about cinema, it's kind of like framing in a comic book. You know, it's it's kind of hard to say like what. It's more so that you will often be presented with a lot of options, um, a lot of really good options, and so you just need to think about what will best serve your story. But again, it's hard to say that something is like an objectively correct or incorrect framing choice. That seems like something that would be incredibly difficult to do. Mm so murky and hard to look at. The action in the Batman is fantastic. There's a subjectivity uh, to the car chase. Uh, it's interesting you chose the visual of him smashing through the ceiling when the- oh, When all the glass is raining down uh, on- Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There were better choices you could have made for fantastic. Face that gives us a very frenetic energy. Reeves and Frazier choose to keep most of the action bolted to the cars, or we see the chase from inside the vehicles. This makes for a very personal and intense scene. It's a Batmobile chase that offers big bombastic thrills as good as in Batman Begins, but with a much more intimate, distinctive style. Both chases are great, and that's what I love about this film. Where other franchise fare can sometimes seek to be an inferior copy of its predecessor, this movie adds to Bat-Cannon in a variety of glorious ways. Guess I don't really disagree. With, 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 again, yeah, I feel like yeah. If that's how you feel, then that's how you feel. 
Um, um, no, you know, I'll stand him a little bit more. I think that uh, you can make like real arguments about how um, having having a lot of the angles that the uh, chases captured from being like a camera that's affixed to the rear wheel of the car. Uh, or like, yeah, like um, something that's mounted on the back of the car so that you can see the engines rearing. Like, there's a lot of really interesting choices that they make that really try to pull you in very close to the action rather than taking a big, broad um, sort of perspective. And I think a lot of it makes it seem more claustrophobic than it might be if you are... Like, it, it emphasizes the density of this highway and how many things that you have to account for how difficult it is to see a lot of things as like a lack of clarity, but at the same time, you know exactly where everybody is. And what I'm highlighting is doing. I'm disagreeing with like everything he's saying. And then he has a whole section where I'm like, I don't disagree. And it's like, so what does that mean? It's like, it means that when he props up the Batman for some stuff, I'm just like, chill. And then when he shits on No Way Home, I'm like, wait, but the reasoning, where did it go? I guess it's kind <laughs> of um, interesting though, because like, no Way Home does a similar thing with the web slinging when he's like with MJ. It has the fixed camera on him that gives you yeah, like that sense of speed. So, you know, I would just make the same argument that they do have some interesting choices uh, in terms of filmmaking. Well, if you remember, yeah. that was like cited by High Top when talking about how there's nothing that brings the camera to life. Like that was actually it's, something it's, he had on screen. That's it was like a really what? interesting choice, um, that sort of POV. Like, sometimes I just don't know what they're trying to tell me. What they believe to be, like, frenetic camera, or personal, or intimate. When I guess if, you were, if he was breaking down shot by shot, like, if he, if he just did a full breakdown of the chase sequence while, like, having the visuals to accompany the points he's making, here it's kind of a bit confusing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not even quite. asking for him to do that with all the shots, just the ones that he wants to use as example, right? Yeah. Because there would have been some in the trailer, because this would have been before it was out on HBO Max. Yeah. Yeah, the, you, there's there's shots in the trailer that emphasize that. Because, yeah, the really cool one was when um that you have it fixed on, like, one of the back wheels, and then the car comes to a halt, and then Penguin's car just goes tumbling. It's a really cool framing. Now I have several different Fantastic Batmobile chases to enjoy, all captured very differently. I hope that the he's not including the Snyder one as a Fantastic Batmobile chase. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be considered visual. a Fantastic Chase, ignoring nah. the character stuff in it? Uh, I can't remember. Um, I, don't, I don't know, if Snyder's like visual one? style, I'm always dubious. Well, I just can't um, remember but... the chase itself, if it was bullshit or not, like, mechanically. Obviously, yeah, I can't remember either. A lot of it's hilarious, mm. I remember, but I can't remember it. Because yeah. we were just laughing at like, all the people just getting squashed and stuff. It was hilarious. <laughs> I just remember he, he managed to do a stealth move with the Batmobile at one point. I can't remember if yeah. that was bullshit or not. Use of interior vehicle shots calls to mind some of the greatest car chases to ever be put to screen. The French Connection, Bullet, it's Live and Die in LA, the former Reeves has recently too, cited right? as a director. I have to imagine if you could, yeah, like if we could find some of the worst car chases known to man, there probably is a couple of shots that are interior. Probably there's plenty. There's there's plenty in Batwoman. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Direct inspiration. These chases are so good. It's like it's got to be more than just we have interiors or close-ups of people when they're driving. It's got to yes. be you got to highlight something more. Why does? How come a Batwoman chase sequence when it has? like shots of her in the interior of the Batmobile. How does that not work? But stuff like the Batman, it does work. 
what is what's the difference is it is it just the character or is it the character and what's you know, the expression being given or what they've just gone past or yeah, or what, even the what, amount of time, like the editing, where those shots are placed in reference to others, maybe it's. Uh, yeah, it would well, be cool just to go over it. Well, I think what we're highlighting here is that um, the interior shots are um, the, it's, it's not like they're only used for one reason or another, because sometimes uh, and this is my I would suspect this is probably the case for Batwoman is that uh <laughs> Uh, that uh, the reason you see a lot of interior shots in that show is because it is cheaper to show the interior yeah. of a vehicle oh, yeah. than it is the exterior. So it can be to create, it can be purposeful to create a more meaningful um, experience. Or alternatively, it can be because they're cheap as fuck, and the less of the chase they show, uh, the better. Like um. Earlier seasons of uh, Star Trek TNG actually have um, like a, a similar kind of thing where there's actually not a lot of exterior of the action. It's just a lot of people reacting and uh, doing like uh, the, the the reacting to things hitting the ship if there is action at all, because it is cheaper to show that than it is to show a uh, model shot, uh, having to put a VFX on that. Um, and um, as a result, um, uh, unintentionally, I think that actually creates... I think the older Star Trek shows actually, this is kind of a tangent, but it kind of is relevant because we're talking about interiors and exteriors, but it does, the budgetary constraints actually create a more coherent and meaningful um, action um, set piece a lot of the time because the newer shows that have the ability to show those exteriors often, often lack motivation and focus on when they should show the interiors and how they should show them because... They, because they have the budget to do so many flashy things at once, they've kind of lost, uh, they, they, they're kind of just throwing everything at the wall and having no restraints. So just, it's just kind of fascinating how limitations can often inspire better creative choices sometimes than mm. so, uh, when, when you're giving unlimited canvas. I just decided to re-watch parts of the, the chase, uh, the clip on YouTube for the chase and the Batman, and I'm kind of... Something that would be really good to point out is how a lot of the the having a lot of the camera angles be, I guess, in a sense, you know how like you would think of the camera as being somewhat omnipotent and that it can see a lot more than like any individual person would be able to capture, mm -hmm. like it's kind of not yeah. an entity within the world. Whereas in this case, the, aside from a handful of shots that kind of exist to just make sure that you understand where they are, so many of the shots are like fixed on the rear view camera or on the windshield, or on, like, the rear tires of the car. And there's a lot of cool framing where it almost seems like the Batmobile is, like, a, a like a pursuing monster kind of chasing after the Penguin. There's, like, a lot of really great choices that kind of ground this chase while still emphasizing a level of intensity and fear stemming from, like, the Batman chase. I don't know, it's just, like, feels like that's the conversation about cinematography that's really cool is explaining how like the choices that they made with the filmmaking emphasize the story um yeah well, just well, cool for the sake of being cool but ymas goes over a lot in his lion king video he's talking about how yeah, exactly. it's, it's relevant to the story to the writing it's not just cool stuff well yeah because yeah. It's, there's, there's lots of stuff that's just cool um, but it's the stuff that's cool and achieving something really interesting narratively that's that kind of stands out. Yeah, and I think um, something you highlighted, Fringy, that I'm going to bolster a little bit is um, it's actually quite interesting 
when the director, um, when they have access to all the CGI in the world, they're making the intentional decision to only place the camera where a camera could actually be placed. Yeah, yeah. within the environment. Um, it's, um, it's one of those, uh, I remember I briefly talked about it on the Halo thing, like Reach, the, 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 uh, the style of cinematography in Reach is like satellite imagery or, um, you know, helmet cameras or um, like cameras that are just placed on equipment. There's very few like omniscient sort of shots in that, in that game. And a lot of it is to ground it in this military sort of theme. It's, it's about like, um, I guess that's... that's one of the cinematography conversation is yeah why would you make these choices um because i think i think it's a lot easier to qualify that than it would be to say that this is like the best shot you could have had or the worst shot you could have had um yeah um sorry i think my cat just um she just stepped on the uh she stepped on the arrows and i think that that ah, put us in a different it, it spot is. <laughs> it is all right we're we're, we're still yeah. there it's all good yeah, um, but I was actually going to add um, something interesting about like uh, the Gareth Edwards um, Godzilla film. Um, there's plenty of problems and criticisms I have with that film, but something I think that's interesting about how that film was done is he very intentionally only put the... He did the same thing. He put the camera only where a real camera could be um, and usually on ground level. Um, so there isn't any floating... There isn't... I don't think you'll find much in the way of floating cameras in that film if you right. go through it and as, and as a result the monsters do look much bigger they do you do get the sense of scale like when his tail swings around it's like you're on the ground and it's just like holy fuck this is huge monster here what the hell um and at the same time he doesn't do the michael bay thing where the action becomes really incoherent with a lot of shaky cam he still keeps the camera still for a lot of it but um he keeps it. Um, he, he keeps the shot focused, but he—it's the position of the camera um, within the world that really sells the illusion. I think that's very—it's mm -hmm. very fascinating to to break that down. You've—I've now just—you've kind of got me thinking now again about. It's kind of funny because this is a comparison between Batman and No Way Home, but I mean, probably worthwhile to just like compare it to other Spider-Man films. You think about how in the Raimi films, whenever there's the web slinging, it's often like really majestic and because of these wide angles, like minimal cuts, these really big sweeping shots that kind of emphasize the, um, yeah, like I guess the majesty of Spider-Man. And then in the Tasm films, it was a lot tighter and a faster moving. It was much more intimate in terms of framing the web slinging. Yeah. And then there were, Tasm 2 had some cool shots that were again like fixed POV kind of angles. Um, and then No Way Home even, you know, and then Far From Home had with MJ those, um, like fisheye lens or whatever it is, the the ones that have like a lot of uh, motion in the background. I don't know. Yeah, I just want to have the conversation rather than just say that's a cool shot and that's not. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's very worthwhile. Um, I find it fascinating how Raimi is a very style. Like he, his style is probably the most like a comic book. While um, you know, there's um, the, the Tasm films. I think probably they're great strength is the cinematography and in, in but it's a much more grounded approach a lot to of it like books, a lot of panels in those in terms of our poses and things those yeah cool. yeah i think so there's there's a lot so much to break down and i feel like the the most we've kind of got uh i don't know i don't know if we're all in agreement on this but um i feel with this video um the most we're getting out of it is the conversation is us filling in the gaps for what could be talked about with these 
various scenes. Uh, I well, feel like just, the video. Give itself. yourself more than eleven minutes, you know, to talk about this subject. Please. These chases are so good because they have such a clear point of view. To live and die in LA consistently throws. Because they have such a clear point of view. I mean, the best I can do is like um, go with what I think he means by that. But like even then, I'm just like, that's you should do better than that, surely for your video, right? You should, you should have more. Yeah, like explain clear... more what you mean. Could it, can we have a situation where the point of view is clear, but it's also badly done? Could that is that possible? Yeah, I'm sure that it's got to be. Yeah, like oh, this scene has a clear point of view, but it's like kind of a. Like, what am I supposed to be looking at? Is it supposed to be representing anything? I can't really see what you're trying. Yeah, it's like a... I don't know. I feel like in his mind, he knows exactly what he's referring to, but it doesn't yeah. communicate properly to people who don't already know what he means. Yeah, it, it's kind of... It, it's hinging... It also hinges on... Like, I think you kind of highlighted there, Rag, is, um, it's hinging on the idea that there is just one element within cinematography or within um, filmmaking that will make or break a scene when really there's a lot of different factors. Like, there can be a very clearly defined POV, but, you it know, what like if... It sounds like you're saying uh, it's for chases. Like you, it's if there's chases, a clearly yeah. defined point of view for a chase scene, it's like, that's that's your component here. It's like, really? I feel like it's got to be a lot more than that. Yeah, like, uh, you got to have the... Well, for one thing, it's got to be coherent narratively, sure, surely. Um, and then you've got to... you got to be able to see what's actually... Like, if if the POV is the guy... Like, say, the, the clearly defined POV is the guy in the trunk, and so it's just a black screen the whole time. That would technically be a, a well-defined POV, but you're not going to really see much... Well, the funny thing is you could probably make that... I'm not going to say good. Well, I'm trying to think. There are. Um, I think it might be Bad Boys is a movie where you get a POV of a guy in a trunk for a while in the middle of a car chase because they put him in the back to capture him and then they get involved in a car chase and they forget he's in there. But, like they, they do often yeah. have like moments where it's just him and his POV which is getting bashed around in a trunk. Yeah, yeah exactly. I guess what I'm trying to highlight is yeah, you're right. Like the, Not only is that something that you'd think would be bad, but I guess is it's always going to be about execution, and there's just so many things to say. Yeah, like, if someone is doing their job really well, I could imagine it could be, like, quite compelling to be to see the chase scene without seeing the chase scene, to have a lot of what's happening be... Because that's a good... That's kind of an interesting filmmaking challenge right there, is, um, okay, we are we can't actually show what's happening, but we can shake the camera around within this confined area. We can put sound effects in... Um, that uh, that can imply what's happening, and we can show um, an, in, an individual character's fear and uh, frustration within the scene, um, and that could be quite interesting. Or it could just be like uh, an incoherent black um, screen mess. Um, like there, it is. There are so many things that would be dependent on, and it's the POV is more just. I don't. Know, it's it's starting to feel more like a starting point than the be all end all. Like that's how you define where your focus goes, but how you use that focus is ultimately um, going to make or break the scene. I think what would be funny, because just my mind was kind of going with it on that, being tracked, trapped in a trunk. It's like, imagine you get like a, a POV shot where their head is like filling the screen almost, but you can make out that they're in the trunk throughout it because there's some like emergency light in there or something, whatever. 
And, like, they almost think it's calming down in terms of they've been bounced around a bit, but then there's the moment where a car, like, goes over a ramp or something, so they float a little bit with the car and, like, realize oh, what's yeah. happening, and then they're just like, oh, because <laughs> they're about to land sort of thing. Yeah, and, like, a lame filmmaker would put in, like, a line from someone in the front seat, like, oh, look out for that ramp, while, like, a really good filmmaker would just leave the implication of what happened yeah. with the visual and allow the audience to figure it out to view. To live and die in LA consistently throws more and more trouble at the car, and we track every reaction, every fear, every fuck it moment from within the car. Throughout the chase in the Batman- That's something, like saying mm -hmm. POV is, is always consistent being it's the, the man in the car regarding all the dangers that are happening. Okay, that's something. We very much get into the mind of the rageful, determined bat, and the poor penguin who is terrified and weighing over his head. The brief moment where he thinks he's finally dusted the bat is memorable because we feel his relief so wholeheartedly, and it's frankly hilarious to see his face drop straight after. Oh man, he's dead. Yeah. He's got a seatbelt on. That's what. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm curious. And the sound design, my word. As Batman walks across a crime scene or emerges out of the shadows, the sound design for his suit is immaculate. The metal clanks and you can even hear the squeaks of the leather and possibly black, black rubber. Everything has such a great tactile nature. The burst of his grab- That seemed like an odd thing, like, because he started to say black, but then he cut himself off to have her also say black. So, like, the first part of black just got, like, repeated. Seems odd. Yeah, well, speaking of execution, there are some jokes and gags that can work very well in concept, but then you've got to actually edit it in a way that hits, and sometimes you've got to spend a lot of time just, you know, just moving the clip over by, like, milliseconds or even less uh, just to get the exact right timing for a gag like that, and uh, I don't think that uh, there was... Yeah, I yeah. think this might have just... That could have been synced a little bit better, sure. Yeah. But Apple guns as they taxi driver out of his wrists, the nuts and bolts that shift from the vibrations of the terminals above the Batcave. In particular, the metallic sounds not only sell you on the body armour he frequently makes use of, but when his entrances and walks are framed like that of a cowboy, the sound design accentuates that. Everything feels like it has this care and craft behind it. I'd be willing to accept sure. that, yeah. I think that's... Yeah. that's yeah. They're all very accurate and very... Uh, maybe I shouldn't even say accurate. They all f uh, sound very uh, suitable. And they they help yeah. uh, the weight of everything that's happening. Yeah, and uh, even if we talk about costume design as well, like his boots, like we're going for the Western example, his boots, like they both have the shape of like an old West cowboy for the shots that it needs to, but without being distracting and looking out of place at the same time. They look tactical um, from certain angles, but the shape allows for those old West sort of shots, which I think is... um. Quite good. Oh right, no way. <laughs> That's a long clip. <laughs> um, yeah, I gotta be careful, but I don't know if he's highlighting this in contrast for bad sound design. Is that what he's saying? Maybe. I think that's what's he. Yeah, I assume so because he just got done praising the Batman sound design. So because like, yeah, I'm gonna need you to explain this to me. Yeah. 
Have you noticed how most blockbusters now can't ever get their oh, characters to shut up? We seldom let the action speak for itself. Someone has to crack wise or deliver a piece of the plot to keep well, things Well, they really want to help him. That's the thing. Even though they're not helping, they, yeah. they want to help him. Man, I think yeah, like the... that's... They're panicking. They want him to live. What else can you say about that? Yeah. Yeah, like, the, there's... Uh, there's obviously a version of that scene that has less dialogue that that could work, but that's not the choice they chose uh, that they chose to this make. I'm the, not the, sure that works as a criticism on its own. Like there is uh, the idea, I think, is to evoke a bit of a, a laugh out of the audience because the fact that it's mm. such a bizarre situation. You got two of your best friends on your chest trying to guide you on where to run when you're Spider-Man. Like you, you know what you're doing, but obviously, why wouldn't they though? Because they are your friends. They just want to make sure you make it. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like a like nothing... situation, but like, why would you, why is that a problem? I don't think that's a problem. Yeah, like, he's got to, he's got to really qualify this one to Cause, get yeah, his, out of it. Yeah, his, almost like, isn't it a problem in MCU movies that they're doing this? And it's like, actually, yes, but I don't know, you're going to need, give me examples for the No Way Home ones. In fact, I would give yeah. you one in that when they were all very despondent after having been rejected by Harvard and then... Uh, Flash just bursts in is like, I got accepted! Uh, yeah. and it's like, oh, that's... Yeah, I guess they wanted us to laugh, but I think this moment would have been fine to just breathe in the sad part. Yep. Yeah, Flash but, Thompson um, is probably the go-to just yeah, in general he, he, for this film. So, give me some references that are good, because that one wasn't. The Batman was a breath of fresh air in terms of this. Rather than seeing a flashback to the Wayne's murder, Bruce locks eyes with another child who's experienced the same trauma, and Nirvana's something in the way drops. The story is told in the cut. In this moment we learn- I, I, Yeah, I, I really like that in, in the Batman. I'm curious how this relates to No Way Home though. Yeah. Everything we need to know about Bruce's mental state, his empathy, and the pain that drives him. Michael Giacchino's score rises as we see it flourish paired with the action. A good score is only really as memorable as how well it is used in the movie. Toby and Andrew's spiders have some of the best themes, and I can barely register a moment Man, when they came into sorry. play. Oh, Wait, what? Well, like the, so a couple of things. First of all, mm -hmm. you couldn't register when they came into play? Come on, really? Really? I, Come on. What are you supposed to do with that? I'd just be like, so do your ears you work? Like, what? what? Your ears don't work. I also don't like how it's like, yeah, Toby and Andrew have some pretty great themes. It's like, man, I I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, the the MC Spider-Man theme is pretty great. I, and it gets the, reincorporated the, a lot. The MC Spider-Man theme is awesome. And I, yeah. I couldn't not recognize Sam Raimi's Spider-Man theme coming in there. Not that it's his. Uh, I'm yeah. just saying that it comes in those movies. Um... What a what a strange thing to say. I even them. Yeah. Andrew's spiders have some of the best themes, and I can barely register a moment when they came into play. Sure, like, they played on. them in subtle ways during one or two little moments, but why didn't we ever get them in full? We, okay, what? so that's, why do you that's, think, that's, that's, that's a different complaint altogether. Uh, I don't even well, think that this is a valid complaint in any way, shape, or form. It's like, of course we didn't get them in full. That would be crazy. Why the fuck would they play the entire theme for? Toby Maguire's Spider-Man in Tom Holland's <laughs> Spider-Man movie. Match, like the sequence, you know, you think about because I remember I saw people like they should have played like the the Toby Spider-Man one as they were swinging up to go for the battle. It's like I don't know, man. That one's more majestic, and the MC one's more high energy, which feels apt. And also, he's the main character, so it should be his theme that plays when they're all going. Yeah, to like the, just because you like this Spider-Man the most doesn't mean his theme should play. That's not how it works. And, and I mean, I I, I, f I feel like it's. No, you know what? I would just say it's like that was hype. 
like when the music is ramping up as they're all getting ready to go fight the bad guys. It was super hype. Of course it was. I'm just... Look, I agree with him actually. You know when the Avengers teamed up? Why wasn't he playing Iron Man's theme? It should have played. It should have had all of the characters' themes playing simultaneously over Every time character came into frame, it just started regardless. It should have had all three of Iron Man's various themes just just playing all at once. That became like an annoying obsession that happened on YouTube a little bit after all the things that were said about how the MCU doesn't repeat their themes. That's the big problem. People were like redoing the score and loads of scenes. And I remember one of them being where I was like, okay, I'm out. Is when, you know, when Iron Man grabs his suit on the helicarrier after he's had a bit of a spat with the Avengers because Loki's arrived and he like. He walk, I think he separates from Cap going a different way, he walks into his room, and you see the suit, and then he presses a button, and it lights up, and he goes, Dude. Like, it's just powering up, it's like, yeah. Someone just redid that scene and just played the dun 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 throughout it. It's like, if you just throw it in whenever we see Iron Man's suit, that's just, it's lame as fuck, it starts to get annoying. What they do really well with the MCU Spider-Man theme is they've got like six or seven different variations for different tones that they're going for. Like, they've got the high-energy version, yeah. they've got, like, melancholy version, they've got this sort of, uh, kind of, like, upbeat little, you know, like... Yeah, like the chill rom-com of... one, where it's like... Dun, 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 That's dun, the one. Dun. They have so many different versions, and it's kind of hard to imagine, like, how you could re... And it's probably because it was written with that in mind, because it's so frequent, it just keeps playing in the movie, in all of the movies that he's in. Like, it just keeps coming up, because I've got so many different variations well thought out. Um, not yeah. to say that aren't well thought out, it's more that they have a... It feels like they've got a much more specific context in which they're useful. Yeah, I feel like they did the best job, which is to incorporate those other themes where they felt most suitable, not to have them fucking avalanche into Tom Holland's movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this, I think you kind of highlighted uh, the issue with a lot of these fan edits when it comes to reincorporating things because it's not even the idea of having the light motifs like be consistent across films. It's the problem is the fact that one, the people who often edit these aren't thinking about where the most appropriate place for these things are. In fact, they're probably not even seeking out the variations for it. They're probably just. All that they're really doing is they're ripping it, like the 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 prime version of those themes, and then sticking them in places where they have no real place. Rather than one them making their own version, which um, could at least be interesting, like just doing like an alternate soundtrack sort of thing, um, uh, like if they they had skills as as a composer, or two trying to find different variations online and then experimenting to see if there is a place for them in um the film and it, it does create this jarring um sound to it and uh a lot of the time they don't even bother to actually take out the sound they don't bother to actually play with the like 5.1 or 7.1 um sound and uh, separate the channels so that they can insert new music they often either just mute the music the the, the sound that's there entirely or they have the, the awkward moment where the original soundtrack is playing right under this new one that they've that they've glued onto it and it just it, there are so many things wrong with a lot of the the thing that uh, the, uh, the the rescorings that um a lot of people do though there's sometimes like there's one or two that are okay so you know i i, I encourage experimentation but just be careful and uh 
you know, wear a condom. Oh, yes. What were you going to say, Bringy? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the difficulty is that the music is scored for specific moments, so trying to staple it into a different film yeah. or a different moment is like, it's tough as an individual. Yeah. Moments. Why didn't we ever get them in full? Wouldn't it make sense to get more of that in the final battle? Or no. We, we got, we got about as much as we needed. No. A medley of all three themes? That would have been awesome. We, you could do that, but they didn't opt to do that. That's just an option to have like mm. a, them fly through all three of them in an action motif thing. Like you could have done that, um, but I don't see how it's better. Yeah, I'm like I've heard mashups of the three themes that are kind of cool, but that doesn't mean that that's the option that needs to play. In, in much the same way that it would have been cool if they could have gotten they could have gotten a reprise of that orchestral Spider-Man '60s theme from the Homecoming Marvel Studios thing as like the group mm -hmm. Spider-Man thing. Yeah. But again, that's not the thing they needed to do. That's just an option that they could have explored. I would like to hear the explanation why what they did in Home or uh, No Way Home doesn't work. Oh, you already you said, Rags. He like, didn't really pick up the references. Didn't really hear him. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I guess I just... <laughs> Alright, then. He's just, he's just deaf, basically. Oh, my God. Full. Wouldn't it make sense to get more of that in the final battle? Or a medley of all three themes? That would have been awesome. Michael Giacchino's Can't Fight City Halloween or Bat in the Rafters Part 2 or Highway to the Anger Zone are all great tracks that perfectly complement the action and are given the time to really be heard. If you think it's unfair to use No Way Home as a point of comparison, consider that this movie made over a billion dollars at the box office as part of a well-oiled machine that has destroyed mid-budget movies. What the hell does that have to do <laughs> with anything? Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> if you think thing. it's an unfair comparison, this film made a lot of money yeah. and is part of the studio that's destroyed mid-budget movies. The funny part is, like, God, I got problems at all the the ways. When he named all the songs as though everyone here and everyone in the world knows them by name, it's like, dude, nobody knows the fucking Bat track, Batman soundtrack I, I know by those name. Ones. They're called Bat I, I actually, I actually <laughs> do know those ones. So when I said nobody, it was already disproved by the fact that he knows it. When I say no, nobody, I know. I'm, I'm just, actually I'm just, referring to a very low amount of people. I know. I'm just letting you know that I know which ones those are. That's Good fine. Good on you, Fringy. I'm proud of Good you. Good on you. I, yeah. I just kind of chuckled at the track name Highway to the Anger Zone. I think that's really funny. <laughs> Highway <laughs> to um, the Anger Zone. But then the second thought comes in of like, well, to be fair, I don't even know. the. Is there a name for Spider-Man's? Is there a name for... Uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man ones, like, I don't know. I don't even, I've they never- They probably have so names, it's... but people know what the music is just by how they sound, not necessarily the names. That's kind of where I'm going with this, it's just like, it's kind of, it becomes superfluous as part of the video, it's only going to appeal to the people who, because I'm sure there's plenty of the Batman fans who are probably like, yeah, I like a lot of the songs, You're like, do you know which ones he's talking about, though? And you'd be like, I... Yeah, that one. <laughs> I like the one that goes. That's like a few songs. It's another opportunity to play the a portion of it. You know, under the copyright restriction, just play like even three seconds and then talk about why. Because he all he tells us is the songs are played long enough to be understood and heard and enjoyed, uh, and they match the scenes they're a part of, as if to imply it's the opposite for Spider-Man. Yeah. Which is not true. No. And you'll, you'd have to convince me that that's the case. And that's the thing. That's kind of why I started with saying, like, recognition is like, you're going to have to help us out 
Because there's some of these songs where I'm just going to be like, is that, when does that, is that the car chase one? What was the car chase one? I don't even, sure I remember fully, I'd have to rewatch it. Then it's just like, why not show me and play it and then say what's, what it's doing and then say what No Way Home's not doing? Well, because, yeah, because it's, it's kind of awkward because everything that you raised is, is not relevant. It's like, why didn't they use more of the songs for the other Spider-Man is not actually addressing whether or not the music that was used was appropriate. Yes. Which I think it was. Um, I think it was too. Consider this movie made over a billion dollars at the box office as part of a well-oiled machine that has destroyed mid-budget movies. All the detractors really want is some filmic elements to be used in a more creative and engaging way than they currently are. Matt Reeves isn't pleased about the current landscape of theatrical releases either, but knows that if superheroes are here to stay, they better be damn good. Why are you it, showing Batman why, is why the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Batman is a garbage <laughs> movie. Um, I also just well, about the point where I'm just like, that really was a complete non sequitur. Like, you didn't yeah. even need to do it. You could have just said, if you're surprised as to why I'm comparing these two, you shouldn't be. They're both big budget superhero movies. I'm just comparing them, you know? No. But to be fair. Did you just yeah. want to try and get us against I don't the even know. movie here? Did you want to try and emotionally appeal to, see, No Way Home is bad? I think he wants... That's what it sort of comes across as? Oh, well, definitely. That. He's, he's, he's appealing to a common sentiment right now, which is that the MCU is destroying cinema, which is always funny because we are often in the position of just like, all right, chill out. Like, it's more your fault <laughs> than it is them. As some sort of, like, harsh heart take. And what I mean by that, obviously, is just that they are, they are catering to the audience. And what you're saying is the audience want more of X. And it's like, clearly not. Like, if, if No Way Home is going to make way more money than the Batman when you're saying that the Batman is what people actually want. Like, I'm not even... The, the irony, of course, being that I think the, the, the Batman visually is, is uh, gorgeous. And it's like, I, yeah. I way prefer more things to be more uh, gorgeous, but at the same time, I recognize that the general audiences, there's a, there's a lot more f uh, variables that come into why a movie is successful or not that go beyond, like... Was there a visual style, blah, blah, blah. Because, to be fair, what he's highlighted, Zack Snyder was celebrated for his visual style a lot of the time. How'd that <laughs> yeah. turn out? Uh, so, conclusion. People think Army of the Dead has a good visual style. There are people Not out many. there who are just brain dead. <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> Horrifying. <clears throat> um, yeah, so conclusion being, he wants to have the section that I think was it was going to be impossible for this to not enter the, the, the limelight of you see, No Way Home is a result of, a, of of the same system that's destroying destroying the mid-budget movie. I just like just casually throwing that in. I guess so, but like, why wouldn't that be an inevitability if uh, if people really want to see bigger budget, higher blah blah blah, and they avoid um, well, people are avoiding investing in mid-budget stuff. You know, it's it's this whole conversation that I think is super interesting to actually go through as to where the fault lies. If someone makes something like No Way Home and loads of people are really entertained and engaged by it, and then it's like, yeah, but it cost us and a theoretical set of really good movies that were mid-budget, whatever, and it's just like, yeah, but for everything that happens, every all these other things didn't, and uh, I just don't know how we can be so sure that that's a good enough yeah. reason to say that No Way Home deserves to be shot all over. It's 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 an interesting predicament we find mm. ourselves in. I was wondering how long it would take me to find a tweet like this after just typing Army of the Dead into Twitter. The answer, it took me about four tweets. Look at these shots, two of which are, one of which is just, I hate, 
uh, you know, have a look. And, uh, one of them where she's looking at the light. I'm like, that's just a normal shot. That's almost seems just incidental. <laughs> the one the where she's one all blurry. And the first one, I was like, I almost like, oh, did you just notice that while you were filming out there in the desert? The um, uh, the blurry one as well. By the way, like the reason I laugh is because the rest of the film is blurry. But like, I could see that <laughs> shot being meaningful in that the person that's shooting you has become, you know, it, it could be meaningful story wise. Like, uh, this is the thing. There, there are shots from Zack Snyder that I like. I'm just trying to highlight that he's a fucking poopy times with his rain. All right. Yeah, a little bit. And, um, yeah, uh, it felt like in this video that he needed to move into the topic of the MCU movies are ending up this way because they're like gross movies made by committee by all these decisions that are that are not creative and not giving fresh and breath air to to creatives and all of all that stuff. And it's just like that's the way he did it, I guess, just being like. I'm comparing them for this reason. Because, like, these get compared all the time by everybody, these two films. Are. Matt Reeves isn't pleased about the current landscape of theatrical releases either, but knows that if superheroes are here to stay, they better be damn good. So whilst Batman 12 is still Batman 12, no matter how you title it, there is at least a creative vision, a satisfying mood, action that swords, and well-drawn characters. Implying that No Way Home did not have those things. Well. Those things, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, just seems a little harsh to me. Yep. If you want to hear my more in-depth thoughts on No Way Home, then please check out my video review. Might have some oh, answers so to the questions you're going think to Doc angrily comment at me now. I don't <laughs> think so. I, who thinks Doc Ock was ruined? It is a question. It's still posed. It's just a question. Doc Ock ruined? No, I'm saying I don't think he thinks that. Please yeah, check out my Batman so. Supercut on the channel. It's my first video that's a pure supercut. You know I love cutting action together, and if you like it too, then this will be right up your street. Or not. But either way, please give it a watch. Thank you. Batman yeah, Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Best Batman. <laughs> the best one. Easily. Freeze! No, no. They'll, they'll ruin him if yeah, Reeves tries I to adapt him. They will ruin him. He's, shoulder. he's perfect. I kind of like the idea of a Matt Reeves, Mr. Freeze. <laughs> oh, they bring Schwarzenegger they, back. I was going to say, bring him back, make him serious. It would just, it would just be so funny. Well, there we are. There we are. I yeah. feel I like you were mildly sort of unfair off. to us to, to no way home. No way home. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I I know I missed a good part of it, but geez, I do I was not at all approaching convinced by what I heard. Guys, Chuck Tingle is one of his patrons. Is that the real Chuck Tingle? I hope it is. <laughs> I hope it is too. Uh oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what I would say about his Batman sections was I wish there was more detail because I agree with a lot of the things he was saying. It's just I'd, I'd want references I think, yeah, forge so. itself more time to uh, to dive in deep. It may well have just been that, like, could have just been a video on the Batman alone. Just give yourself more time to delve into it. Could you probably have something interesting to say about the cinematography if you gave yourself, like, more time to dive into it? Really comes across as though uh, he felt like he needs to make it an, a ten to an eleven minute video. That needs to be the way it works, or something like that. I, I, yeah, I guess it's just it's a shame because it, I... there's only so much you can say in that time. 
Yeah. How can I simultaneously take a poo on No Way Home and not really elaborate on why? Oh my god. The, one of the people who worked on Man of Steel has tried to justify Superman jumping over the... Uh, that the, was from ages thing. ago, and we can't talk about it because oh. I'm saving it from the next medley. Ah, Ooh, excellent, nice. excellent. Come up, don't worry. Excellent. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I mostly agree with his points. I wish there was more detail for the Batman stuff, but on the No Way Home stuff, it really felt like you just play into the crowd and don't really have your references straight and made up some stuff that you think kind of works, but it doesn't. Mm. Yeah, that's that. Both videos are done, though. Cool. Um, and in pretty good time. Well, yeah. Uh, the plan now, actually, is to just read one of our catch-up catch-ups backlogs. Uh, they're one of the smaller-ish ones, but it will make for a, probably a complete EPAP experience to those listening. However, Metal, what? I believe you wish to abandon us, yes? Yeah, I so don't oh, like you anymore. Wow! That's fine. But that's fair. Only you, usually. The others are cool. Oh, like yeah, yeah, so racist. Yeah! Because I'm <laughs> yeah. whale-ish. You're not a whale. You don't know that. Damn it. Oh, no, I, I got I got again the the workings tomorrow, so I got to bounce. Well, yeah. it's been fun, sir. The link yes. to the channel is in the description. If anyone oh, wants thank to check you. out what have you done recently, and it has to be accurate to when this comes out, whenever that would be. Uh, Spider Man, all the ways home, Metal's Forge. Oh, yeah. that's the fourth movie, all the way home. That's the seventh one. Oh shit! Wow, it's a while since this was recorded, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't as good as Spider-Man phones home, but you know, I think it I think it still got some merits. Ooh, that's the one where yeah, he, yeah. he and ET go on a big adventure, right? I think they didn't yeah. uh, didn't hold the frame enough in that one. So Oh yeah. Another classic. The thing. No way home is very easy to hate, okay? Grab the stuff. You gotta say really all bad. the things everyone says. Yeah, just, just and not explain it. yourself. To be fair, the Walk first video see. didn't even do that. She went in directions I ain't ever seen. Yeah, that was some strange. Yeah. Just not even getting the point of the film. Very odd. Yeah. Very strange. I know. They're probably just gonna be in Metal's Forge every week. Some stream Shrambletons, and working on 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 stuff in general. That's you know, that's about it. Very well. Thanks so much for joining us, Metal. And I guess oh. I'll see you next time I see you. Okay, yeah. goodbye. Bye-bye. Boy. I will uh, use the lure quick and be right back. Okay. And, yeah. uh, alrighty then. I guess I will simply read out some, some super chats. Alright, so the first one. Anyone watching the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial? <laughs> Watch bits of it. Bits of it. I'm waiting Pops, for the result. Yeah. Do we know when the result's coming? I don't know. They're still uh, doing this... testimonies. Yeah, they're on day 20 now. How long was the Rittenhouse one? Um, I think it was shorter. But, mm. um, yeah. Well, alright, yeah. Um, I mean, presumably by the time this comes out, there will be a verdict, but I don't know. Uh, in Doctor Strange EFAPs, you mentioned they bring up Spider-Man as a joke, so this movie takes place before No Way Home? Nope, it's, it's a little bit of a confusion on a lot of people is that they've forgotten Peter Parker. Spider-Man hasn't been forgotten. 
is a known yeah. entity in this universe. They just they now remember all their interactions with him in such a way that doesn't reveal his identity. Yeah. It's not going to work the more you think about mask. it. Yeah. Like they might remember he took off his mask, but they don't remember who was under it. Yeah, like it, that kind of thing. Or that their memory changes to accommodate him not taking off the mask. It's it's unclear. Yeah, some, something like that. Uh, bonus, I'm skipping Be Fast because I want a 7 from McDonald's. What's a 7? Is that like a burger? No idea. Alright. Um, Animal of the Day, the Austrian. Similar to humans, they have special abilities to live in the mythical lands of Australia, a land of evil creatures. You think that people from Australia are called Austrians? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think there was Fair a enough. joke. There was a joke someone made that if uh, Hit if if Hitler came from Australia instead of Austria, um, his plans for world domination wouldn't have made it past the local pub. Probably. I agree that Multiverse of Madness is the worst MCU movie, but I would rather watch it instead of anything else in Phase Four except Spider Man. Um. I'm not sure how I would order it in terms of things I'm willing to watch before others. I don't want to watch Me any of Phase either. 4 ever again. Except maybe Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, like, I could see, like, just in far, as far as what I would rather watch, I could see Doctor Strange maybe ranking high just because of some of the interesting visuals and the shorter runtime. Uh, just because I've just, I've just found so much of Phase 4 to be a, a really, just a, a slog to get through, but... I don't know. It's so it's so hard because I might also have recency bias with that one as well. So, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, hey, Fringy, why you ignore me on Discord? Very rude, smiley face. I I don't know, dude. <laughs> like that <laughs> doesn't help me really. Ignoring them even now. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's Goga who sent it. Oh, um, okay. Uh, what? Well, Yeah, I like, I'm not sure what I'm meant to do with that. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't... Alright, I mean, is this your response to make? I have no idea. Uh, if you guys think about covering the Halo Show videos, check out the channel Installation00. He made a video on the show getting hate, and I think you guys might like it. Long live the Toxic Brood. Now, is that a like really it in bad. an ironic or unironic way? Oh, I don't know. Well, I heard that video was really bad, and I saved it. And he ended up deleting it, but it was it was like why the show was getting unfair. Let me let me double check what it's called. Hmm. It is called why that we need to talk. Why the hate? Uh, that's what the thumbnail says. And it says why the hate? Halo the series. We need to talk. It's forty one minutes. Okay. And it was not uh, reviewed well at all. The the. Ratio is not good. Um, has he said he like disagrees with the whole video at this point, or I don't know. Um, I don't know if he said anything. Okay. Uh, Wings quote of the day: I make like forty thousand a year at most. That's poverty level in most places in the world. I checked online. Forty thousand a year, year is top two point six percent of the income in the world. <laughs> yeah. You're a one percenter, my dude. 
Uh, bonus. I'm skipping B fast because I want a seven from McD. Oh, that's him saying that. I understand now. It's like a seven. You know how like in in San Andreas when uh Big Smoke's like I've got a number nine, two number six, yeah. a number seven <laughs> with extra dip. I guess because maybe people do orders with like numbers instead of just the meal. Um, I need to write an essay that explains a community I am in and its importance for communication. You guys are the closest thing I have to a non-superficial community. It says I can ask the community for advice. Thoughts? Uh, I guess I'm not clear on what you're saying. So, you need to write an essay, presumably from school in some way, about a community to explain it and its importance for communication. Do you mean what, like, what you learn from that community about communication, or how important communication is within the community? Yeah, or how communities are influenced by communication? In any case. Or how we whatever communicate you want, because sure. of community? Um, yeah. Uh, it says you can ask the community for advice. I mean, yeah, you can talk to whoever you want. That's totally fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully you get the answer in time for the assignment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sword Lady, Rambo, I think your name was. Uh, they will never know what you sacrificed. Wanda, I will make the whole multiverse know what I sacrificed by sacrificing the multiverse to get what I want. Including Yay. your mother in another universe. Oh yeah, don't tell her about that. <laughs> she might find it a bit awkward. I, I just love that because she uses her own mother's death as a justification for Wanda's actions. And then it's, just, it's almost this beautiful bell curve where... Where, where she just ends up becoming the very thing, d d committing the very action that uh, she, that was being used to justify her atrocities. Yeah. Um, invite Tisan Young made a good vid on why Phase Four of the MCU sucks. Even though you guys would agree, I think there's a good discussion to be had. Uh, sure, could happen at some point. Yeah. Um. Hmm. So you watched everything everywhere all at once. No, one thing at a time. Movie. And not all of it, but... Yeah, we're getting through everything slowly. Real slow. In fact, I don't think we're going to be able to watch everything by the time we, uh, we reach our end point. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I don't think we will. That might be tough. Apparently, like, that attitude. this movie's coming out like every day, and I don't even watch a movie every day, so, you know, we're fucked. And that's but, um, not going to help you in terms of catching up on all the movies that have already exist. You know? Yeah, man. They may, they've been making them for, like, several years now. I was like, what? I would, like, what? how could someone possibly? And, yeah, apparently it gets harder the, the further along you go in terms of catching up. Um, as for answering that question legitimately, you will have had an entire EFAP all about it by now. Enjoy. Uh, hey, uh... Oh, today is Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Five, no, five. it's not. Well, n now it's not. But in spirit. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I hope Obi-Wan fights off the Inquisitors by himself to retain dignity, but I hope he loses a finger or two so he can't play guitar anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't want to do that. The memories.
Notable. Any universe with a human civilization would have to have breathable air, so the real luck is the humans end up evolving and have civilization to the same level as our Earth, which is mad. Are you talking about the multiverse? Well, with the multiverse, they'd have different laws of physics per universe, would they not? So it, that's it, not, it, necessarily not necessarily true. The level of um, luck in that if... they end up in places that are suitable for them is... is... Yeah, the yeah. key is... If the nature of reality is that it couldn't be any other way in particular regards, like uh, mass attracting mass and just certain laws of physics, then in every multiverse it would be that way. Not literally everything's possible, only things that are possible will be able to happen infinitely in the multiverse. Wasn't that yeah. autologist though, if you said if that was the way it was always going to be, then of course it can't change. But what if it wasn't? What if it is based on how the initial blast... Uh, some, some like small variance to how it was done could change how certain laws of physics work. Maybe. Um, I don't know if that's possible. Maybe it is, but I don't. It, it as far as we know, I don't think that we have any reason to believe currently that a lot of aspects of the universe could be any other way or could have been any other way. Well, so depending on whether that's an aspect of the nature of reality, um then it wouldn't occur in a universe if it's not possible. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. You would just write it so that that is possible. Yeah, you could write that to be possible, sure. Um, as someone who has the hearts for buff ladies, the She-Hulk trailer has me very upset. Yeah, they didn't go with making her um, big buff lady. She's more lenderer -er. I saw a tweet saying oh. that apparently um, she was going to be bigger, but the studio kept saying make her thinner. Good more slender. So, we'll see how that works out, I guess. I don't know. I think what gets me beyond the bad CGI is just her freakishly huge hands. I just uh, it, They look uh, very disproportionate compared to the rest of her. It's just a bit off-putting. It's a struggle in general. She's too human-like, whereas... At least Hulk is like, yeah, it's a face, but it's kind of not like a human face exactly. The closer you get to it being a human face, the harder it's going to be for like CGI to kind of like you're going to have Rocket just walking around being Rocket and it doesn't take you out of it because he's a talking raccoon. It's hard to yeah. know what a talking raccoon ought to look like and how the CGI doesn't match what it looks like. But we know what people's faces look like and how they move. Um, yeah, maybe it's, it's a combination I, I, of you're trying something that's incredibly difficult on a budget that's much lower across much more content mm. is like a perfect storm of these factors working against them. They, I feel it like they should have just got a really big buff nah, woman. Nah, I, I, I actually disagree. I've, I've seen people say things like get a big buff woman or alternatively do like perspective things like with The Hobbit. I feel like both of those aren't great options for like a television show. Um, no? Not for a TV show or not? Well, so the one with the perspective is like, oh shit, you have to like account for perspective over like how much content, like hours and hours and hours, much more than you would have to deal with for a film I with mean, a lot less money. Anything. Yeah, uh, I can see why being, you wouldn't want to do perspective over so, the whole season, but... Uh, I guess, are we really going to act like the the Incredible Hulk 70s TV show where they painted, um, was it Lou Ferrigno, right? Where yeah. they painted him, that that's like better than CG Hulk? Are we really going to pretend like that's better? Well, I'm not talking about Lufrig. I mean, I if it's supposed to be a like a smaller version of a Hulk where it's a woman, is there I mean, a woman she's still who big could... though? 
I guess. Yeah, is, like is there not a woman who's comparable to that? Uh, but then you don't have the same actress. So how do you, what, how do you, you're going to have to have to be that actress? Role? What, uh, well, what if, what if you want the one actress because that kind of makes sense in terms of it's meant to be the same person ultimately? What, what options do you have at your disposal? So she really? goes, she goes back and forth between a normal person and, well, yeah, it's just uh, like Bruce Banner. Could they be different? Uh, could they be played I guess by you different could, actresses? You could if you wanted to, but I mean, isn't there a isn't there a logic to having it be the same actress? I, it's the same. I mean, person, it depends ultimately. on the nature of the transformation, right? Well, if they're the same person, which She Hulk is, she basically it's kind of like what Smart fucking Smart Hulk is now, like what Hulk is now, where it's the same person, you're just bigger and green. Um, I think that you could. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that if you undergo a like a transformation, then you could have a different actress portray that aspect of that person. And you would need them to go through like several hours of makeup on a television show production timeline. I mean, they did yeah. that on Star Trek for like um, dozens of extras um, right. every day. I mean, that's I guess downright the, common. I would even push back that that's why would you even highlight that? That's that's they do that all the time these days. Yeah, like, I don't think it's unreasonable. Like, well, I don't, I don't blame Zoe... for using CGI, but I don't think it's unreasonable to maybe uh, find. Well, isn't it like too. Zoe Saldana goes through like five or six hours of makeup, like to do Gamora? So you'd Presumably, have to yeah. basically account for that for the main actress in the production every day that mm -hmm. you need her in that. Well, I guess what I'm yeah. saying is like, does that comport with the pro television production timeline as well as actually just having it be CG and then doing all of it in post? Well, but the counter then would just be don't do CG unless you have the time to do it, and they clearly didn't. Well, that that's kind of like what I'm getting at is maybe this was just an idea that was doomed from the start. Like every factor that you have is working against you. Maybe you don't have the money for like needs, the CGI. Well, I guess is what I'm saying is it seems like you need a fully CG character on a television show timeline who looks pretty human-like. Feels like you've set up a lot of factors that work really against you compared to even what you've had to deal with before with Hulk. Like, I feel like Hulk is an easier challenge, because it's, it's, it, I feel like it's harder to get Uncanny Valley with Hulk than it is with She-Hulk. And you have to account for it for a hell of a lot less screen time. And you have more money. Hey, man, I think you can work both like... ways, you just have to give it the time and Wait, so budget that it requires. Was your position this whole time that there is no good way to do it? Um, I don't know that there's any way that you could do it that would yield the the result that everybody would be happy with. Um, in much the same way, it, it, you know, in the way that everybody's kind of happy with the way that Hulk is now. But I thought your argument against uh, doing like the Gamora style is just the fact that it would take time, not that people uh, would be unhappy with it. I'm not sure how well that one. Well, so it would be if you did it with paint, you would need an actress who you would need the second actress then. Sure. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, like, then even if you paint the person green, you have the trade-off of you're going to have two people playing the same role when it may well make more sense to have one. I don't think people would be unhappy with that. Yeah, I think that'd be interesting. I guess it's a question of, like, it, it, I guess I'm curious of, like, if, if this is, if, if people would feel the same way with Hulk. If, like, you had Bruce Banner and then you had a really big muscular guy, like, again, you do the Incredible Hulk thing. And you have uh, I think it depends. Uh, generally, I think Hulk's um, transformation is generally just more of a change than She-Hulk's is. 
it would seem that way. Um, yeah, like if we look at She-Hulk's design, like it's it's basically just a very tall buff woman. Yeah, right. and there's because I just Much googled big buff woman, and there's plenty of chicks here where if you imagine the oh, green, I, I don't doubt that. Like, yeah, it's, um, it, and I and I think it'd be really interesting. It it could be a, I think it'd be something you could market like two actresses playing different sides of the same character. Uh, I guess you could. I guess I just kind of don't see that ever happening with Hulk. So I guess I wonder why it would Not be different. Not with Hulk, but She-Hulk, maybe. Um, and, and I, mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, what if they did base the, the look of Hulk on a different actor who's got a bigger, let's say, chin and neck so that they can better approximate how that face might go instead of making it a Mark Ruffalo Hulk-looking-like guy? Um, is there an argument to be made that as a level of continuity between like the facial structure kind of makes sense given that it's like a partial transformation. I think one could argue the reverse that it's so animalistically out of Bruce Banner's actual like nature that it, it, it feels like it helps you separate them out in terms of their, um, what they are to uh, each other. I guess the thing is, is that that's something you could also achieve with CGI too. Yeah, well, so I never went against that. The whole issue with the CGI is they don't have the time. Well, the money. Like, I think, one, I think one CGI would oh, be presumably a whatever it is. Yeah, here. they don't have something. Um, if it's time or money, whatever. Yeah, but like the you erase that problem then if you're dealing with uh, not CGI or even uh, the, the yes. CGI touch-ups, which wouldn't be so bad. I don't think. But yeah, I don't think it people would have trouble the, accepting. Funnily enough, I think the Doctor Jackal, Mister Hyde transformation in um uh, in van helsing they don't look anything like each other which is fine and then in league of extraordinary gentlemen i'm pretty sure jason fleming plays both versions but they look very fucking different uh their faces mm -hmm. because there's a lot of prosthetics well, yeah, on him prosthetic, when he's Mr. Hyde. Yeah. And so yeah i don't think people would have that much trouble getting to like um, i guess um I guess I find it interesting because I think the whole time I was like, it's obviously going to be a CG character. Like, that was kind of my thought process with this. Like, I think people were surprised. I wasn't. It was like, it was obviously going to, they were going to do this. Um, whether or not that was going to yield good results is another question. I think it honestly seems like Marvel's at the point where they're trying to see how much they can get away with in terms of, like, visual effects, you know? Because, like, there's no getting around it. No Way Home did have some jank shots, so uh, like CGI, and so did Multiverse. So did uh, Shang-Chi and Black Widow. It's been, like, a pretty persistent problem this phase. And maybe this was a bridge too far because it's such a focal point of the show. Yeah, But whether or not yeah. that even changes anything, you know, who knows? I doubt they're going to delay it. I bet you they're just going to truck full speed ahead. They're not going to do the Sonic thing. Because I don't even know what the compromise would be. You know, what is the compromise other than redoing the whole show um, with a much larger, less human-looking character? Yeah, because when I heard they were doing this, I thought... I didn't, I, I didn't think there would be no CGI. I thought it would more be... It would be a hybrid of different techniques depending on what was required. Because, um, you know, I, I was... I was thinking like they're not going to do like a full. I think uh, the only reason I didn't think they were going to do full CG is just because it is on television. Um, even if it is like a, a more a higher budget Disney Plus thing. I think but, uh, the reason yeah. why I thought they would is because it's Marvel and they just use a lot of CG. So I think I, I just thought like <laughs> that's yeah, true. Definitely be a CG character. And I guess then yeah. like, if I was going to guess, I would also say CG because that's so prevalent now and just everything. But I guess. 
I guess the problem is you shoot the show and then you do it and maybe too late you realize, oh, damn, like this just isn't going to work. You know? Damn. Yeah, because the thing about She-Hulk, she obviously has a superhero costume and all that, which requires like the muscles to be there. But a lot of, from what I've seen of She-Hulk, is she's just in like a she's in you know um, a lawyer outfit, um, just yeah. doing lawyer Female stuff, lawyer just in green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just she just um, happens to be green and gigantic while she does I guess it. It's, um, but I mean, if someone said that she was meant to be bigger and then they changed their mind, then that might be one of the reasons why you go CG because you have a lot more control post production. For a character who isn't quite, because like Gamora is a regular person but green, as opposed to She-Hulk who is like bigger and more muscular, and maybe there was a time when they wanted to push it to be more like Hulk, and then they changed their mind, and so by doing CG you don't have to worry about kind of destroying everything um, if you change your mind. Yeah, it might be. You know, I think we, uh, I mentioned the uh, how Marvel likes to just have everything come together in post production, and that might be. Yeah, that's that's definitely probably why they went that way because they just wanted to they wanted the freedom to change the look after the fact yeah, rather than committing to, to it. But there's mm. also the problem of um, did you get people who know it's it's I can't remember whose video it was that pointed out that like the director or it was maybe a tweet that talked about how the director of Dead Man's Chest like extensively researched visual effects stuff so that he could film Davy Jones in a condition that was really good for visual effects later. Now, yeah. I don't know if anybody gives a shit anymore. It's just like, yeah, put him in the costume and get him there. They'll figure it out. And so you don't take into a consideration lighting or all of these other factors that make it so clear that you've just kind of plopped a character onto a bunch of frames. They're not integrated. I don't know if they had the people with the talent and the time to do that, you know? Maybe they didn't. Yeah, you... You bring up a good point there because they might not have had a lighting reference there. Like they might not have like, like you the some... ball thing, the the reflected ball that you use that helps you figure out the lighting conditions. Yeah, or even just painting like the person in the mocap suit, at least painting them partially green to get a light reference for what the green skin that looks probably, like. Yeah, yeah, I think they yeah. did that with um, portions of Bill Nye's face when he was uh, David Jones. Yeah, they put a little bit of black eye makeup. I remember that from like the shots. They, they tried harder to integrate it so that it would be easier. Because it's that's all it is, is making it easier for the visual effects people to do their job. The harder you make it, the less, like, the results are going to suffer. Um, but I guess that's the problem, is, like, Marvel's production pipeline seemingly doesn't give a shit about, like, the post-production process very much. And so you get left with a lot of shit results. And coupled with their unwillingness to significantly delay any of these projects when it's known that like all these visual effects houses are backed up with so many projects that they're working on. But I don't think Marvel gives a fuck because they can get away with it. And they have yeah, not enough people raise enough of a, you know, contention to where they need to really worry about it. Well, yeah. And when like, they do, they'll I mean, start changing. But until then, they will not. Well, and maybe this is the one that I don't know, though. I don't think it will. Never I know. think it'll come yeah. out and they'll just push ahead and it won't be a Sonic the Hedgehog situation. Um, yeah, with Marvel, it feels like it's money. gonna. Yeah, with Marvel, it feels like it's gonna have to be a death by a thousand cuts situation before they start making big changes. Where something's gonna might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but I don't think it's gonna be one monumental thing. Um, because I think, I think people so, have no. just developed a measure of tolerance. Well, I guess it. it'll be interesting when um, like Avatar Two comes out. That trailer looked fucking impressive with like Very a lot of the technology. Yeah. 
And so yeah. maybe you need Avatar 2 to remind you of like, no, in 2022, this is like the best you can do. Right. Um, whereas, whereas people might still have standards that are almost stuck like five or six years ago or even regressing where like you don't realize what can actually be achieved technologically when you have somebody who's immersed in it. But then again, like Alita looked really great. That, that film looked really great, uh, visually. Um, yeah. Also done by the Avatar team, I believe. Well, yeah, it was James Cameron was involved and he seems to be super immersed in all of these fields and technology. Meanwhile, yeah. I don't know, Marvel stuff is like, nobody seems to care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I, James Cameron, like you gotta remember the reason these films, the, the, these Avatar sequels have taken so fucking long is because he was just spending all that time trying to develop underwater yep. mocap mo technology mm -hmm. so that they could just do it underwater for real, but then do the CG later. Um, yeah, to capture the footage so that it would look hyper-realistic. I don't know if Marvel... I don't know. You you go from like Iron they Man one where they have like well, no, they don't give a shit. Um, there's no. The real only time design. that they've really done the R and D is for Thanos. Like they for really Thanos, started yeah. doing tests ahead of time. That was the only time I think they've done, or maybe I think the first Iron Man as well. Iron and Man I think... had some uh, reference, like they had real suits that they used as reference for the lighting. It's the reason why Iron Man looks great, and a lot of the later Iron Man suits look like shit. Um, yeah. Homecoming, or, or they also had to do a lot of tests for Homecoming so they could CG the homemade suit. They had yeah. to do a test to prove that they could do something that was that simple as a CGI model. I think um, that the reason why it's probably getting so bad is that it used to be that you would have CG for like very specific parts. You'd have one character or like a couple of environments that were really focused. Um, now it's like the whole thing. At like every place that you are has some visual effects shit in the background like you've got so much that has to be done that there's a lack of focus whereas in iron man one it's mostly the iron man suit that's getting all the time whereas in endgame it's like what's well, the iron man suit it's professor hulk it's all of the backgrounds it's thanos it's time travel stuff because those suits were cg fucking time travel suits and it shows they look really bad yeah such a reliance I on cg I think there's also there's something to be said about the fact that the demand for CGI is increasing while the efficiency of being able to um, pull off CGI is it, it, obviously it is progressing as all technology does, but the techno the technological progression, the ease of use and the ease of implementation of CGI is not increasing at the same rate that the studios are demanding it. So it's becoming very jank because of that as well. Like, yeah. It's, um, it was that Life of Pi that, that was on Rhythm and Hughes, the company that made Life of Pi's visual effects and how it just talked about 10 years ago, how like a lot of these visual effects companies compete by underbidding. They'll, they'll do it for a lower price on a more condensed timeline. So it's just like persistent crunch. And it means a lot of talent gets lost because a lot of people get burnt out. And the reality is, is that there are only like a handful of like major visual effects studios that have only so many people, but like every fucking film that comes out is like heavy, you know, 10, 10 or 15 years ago, not every film needed crazy fucking visual effects. Now, like every movie needs it. And so it's way more work, way less time, less money as well. And you're losing a lot of talent. It's, it's might be a house of cards that like actually collapses. Like, it may well be that there comes a point when, like, shit just doesn't get done because it's impossible. 
Um, yeah, it's why I'm glad like Unreal are trying to like because their focus with Unreal Five wasn't just to make another game engine. Their focus is to make a more efficient way for people yeah. to not only do games but films and all of that without having to put in like all the strain and effort that a lot of people are having to do with vfx nowadays so i'm glad well, yeah, some companies are doing that because of this crunch shit well yeah because it's like unreal engine is building a whole bunch of stuff that works in the engine that is a lot easier to do rather than having to make everything individually all you know like frame by frame rotoscoping and all that stuff that takes ages it's yeah um, it's just it's a scary world out there you gotta wonder like these poor fucking visual effects people who have to make 10 billion shots a year and then everybody on Twitter is shitting on the visual effects. It's like, it's not even really your fault. Like, you're doing the best you can. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, it's one of those situations where it's, I think it's often good to clarify that the people being shat on are the executives that are demanding this ludicrous level of CGI rather than the poor, you know, underpaid, underfed artists who have to Yeah, we know that CGI out. is better than that you know that exists it's just a exactly of, did you cheap out or is it too fast or you know that's, that's where you generally will go first which is absolutely you know, it's, it's not the visual effects artist's fault that she hulk looks weird it's marvel's fault for making a nine episode fucking television series with a cg made character that they probably had less than a year to turn around and way less money than they needed and probably really bad shooting conditions that made their job even harder. So, good luck, visual effects people. Don't burn yourselves out too much. We salute you. Um, is the, the subreddit called Shitty Movie Details? Quite, I quite yeah. like this one. It says, In Star Wars The Last Jedi, Praetorian guards' helmets have no eye holes, making them look inhuman and menacing. This also means they can't see shit and frequently run in random directions and attack nothing. <laughs> I can believe it. It explains so much. Yes, but they look intimidating. As uh, they're sitting there just flailing. You know what? They would be really good at hunting vampires. Yeah. <laughs> You see, the, the knife that. didn't actually disappear behind Ray's back. What happened is that he went to stab and then he dropped it because he just slightly misaimed and the arm was so clunky he couldn't pick it back up so he just kind of went with the movement. The little clip that they posted with the post, it's such a shit show. Everyone in the in the sequence is doing something dumb. It's just like, God, it's hard to notice when you first see it though. Well, it's going so fast. It's hard yeah. to pick up all the bullshit. And you're trying That's to think about of, yes. the story and characters and what's happening, and then you've got all this madness and the shit's burning in the back, and it's it's all yeah. just it's all just madness, and you can't keep track of it all at once. Yep. It's like yeah. a lot of action scenes. Mm -hmm. Kind of part of the like, trick, isn't it? Yeah, just keep it going. Yeah, so when fast, I was you can't uh, think about it. Exactly. Yeah. When this when action's happening, uh, when I was going through a lot of the Mandalorian fight sequences, and when we were watching the second uh, season. Just the fights are all terrible. Every single one is awful. And there's it's full of continuity errors and just ridiculous nonsense and nothing works in any of these fights. And a lot of people swear that the combat is just so good when it's just fundamentally just broken and nonsensical. Well, it's I I would like I would like for us to acknowledge good and bad choreography because yeah. there's a lot of artistry yeah. and craft that goes into it. 
Well, hey, can you think of a film that had some pretty cool choreography in it recently? Yeah, I can actually. Oh it was, my god! It was, it was. I think. I think it was everything, and it was everywhere, and all at once. Yeah. Man, it sounds like a pretty good film. I should probably like, you know. No, it's terrible. Take take a look. Watch the yeah. last Jedi instead. Yeah, I'll watch it That's on. That's another one of those where it's like, man, you had so much money. You like, there yeah. really was no excuse for this. You had access to the people who choreographed the other films, and you had people who would. Uh, you had the money what? to pay for the best people. Like it was really no problem well, yeah, getting. And, and it's the Star character Wars, of that man. fight. I'm pretty sure it's Ryan Johnson's fault. He said he made them do it all in one big take and recorded it all, and then just chopped pieces around that he wanted. And it's like, bro, I, I understand. You should be more thoughtful about well, your actions. The only reason that you should only do the one take is if you're gonna actually portray it in a one -er. Like, if you're only gonna do yeah. one take, then why chop it all up? In that case, do multiple takes. You can fucking erase the mistakes. Get it all perfect. Yeah. I just remember, like, Hayden Christensen and uh, Ewan McGregor, um, they, I think they rehearsed their episode uh, three thing. I, I might be exaggerating this in my head, but I, I feel like they said they were rehearsing for about nine months before the actual thing. And there's footage of, like, them going at it and they're going hardcore and yeah, Hayden would go, like no, crazy. that's not Yeah, and I think Hayden would go, No, that's not good enough. We gotta tighten this even more. And they were just constantly pushing each other to do it better and better. And they got to the point where uh, they didn't need to speed up anything. They didn't need to really alter the speed of the fight in in post because they had just nailed they had oh. nailed the choreography sure that Ewan McGregor said that for Phantom Menace they actually had to slow it down because it looked too unbelievable how fast they were going with uh, the yes. ball. Oh, him and how Darth awesome Maul's, it's, it's pretty tight yeah. in terms of how fucking yeah, close they get. Um, and, yeah. you know, fun fact, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, Darth Maul basically doesn't blink throughout all the time we see him, except three instances. One, where his lightsaber's cut in half. Two, when... Uh, uh, Kenobi's coming down on him and slices him, and then three as he's falling into the pit. That's, oh, that's really great. cool. Excellent. I was like, I had no he's fucking like clue that was a thing. Really cool. Right Park, man. <laughs> Just like, goddamn, dude. Yeah. For, yeah. It, he's up there in that list of characters where we, we get so little screen time of him, but he just has this presence, and you want to see more of him, wow. and he's become quite iconic. Oh, yeah. You want to see yeah. more. Oh, you can watch Star Wars The Clone Wars. He gets yeah. a lot of it. Dude, he's gonna show up <sighs> in something else at some point once they figure out who they yeah, want. Yeah, they teased him in Solo, but they're still, they still want to figure out. They're gonna do something with him. Of course they will. He was silly Fucking Darth Maul. Yeah. He looked silly in Solo he with his did. robot legs. Yeah. Bringing out his lightsaber over the yeah. communicator. <laughs> just just to show it off. I thought he looked like melted cheese in Solo. Like they just—they tried to make him look older, but I was just like, "Why does he? He looks like he's like melted cheese. He's got the texture of melted cheese." Hey man, you know, old people, you know. I don't know. Uh, hey, Fringy, I really liked the Endgame video. I really enjoyed the movie when I watched it, and I never even registered the flaws in the writing. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed the video. I mean, as for as for like the—I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody really—I really liked that movie when I first saw it. Um, I don't like it anymore. There's a lot of things. That, no, I think it's. I don't like it anymore. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear to see how it's a, a film that would appeal to a lot of people. But I can also see now that it seems like the appeal is diminishing. Mm. Um, 
Springy, um, you should play the delightfully charming Aussie game called Webbed. You play as a little spider on a quest to rescue a boyfriend by uniting all of the critters of the bush against an evil bowerbird. <laughs> that sounds funny. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, there it is. It's uh, Webbed, the story of a little happy spider on an adventure to save a boyfriend from a big mean bowerbird. That's cool. Hmm. That's got overwhelmingly positive reviews as well. Um, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness is a how it should have ended gold mine. Wrong universe? Finished Incursion? Finished Remember Sling Rings? Finished Actual Infinity? Finished uh, Strange Turns Gay? Finished Well uh, I imagine that they yeah, they're gonna have to choose what jokes they want to make because they don't tend to do it for as many as they can. But it could be a long video. Episode 8 is a disaster applies to so many things. We would have said it at the time about Halo, but you're right. It does apply to so many things. So many. Bringy, we must appeal to the masses for space travel with the prospect of alien boobas. It's the only way we can see <laughs> space travel in our lifetime. <laughs> Probably would help, honestly. Think about all those hot alien asses out there. You tell them that there's a bunch of Asari, they're real and they exist out there. Space travel funding would go up so much, like 10 billion percent. So this is, this is a question actually related to this. Like, So a lot of people find the, the three-titted woman in Total Recall to be like the dream as far as a woman is concerned. I, I've just Do never they? seen the appeal. Yeah, like I've seen I've certain people... I've never heard say, that. Well, some people say that was their sexual awakening, was the three-titted woman in Total Recall. And I just, I don't see it. I think that's just one too many. I think, you know, the, the two where they are, you know, that is perfect. Well, I don't know what to do with the third one. It, it it just kind of feels like it's in a place that it shouldn't be. I don't know. Working with the tell you. dumb memory store idea. What is what if Strange saw his sister falling in the ice instead, and when questioned about it, he just walks off? I don't think see, that raises really bad questions for me. That an event like that can just casually play. Um, yeah, like but then again, her parents getting fucking sucked into a portal place. So what do I know? The reality is, is that the memory <laughs> shop is just a really bad idea, no matter yeah, what like, memories you flash off. Yeah, let's put it this way: if if we're in the writing room, like we could fix it by having it play the memory of like, no, you still broken. Just no, get rid of the memory store. You could instead have these characters maybe conversing with each other no, and learning about their no. pasts. Or... That's never worked in storytelling. Mm. I saw your endgame review, Fringy. I agree with you, except on time travel. It's bad, but the rules are like in Dragon Ball Z. They make some sense. No, they don't. I, I would elaborate, but I talked about it for a sizable portion of that video. I was going to say, all they like, said to you is they make sense, and you're like, well, my argument's in the video, so... <laughs> like, yeah. There you go. Like, all that really needs to be pointed out is that the Captain America scene at the very end kneecaps any illusion of, yeah. of consistency. Yeah, there's and, uh, loads of additional it, bits that ruin it, too. Oh, yeah, that's plenty. Like, oh, the no idea, doubt, oh, yeah. you, you put the Oh, you put the stones back, they'll be fine. So, first of all... You know, you, you no, they it. won't. You did it. In your video, it's all there. They've seen yeah, your no, video. I know, there's I no know, point. Because <laughs> I'd just be repeating myself. But, like, the Tesseract doesn't exist anymore. How do you put it back? 
You reforge uh, the tesseract. You reforge the, the tesseract. You just hollow yeah. out a Rubik's cube and drop it in. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if somebody's like, "All right, let's get the tesseract out." The shards <laughs> of tesseract. It's just a Rubik's cube. Take them to Rivendell. <laughs> um, a world of only women. Have you heard of Futa? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is really. Well, Google, take, uh, have no, mercy I, on my I, soul. I, I'm just gonna, yeah, uh, I'm not gonna Google it. That's my clever idea. Oh, oh yeah, no, that comes up on Metal Stream a lot. I'll let, I'll let your imaginations fly wild with that. Why didn't they think to use the 818 Infinity Stones while in 818? Soul Stone likely could have prevented Wanda from dreamwalking into 1818 Wanda. Yeah, they, they don't let us know what the state of the Infinity Stones in their universe is. They just, because they show that they defeated Thanos, which means, presumably, their their vision is a thing too. I, I don't know. I guess they just work with the idea that we didn't tell you, so you can't be definitive about it. But I think it's it has to be addressed. It would be an idea that Doc Strange would have. He'd be like, "Use the Infinity Stones against her. Somebody, please." Oh, I am. Um, uh, this is kind of related. Um, I was for, I don't know why I was doing this, but I I was just googling what the Infinity Stones did in the comics, and I found out something interesting, which was um. Uh, all the stones, um, their all of their attributes are compromised if they do not, if they are not all together. So the reality stone, for example, can actually affect reality, but it, the consequences could be dire if it's not also done with the other stones. And I just find that interesting that that limitation is in the comics. That's a, I think that's a, that's something you can work with within the films, but they never thought to. Uh, to bring that in because all the stones seem to have almost unlimited power on their own within their yeah. own different realms it's uh, it it's it's bizarre that that's there in the book but it's not brought into the universe where it could be very important to do maybe yeah i think they needed to have more rounded rules on those things um mm. I super chatted that I came from Hassan to Jay to EFAP before, still loving this podcast, learning a lot. How would you counter the idea that Wanda is a compelling strong villain like the Joker or the Green Goblin? No. Um, would ask, I argue it? I would just ask. Oh, I thought they were saying, like, how would you counter the argument to that? And oh. I would just say, like, I need to know what the argument is before I can counter it, I guess. But mm -hmm. I, um, I would consider it baffling. There are... What, what's compassionate... Uh, What's compelling about Green Goblin is that it's a variation of Norman's personality that's run amok, and so like, but but still his personality, like Norman himself, is still in there, and it comes through every once in a while. It's up to the audience to tell the difference between genuine Norman and the Green Goblin pretending to be Norman, um, which can be complicated, and that's precisely what Spider-Man has to deal with. It is complicated because he doesn't exactly know what's happening there. If you had a cure, it'd be much easier. And then as for, um, what was it, the example? Joker. I mean, Joker's just, like, it's a man that's had such a fucking rough life that you get why he snaps, but that doesn't make him, like... I don't, because there's, there's a huge component that's missing for Wanda a is understanding it, how the fuck she got from A to B. I guess something as well that's important to think about when it comes to factoring in the strength of a villain is who the protagonist is that they're up against. Like, Joker is kind of a perfect foil for Batman. Um, it's so, it's such a great pairing. Could you put up a character who's meant to be like a really methodical, logical, calculated 
pretty reserved person against somebody who is entirely unhinged, very unpredictable in a sense. Um, chaotic. Whereas, I don't know, like, is Wanda a really good foil for Doctor Strange? I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know enough about either of them to even know if that is or isn't the case. It's just too... Yeah. They, they wanted know. to try and force a level of, of of foiling that that they they uh, sh they share a similar Unfortunately, goal. Unfortunately, they have don't similar... have much of a relationship. Well, they try and imply that like they make similar decisions in relation to the whole grand calculus thing, which is so forced. But they don't. No, it's not even close. Wonder, Wonder makes every decision she makes that's against the rules is selfish. It's just for her benefit. Yeah. Every decision Doctor Strange makes is for the greater good, and it means things like putting himself in perpetual fucking torture with Dormammu, dying in Infinity War on the hope that things will pan out okay. He makes a lot of hard trades. Yeah, and they're always for the greater good, uh, as you said. The, yeah. But yeah, lacking any understanding of how they're motivated to do anything they're doing on top of having no like meaningful reference to the person that they are the antagonist for. These are two things that I would argue go against being able to be compelled by Wander in any way, shape, or form. Her writing is fucking bad. Yep. Uh, unfortunate. Also, the fact that you said you went from Hassan to Jay to us, that's fascinating. <laughs> Hassan is a part <laughs> of the alt-right pipeline. If, uh, if we're an entryway to the alt-right pipeline, so is Hassan at this point, right? Yeah, that tracks. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't Toby and Andrew be in the MCU for two days, cause an incursion? Yes. Yeah, but that rule didn't exist yet, so... By the way, you guys should get the Birdman on next time you cover CinemaSins. Uh, we might? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? If you all want to watch some good multiversitism content for free, then go and watch In Space with Markiplier. Awesome stuff. Tally-ho, Raggleton. Hi! Avast. Um, yeah, okay, there you go. If that's what you're looking for, that's where you can find it, apparently. Uh, what if Black Bolt gets the hiccups? Would that be fatal for people around him? Maybe they would argue that hiccups don't count. For whatever reason. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> he I just does know. a little hiccup and melts, like... <laughs> melts Professor X. Yeah. yeah, like, coughing, would that... Or is it, like, something specific to, like, the vocalizing? Is that... What happens if he puts his hand in front of his mouth? Does it just melt? Well, you have to wonder, breathing, does that not count? Uh... I guess he breathes through his nose all the time, forever. Well, yeah, but couldn't you theoretically make kind of noises while closing your mouth and breathing through your nose still? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I got nothing. I'm fine. If, if, the, if the rules are it's only when he speaks or vocalizes, then I'm like, I'm fine. I'll just, I'll buy it. I'm totally, mm -hmm. I'm totally down with that. Yeah, I'm. I'm more than happy to get to to go ahead and grant that as an aspect of his powers. Keep your rodent mitts off my prequels, mouse. They're not great, but damn it, I love them, and they're mine. Don't toss them to the garbage like you did the OT. Too late, buddy. Rodent Too late. Mitts off my prequels. Yeah. The Kenobi show. Look, if if we end up saying it's good, that would be that would be a dream. Don't know that that's gonna happen. Okay. Uh, yay! She-Hulk's big, beautiful feet tearing through her shoes. That's all I ever wanted from this show. Okay. Some people are happy with that, okay? And that's nice. I'm just gonna leave it there. Imagine being She-Hulk's foot slave. Also, she's very ticklish. Mm. You guys, why with the weird super chat? Why can't you just be normal? That's normal questions. 
tickle me. Watch yeah. unedited unedited footage of a bear on YouTube. Very creepy stuff. Unedited, unedited footage, footage of, a bear. of a bear. Um. Uh, that's. Oh, it's an infomercial from Adult Swim. Okay. But, but unedited footage of a bear. Ex yeah, it's. Yeah, it, it's a ten and a half minute infomercial from Adult Swim. Netflix's Witcher is totally fine. A nice 6 out of 10. Most complaints I read are that it changes things from the books. It's an okay show. I've not seen it. But I can't say. But I've heard lots of bad things. I don't think anyone else here has watched it either. Nope. EFAP movie suggestion, who killed Captain Alex? And yeah, that could happen at some point. I don't see why not. It's a classic. Yep. Madaka's um, power is being the protagonist. You said that Multiverse of Madness had most luck, but when she rolls dice, her luck is such that they stack on top of each other. And they're all sixes as well. She's also guessed a nine-digit password first try. Her entire point is that she's so perfect and skilled that she's driven others to despair and can no longer relate to others. She can only justify her skill as and hyper luck by thinking thinking uh, she can pull up anyone to her level. Her entire arc in the manga story is basically about a Mary Sue being played straight. And they're Jesus Christ. So much of this. Um, I, I, this doesn't quite line up, but it says, and there to find a meaningful connection to those around them without alienating them with her overwhelming skill and abilities. It's been described that her power is being the protagonist, so things always go her way. The end message of the story is that no matter how skilled or amazing or powerful or likable you are, even if the world revolves around you like it does Madaka, every... Everyone is a person, and the connections we forge are the most valuable things we have. It's that search for genuine connection that drives Madaka to change, even though she already seems to have it all. Was there a question? I or we just because um, that's an interesting idea, I guess. This kind of reminds me of One Punch Man, right? Like if you create a universe where there's like a godlike character who can just have anything go the way that they want at all times, like how do you make that interesting? Like well. Uh, her relationships are going to be contingent on her powers, presumably, and that's not going to be satisfying or meaningful. And thus, we create a lot of circumstances where she's unsatisfied, and lots of points can be made about, as they said, being powerful, being likable, being blah 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 doesn't give you everything you're looking for in life or something. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, interesting stuff. Uh, the, the part where it said she's so lucky she's driven others to despair, it's just like, oh, she's so skilled. Shit. Uh, the thing is, Black Bolt's powers are tied to the speech region of his brain. Even if he can't speak, a hum from him will still destroy a building. Hmm. Okay. Um, a Transformers arc would be funny. Have you seen High Top's Multiverse of Madness video? Peak essayisms. I have actually seen it. He basically just appeals to the whole um, 
uh, Are You Happy theme. And then talks oh, about right. how Sam Raimi's incredible and that his style came through lovingly and that this film managed to beat back being Marvel formulaic sort of thing. Which Man. it definitely didn't. Yeah, a little bit predictable, isn't it, though? You guys have a lot to cover coming up. I don't think we'll cover that, um, but you're right, we have got lots of different things we can cover. Mm-hmm. It's a multiverse of videos and media. Uh, how long has America been getting chased by Wanda's Tism monsters? How much of a time skip have we had with no one checking on Wanda? Hi, Rags. Hello. Um, I guess it wouldn't matter, right? Because if you were to go check on her, she would just be using the book, and you wouldn't really know what's going on. Um, and I don't know that... Well, Doctor Strange can find her instantly, so... Yeah, that's part of the problem, actually. He never goes to address her in any way, shape, or form when he knows about Westview. That's the problem. He only comes up to her to say it's all chill, don't worry about it. Yeah, she made things right. Yeah, you're right that someone should have at least talked to her, because it would have been him, but... As for how long has she been doing this? Um, I guess it could have started recently. Or he did start recently, actually, because of Westview, right? That's why it would have started. So America was probably of the age she is now when this started happening. Um, have you seen the She-Hulk trailer? Yes, looks cringe. Well, yeah, because it's the conversation around the CGI is kind of distracted from. There's nothing really about it that's like interesting. Yeah. Really bland, lame jokes. Pretty, I and you just get the distinct impression of you're not going to fully explore like the lore in a superhero world, are you? I don't think so. Avery, are you enjoying the new Kirby game? The final boss stages make it feel like Dark Souls of Kirby games. I really enjoyed Kirby in the Forgotten Land, and I agree, the final boss was some crazy Lovecraftian shit. Uh, yeah, that game's fun. Cool. That's good to hear. Uh, wow, I never catch these. Nice. Insert memes. Well, yeah. Neat. Nice meme. Uh, look up time travel Lorenz effect lore. Why? <laughs> Just look it <laughs> up. Time travel Lorenz effect? Yeah. Uh. I don't. I, I looked up. L-A-U-R-E-N? Lauren? Uh, no. L-O-R-E-N-Z. Oh, the Lawrence. Uh, L-O-R-E-N-T-Z. Yeah, Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence the Lawrence transformation is the relationship between two different coordinate frames that move at constant velocity that are relative uh, and are relative relative to each other um apparently it well, has a clock in a, wall, probably a clock in a moving frame will be seen to be running slow or dilated according to the lorentz transformation the time will always be shortest as measured in its rest frame the time measured in the frame in which the clock is at rest is called the proper time so i assume what this means is Okay, the twin pair. This just talks about a uh, 
No, my eyes, velocity, states, pulse, moving light. So I suppose this has to do with. Yeah, I I'm just looking at mathematical formulas. I I need to. This needs to be explained to someone like they just googled it and aren't a physicist. <laughs> like I said, it's probably just... a vague explanation for what system they were using in the Tomorrow War. I assume. With the the beginning of what you said, the two points that are parallel to each other or something in time, or whatever. Maybe. Uh, let me see. Frames of history, derivations. Yeah, like, if I, I just don't understand any of this. This is not my... I don't understand the formulas and... What a loser. Let's see. Uh... Six parameter family of linear transformations from a coordinate frame in space time to another frame that moves at a constant velocity relative to the former. So, like, I recognize all those words, but putting them together in that order in a sentence, and I'm just like, I just don't know what you're talking about. Um, first impressions of Naruto character named Pain. I have no idea who that is. I've not Naruto. seen any Naruto, I'm afraid. I don't think Rags has either. No. Oh, I saw one episode and that was enough for me. And I'll probably never see it again. The red guy has a fun vid on Obi-Wan for Xbox. Alright. Anyone want to see a video on the Obi-Wan Xbox game? It says the red guy. I assume that's his name rather than someone who is red. Um, if this is where the MCU is headed, country... Oh, county out. County out. <laughs> That's a good county point. Out. County how out. out. He how? clearly says how? county out. How? How does it get through? He oh, clearly no. says county out. County out. <laughs> what it's the hell? Legitimately interesting. Fringy, excellent endgame video. If they want it. Oh, yeah, so that's a separate thing. There's another thing then. Alright, thanks. Uh, if they wanted to grab me, they'd replace She-Hulk with Sue-Hulk for wholesomeness. Also, high rags. Hi. Fair enough. I think it's obvious that the writers of the MCU don't understand the idea that between each number from infinity to infinity, there are infinite numbers of numbers. Yeah. Infinity yeah, has a meaning, and like nobody likes it. The okay? They don't like its meaning. Yeah. America's traumatic past was caused by a portal shaped as a star. Wears a jacket with a star. Next MCU movies will ignore Nexus beings in the multiverse. It is kind of weird she has a star on it. Like, she chose... I guess she really wanted that once she got used to her powers. I don't know. I, I, I kind of see it as this. Oh, sorry? No, go for it. Uh, um, if I'm to steel man that, I can... Maybe say that it might that might be a subconscious manifestation where she identifies heavily with the star symbols, so her portals come out as stars because maybe it's influenced by um maybe it maybe maybe it's a subconscious thing. I don't know. It's the only thing I can think of. Um, she has the stars and stripes as well on her jacket, right? It's like an American yeah. jacket, which is again like seems like. Childish characterization for oh, costume design to me. Hmm, like yeah. America Chavez wears an America jacket. It's like she does. Is she patriotic? Well, I guess. But she's not. She's not from America though, right? She's from like well, some. 
like, this is the mistake I think dimension. a lot of people make is like she's not bubble and it's like we have no idea she she moved to wherever she moved to really early on in her life we don't know what life she's lived right uh so I don't know funniest Marvel movie acronym Fatwas Tasm or Doctor Strange Mom Fatwas is a pretty good one. <laughs> That's just funny for some reason. Asm's close to Tism, I will say. It is. But Fatwa's probably, yeah. England. Did you know that Mola is your citizen? Also, why is Rags a fox? I am not. I'm not a fox. <laughs> I'm a sheep. Um, also, if Ringy were a frog, do you think he'd be in denial of being one? Well... I'm not one, so. I guess I uh, wrote the answer to that one, yeah. Right, I, yeah, I couldn't say. There are new expansions for Stellaris, but I'm torn because Paradox is such a commie hole. You massives ever playing it again? Uh, maybe. Find Pokemon manga picks. Originally was supposed to be edgy. Uh. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not too bothered with looking up Pokemon manga. Yeah. Picks. That sounds <laughs> like it would take a while to figure out what you even want us to see. Yeah. Does it burn wherever it goes? Lol, look at Slugma. Oh, presumably Slugma is a Pokemon that burns wherever it goes. Uh, Yeah, take a look here real quick. Uh, This is the... It, Slugma does not have any blood in its body. Instead, intensely hot magma circulates throughout this Pokemon's body, carrying essential nutrients and oxygen to its organs. We didn't need to know that. Hmm. Just the le I feel like with a lot of these Pokemon, the less you tell me, the better. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> let me just theater of the mind this bullshit and let's move on. I've got that chart that has all of the Pokédex entries and all the versions that it's in. Uh, I saved that from last time because some, because this has like gold, silver, crystal, ruby, sapphire, fire red, leaf green, emerald, diamond, pearl, platinum, heart gold, soul silver, black white, black two, white two, X Y Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire, brilliant diamond, shining pearl. It's been in a lot of different versions, and they all have different Pokédex, you know, entries. Um, it says here that da 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 da. It's like. Does, uh, bah, bah, bah. Some of these are, yeah. It says a lot that if it if it stops moving, then it will cool down and harden, so it has to keep moving. Kind of scary too. Which is kind of scary, yeah. I guess it doesn't have to sleep. Just uh, always going. SNL sketch about Black Widow movie, a Hallmark rom-com was meant to be a parody. Somebody please tell whoever's making She-Hulk, also high rags. Hello. I didn't see that, and that's probably because I don't get anywhere near SNL. It's so unfunny. Yeah, I have mm -hmm. not been, I just don't watch SNL. I haven't really ever, but I've heard that it has not gotten better over time. Um, day five of reciting Maxwell's Bloodborne video to get you to watch it. The gameplay is what makes this game great. The easiest way to describe it is simple but complicated. Oh. On a simple level, your baby brain is responsible for only two tasks, dodging and hitting. And dodging in this game renders you temporarily invincible. Sounds easy, right? 
wrong, because every single enemy is adjusted to keep pace with you. I mean, to a degree, that's kind of true. <laughs> like, I don't even see it as a parody combat. They are, uh... They are much faster in that game compared to, like, Dark Souls and stuff, because of the fact that you're faster. It's a faster game. Uh, what is the best age for people to become Pokemon trainers? Do you have age ranges for certain Pokemon-like categories? Also, Hyrags, Mulu, and Fringu. I... I have no idea. I have no idea. I it would be illegal in my world. So, like... It's well, so yeah, because it is basically... It's, it's just... Yeah, it's... You've got animals fighting each other to the faint, I guess. But I guess yeah. if, if... If I were in a world where it is legal and I get to decide the age limit, I guess I would put it to the highest, and then if I had to do a realistic one, like under gunpoint, I don't know, whatever, um, I guess... I don't know, like 20 or something? I I, I don't even... I don't even really, know I'm surprised that there aren't more, like, in the Pokemon world, people who are protesting, yeah. throwing blood at Pokemon trainers, like, it's murder! <laughs> They're not your slaves! Totally That's is. just one of those worlds where you're like, oh, man, like, I just don't see how this could function. All of these well, crazy, magical like creatures everywhere super that cute. people just... Some of them they talk. are super cute, yeah. Well, they have yes. a level of sentience almost, some of them. And yeah, you make them fight are. each other. But it's okay and to when keep not... them inside of Pokeballs. Little, and yeah, little, like, them. balls that dematerialize them and contain and them. Make them fight. Yeah, fight to the faint. With fire and stuff, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, earthquakes. like, there's no way that an Onyx wouldn't just kill a Pikachu. Well, yeah, like, could you imagine you if you had, like, Gyarados or something? Or, like, Groudon? <laughs> just, like, Zapdos or any number of these crazy Pokemon? I thought it was Gyarados. I thought it was Gyarados. I, I didn't... Wait, I said... I Wait, Gyar... What am I... Wait, I'm getting confused now. I'm thinking about... Zapdos? Zapdos. What did I say? Did I say... Oh, Ky Kyogre. That's what I was so thinking Gyarados, about. It's Gyarados, but Zapdos? Yeah, it's, it's Gyarados. Yeah, Zapdos. I call Zapdos mainly because of the fact that it's referencing DOS, right? Oh, I didn't know that. I, I thought it was referencing Zap. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. I Both of them. I didn't think about that part, yeah. yeah I think <laughs> that, that part was intuitive. Well, you know, you never know. I just but, um... throwing that out there. Uh, but I don't like DOS is in what, like a dosimeter or a like the digital element. Zapdos looks like low poly count, but also electric. It's like a technology thing. I'm guessing that's the reference for but DOS. Like the, like the computer like, uh, system. But Zapdos it does look like a like there's a low poly one in the game, but I mean in in like the Pokemon world, he's like a bird. <laughs> like he's a he's a regular old bird. Yeah. So um I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that uh, that was my impression. Was was there another origin to calling it Zapdos that I'm not aware of? Maybe maybe there's something on the, the Bulbapedia, which I'm assuming is the Wikipedia for Pokemon. Um where's the etymology? Is there a category for etymology? No, there isn't. Okay. Um, maybe it's in trivia. Uh, so in English... Uh, oh, wait, hmm. it, I found it. I looked up Zapdos name. So Zapdos I, yeah. is a combination of yeah, Zap and Dose, Spanish for two, but indicating I've... that it is the second in the series of Kanto legendary because birds. Articuno, Zapdos, and become, it becomes obvious. Right? Trace. Uno, dos, yeah. tres. Oh, I never noticed that. I never <laughs> noticed that. I think but, I knew this before and I completely forgot it. <laughs> I think it's because the first part of the name is, you know, Arctic 
zap molt, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Molten. and Locked. so that's that kind of overshadows the 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 second parts. Okay, okay. But according to Bolwapedia, it says Zapdos may be a combination of Zap and Dos, Spanish for two, indicating that it is the second in the series of Canto legendary birds. It's Dos. Wait, I'm confused. Or Did you dose. just miss everything me and Rax just said? Yeah, but I didn't hear that part. That's literally what, what we were talking about. That was exclusively oh. what we were talking about. I, oh, sorry. But it, it, would, I, it would be Dos either way. I thought, I, no I, right. Um, it's talking about how it's based on the Native American legend of the Thunderbird, a spirit of thunder, lightning, and rain that took the form of a giant bird. Um, Which yeah, is I why think, it's... I think <coughs> I just had a view of it that was, that was just uh, assumed, because don't you meet it in some kind of power plant or something technological to some degree? And I might have just assumed DOS was supposed to be representing yeah. a, a DOS, but Articuno yeah. looks cool as fuck. Oh, it is. All three the, of them. I think they all, awesome. yeah, they all look pretty... Oh, wait, what is this? Galarian Zapdos? What is that? What is? Is that like a subspecies of Zapdos? I don't know. Like, oh, maybe it's an evolved one? Because they've added more things, right? Yeah, because, well, they have the, um, yeah, the Mega Evolution. So that might be that. <coughs> um, but yeah, because I was about to say, like, the interesting one with Gyarados versus Gyarados, I actually think Gyarados would probably be more intuitive when you read the name, but I remember getting Gyarados just from watching the show at the time, I'm pretty sure. I bet a lot of the names might have strange pronunciations because of, like, localization or, like, just general pronunciation between different languages or companies, so I bet that probably happens a lot. When it comes to like yeah. Japanese and American sort of crossover stuff, well, I found out recently that like Odin, Thor, and Valhalla—they're all just like wrong pronunciations of the way that those words are supposed to sound. We just sort of didn't care when we. How are you meant to say over. Valhalla? Uh, the person I was talking to about this—they said them all, but it's hard to remember. Valhalla. So Let's see. What is uh? What is what is Google Odin, for us? Thor, Valhalla. I look. Well, I know. Well, I know that Hercules is meant to be pronounced Heracles. Yeah, I think it's Her yeah Heracles. I'm vaguely aware of that one. Yeah. That way. Well, because yeah. that makes sense more in line with like Pericles. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of those though, where it's like I'm not even. I remember when I played Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I was kind of confused when like Socrates had a K instead of a C, and everybody had a K instead of a C. There was just no C; it was all Ks instead of those. Crazy. Um, and I was wondering if that was just like some sort of thing that we do and just translating to English that wasn't correct. I'm yeah, sure because um, language. So the da, 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 Latin, the Romans pretty much did away with the letter Kappa when adding Greek words in the Latin, replacing the K almost entirely. So the so generally the the Romans replaced Ks with Cs. Okay. Um, in their letter, the letter K is very rare in Latin. Uh, wow, I mean, it's certainly rarer in English than C. So we have uh, da, 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 the letter C in the Roman alphabet came much earlier, derived from what the Greek letter, uh, from what was the Greek letter gamma or Y. Hmm. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, it's it's like how um, there is no uh, W in Latin. It's uh, the, the Latin doesn't have a W. The letter V 
which was not at the time distinct from you, was given the worst sound. So okay. it's, it's not it's that's why it, for those of you who a lot of people probably learn this from Fallout New Vegas, where they pronounce Latin classically, not in either an Italian or church tradition, but the classical Latin pronunciation. Whenever you see a V in a Latin word, it's pronounced as a W like always. It is a. Yeah, that's how it is. is. That also why they pronounce it Kaiser. Yes, Kaiser. Yeah, yeah. It's all. It also helps to remember how to spell it too. If you need to spell Caesar for a salad or whatnot, it's, it's Kaiser is how you can remind uh, or remember it. Yeah, it's a more phonetic pronunciation. I don't think Latin has a like a Z either or very little Z's. Well hmm. then. Well um, then. Hello, gents. Have you heard of the show From? A masterfully crafted horror show. I believe it is right up your alley. Hope you all give it a shot. From? F-R-O-M? Apparently. Is that a Netflix thing? Or uh the From Let TV me take a show. look. From TV series. It's produced by the Russo brothers. Interesting. They produced that. They produced everything everywhere all at once, too. They sure did. You know what? Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> this looks like the premise is in a in a nightmarish town in middle America that traps everyone who enters. Oh, I've heard of Un this. They wanted to get rid. Yeah, they really wanted to get away from the MCU. Unwilling <laughs> residents strive to stay alive and search for a way out, but they are plagued by the terrifying nocturnal creatures okay. from the surrounding forest. Hey, I'll give this All a right. chance. What is it on? You guys want to watch this? I'm I'm down. It's it's a it. The series premiered on Epics on February twentieth, twenty twenty two. What the fuck is Epics? I have no clue what Epics is. Original network? Epics yeah, you're is right. A... Epics. American Premium Cable and Satellite Television Network. Okay, but what about like streaming? It's got to be on something, right? We've got to find a way to acquire we'll, this We'll somehow. find it. We'll look into it. Okay, we'll have a look at this maybe. I would, that premise yeah, sounds I'm interesting. Legit I'm interested in this. If you guys want to take a look later, I really am. It would be nice to watch good things. It would, and I am... Uh, yeah, especially after watching every everything everywhere all at once, which was produced by the Russo brothers, as you mentioned, uh, I'm excited to see stuff from them. Now that they're, you always wonder. Like they they, I know them most from the Marvel stuff, and now that their shackles are loosened from the MCU, you wonder what kind of stuff they produce and want to make. You know, like. Uh, now we could do the things we want to do, or we can just what, uh, The first loose. two things we made wonder. aware of is people being trapped in a town and a multiverse thing. It's like, man. Mm. <laughs> it makes you wonder, we just want to do your idea, but actually good. Maybe the rest of their lives, they just hold it over the MCU. We're going to take your ideas and just do them better. Allegedly, because we have not seen From. Maybe From sucks. Why am yeah. I saying From? From. Maybe from sucks. From, from, um, uh, from. Let me summarize Eckhart's ladder for you. All these cross-universe comparisons are fun, but in the end, everyone loses to Kid Goku. Not even close. 
I don't know if that. I means... don't understand any of that. All I can draw from it is: you, are you suggesting that, like, I'm like cross-universe battles, like, like chief versus big daddy type conversations, and you're saying everyone would lose to Kid Goku? Is Kid Goku really powerful, strong, maybe? or? But would, I mean, would Wanda? <laughs> or she turn him into spaghetti? I don't know. Um. Personally, I find the conflation between Mary Sue's and OP characters frustrating. OP characters can work if there is a tangible conflict in some form. Again, I, I we've pretty much moved away from the whole Mary Sue thing because it it gets people triggered. Kind of destroys the conversation. Yeah, we'll just focus on the individual components. It's the same kind of thing as plot armor, um, but not in the sense that it's become a thing to avoid. Like people like using it; it translates an idea very quickly. Plot armor, what is it? And it's like, well, it's either a contrivance or a hole. Usually, the hole being they should be dead, or the contrivance being they should be really hurt and they somehow aren't. Maybe they fell really luckily on their body, or you know whatever. Um, but like we call them, we call it plot armor. Because it signifies like a whole set of ideas immediately to people, and they're like, "Aha!" Mm -hmm. And Mary yeah. Sue could have become that, but it hasn't. It's it's instead evolved into this tangled conversation. It was, yeah, it was unfortunately kind of tainted. Not that it shouldn't have been. I, I mean, it shouldn't have been. I mean, like in the sense of it was it was a legitimate observation on characters uh, as far as yeah. we used it, at least. Um. So now we just talk about it in different ways or we refer to it in a much more tongue-in-cheek kind of reference and it's more of a joke. But, I mean, we'll still make the criticisms, but we might not... We, we might avoid using that terminology. Yeah. But it never went away as a criticism, so don't worry. It's not like we conceded that concept. Oh, we've... we've like, there'll be times where we describe the problems with the character and someone in the audience might be like, are they just saying she's a Mary Sue? And it might be like... Yeah, maybe may, may yeah. that might Pretty be what's much. happening right now if you pull pieces together. Um, yeah, just about straying away from the shorthand that could confuse some people, and just explaining what the what would have been the uh, use of the shorthand in a way that everyone can understand. Dumpledy dum. Me agreeing with you. Dimple, dimple, uh, yeah, dumpledy. they're coming out with an adult Velma SDTV <gasps> show made by Mindy. Hailing, in which she makes Velma herself as she is race-swapped and acts like Mindy. Who is... Who... Mindy... Oh, so it's a self-insert entirely. Um, oh, Mindy can't... I okay made by, her. Yeah, okay. Well, that sounds Oh, that's for a screenshot from that. Oh, I could show you a screenshot from that show. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a bit R-rated. Um... Where, where it is says, it? Where Velma? Is it? Mindy Kaling reveals brown adults-only Velma. If people freak yeah. out, I don't care. Literally, what is left of it at this point that would be recognizable as Velma from Scooby-Doo? How is that even, like... I know, because we, we, we joke go. about this in some ways, but this actually sounds like the closest we've gotten to where it's like, I'm going to make Scooby-Doo. It will be R-rated, star none of the characters except one who has been completely personality and race-swapped. You're like, How wait a minute. How did you like <laughs> What the fuck is this? That's the Velma show. You just want to take over the name. You just want to use the name for yourself. You just want to use Velma Dinkley as a name, and you want oh. to take that so that you could use it. Yeah, what I'm seeing here is a girl with her head chopped off, and a, a naked girl is there too. What the hell? Yeah. Well, they're not even the head chopped off. It's She's wearing the, the, bubbles. The Mara. brain has been chopped out. Like, right. Well, bubbles are the head. accessory. I don't... Um... Okay. That... Uh... 
You know, one thing that's interesting looking at Scooby-Doo is that back in the original, like the OG Scooby-Doo, you know who you know who made all the traps, who who made all the constructions, contraptions, and you know traps throughout the show. The Velma. It was Fred. Oh. Everyone thinks it was Velma, right? Um, but every every character had their thing. Velma was the she's definitely the, the intellectual. The but one, Fred right? wasn't an idiot. He wasn't just some lunkhead. He would he was a. He was constructive. I was actually going to say, would that be tied to like some kind of like Boy Scout? upbringing maybe that he's familiar with traps very possible perhaps at the time it was certainly more just almost a given that a well then again you know shaggy is it, i don't know i guess everyone was just different and he was i don't i, well, I don't know fred he, was the leader yeah he was the hands-on yeah, kind leader. of guy yeah he he drove the mystery machine do you do the traps but everyone had their things that they would what do. a what a daphne she was more like the social part of it wasn't she I think so. I and I don't know, like Shaggy and Scooby just kind of don't. They just, they were just, they just there for tag the, around. They were the big. They're the, they're the funny deal, people yeah. that you're there to laugh at doing their shenanigans. That is true. I know in later versions they had made. I forget. I, I forget what it was called because there's been probably a, a million and one different versions of it where they just made Fred the stupid idiot. I, I think he got flanderized hardcore. In the uh, in yeah. the James Gunn films, I'm pretty sure he's kind of characterized that way, right? Like he's I think he's brave yeah. and he's pretty kind strong, but he's also an idiot, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame because you know, like in the originals, he was never that. Well, Rags, the freedom of adaptation, baby. That's true. I'm ready for a like a legitimate horror Scooby-Doo. Do it. But all the characters are the same. Well, you know, I like think, the character um, is super goofy. Scooby Do Apocalypse. Scooby Do Apocalypse. That's a legitimate comic. Oh, really? Yeah, and like Scooby is like this lab, ex this Russian lab experiment, oh, no. and it's all like from in the, and then they end up in the post apocalypse and they have to survive the post apocalypse. Um, probably get an image of it up. <laughs> oh my God, uh, they've got ray guns and everything. Neat. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Put this in the old Chatteroo. Like, Scooby-Doo has done everything. Yeah, they kind of have because they've been around for so long. Yeah, and they just keep... It, it must be insanely lucrative because we get a new Scooby-Doo film every year. We have Scooby-Doo comics coming out all the time. Scooby-Doo has crossed over with Batman about four times at this point. Um, and they've even done Scooby-Doo in the Multiverse of Madness. It was yeah, 1969 is where it uh, when it began. All those years ago. Um, I like the drawn versions of the real life <laughs> group on on the left favorite. hand side. <laughs> uh, glad you liked everything, everywhere, all at once, Mauler. I wanted to recommend it to you, but I thought it'd be hard since it has a title like that. You might be put off. Um, I think that the reverse effect usually happens with me with weird titles. I'm often intrigued by like that is a that is a really non palatable title. I'm interested in why they chose it. Oh, yeah. um, but it is awkward to refer to the film casually. A lot of people go with E E A A O like in text, but in in voice, I feel like everything every world wants is like you end up like trying to maybe resort to calling it everything, and then like that doesn't 
quite, you know. It's like talking about the film It in a sub in subject of other films, like Jesus Christ, it's the most inefficient fucking name for a movie ever. Because if we because if we wanted to try and shorten everything everywhere all at once, it would be E wow. Speaking of hard recommendations, play DDLC, Dumbos. <gasps> and that brings us to the... Uh, that's that for those, those catch-up oh, for those wow. things. That's not... We haven't wow. caught up fully with our uh, things, but we will have by the time this is. So, neat. Woohoo! Um, thank you all for giving this a little listen. Hopefully you're doing fine on this, this wonderful Saturday night that this would have premiered. And, um, I guess we'll see you next week for whatever shenanigans we get up to. Yeah, uh, everybody. Udeman stuff. Uh. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say, does anyone want to do any updates? But I guess they'd be out of date by the time this comes out. So yeah, kind of. Kind of useless. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in that case, links to people's channels in the description if you want to check them out. And um, thank you so much for, uh, for for watching, for tuning in, and for kind donations, support, discussion, comments, whatever it is you get up to. Thank you all. And, uh, well, good night. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>